Coming to you from the Troy Lee Design Saloon in Corona, California, it's the Whiskey Throttle Show. Brought to you by Yamaha, the leaders in the power sports industry. Motocross bikes, street bikes, adventure bikes, generators, side-by-sides, quads, boats. Yamaha sets the standard. Yamaha revs your heart. Today's guest is presented by PowerDot, the world's smartest muscle recovery and performance tool. PowerDot takes proven electronic muscle stimulation technology and packs it into a sleek, lightweight, easy-to-use pod that is completely controlled from your smart device. Today's show brought to you in part by Method Race Wheels, the strongest, lightest, fastest wheels in off-road. Method dominates the off-road racing market, and they have wheels for your truck, sprinter, SUV, Jeep, or van. Troy Lee Designs, built for the world's fastest racers. Troy Lee Designs blends elite level protection with a history of industry-leading style and performance. From motocross gear to custom paint to bicycle protection, Troy Lee Designs is waiting for you on the next level. This week on the Whiskey Throttle Show, Randy Lawrence stops by to tell some stories. RL was a factory mechanic for Doug Dubach, David Pingree, and won multiple championships wrenching for Jeremy McGrath. His career also included being the athletic trainer for Nick Wade and Ryan Villapoto, among others. Randy was a factory downhill and dual slalom MTB racer and continues to train athletes today. This is going to be a good one. And now, here's the host of the show, David Pingree. Well, all right, it is the end of of January 2021, and uh, thank you for joining us here on the Whiskey Throttle Show. I'm your host, David Pingree. With me today, we were meant to have both of the Lawrence brothers, but uh, Factory Phil came down with a case of COVID a couple days ago last night, so uh, we obviously kept him at home, and uh, we're going to focus on Randy Lawrence. So, RL, welcome to the show. Yep, thanks, Ping. Stoked to have Good you to on here. here. Yeah, we Good got to be uh, here. we got a long history going back. You and I. That's a pretty fun story. So yeah, when Phil actually got sick, I thought, man, first of all, he, he'll be fine. He doesn't have a lot of symptoms. He's gonna be okay. Um, but I thought, oh, you know what? This is better because we'll be able to really dive into your story. And then when we get him on, I'd love to bring you back and have you co-host that one again, and we'll we'll just focus on Phil's story. Sounds so fun. Gives us a chance to kind of dive into both your guys' deals. Um, and you've got a long history in this sport. We'll get into that. Uh, but this I want sport, that sport, the other sport, a lot of sports. I hear you. Uh, but let's start with our method race wheels, front end chatter. Uh, those guys bringing you the lightest, strongest, fastest wheels on off road. So if you've got a truck, van, sprinter, SUV, UTV, they've got wheels for it to make it uh, look better, perform better, be more durable. Check those guys out. 20% off using our code whiskey throttle. And if you, are looking for some merchandise, you can go on our website right now, pick up anything, shirt, shirt, sweatshirt, t-shirt, and uh, be in a contest to win. We are giving away a set of wheels free. So get over to our uh, our website and pick something up. Might win, win yourself a set of wheels. I wanted to chat since we got you on here, the difference between coaching and training. So, you know, there, there seems to be in our sport, and we'll get more into this down the road, but... Um, there seems to be a big difference between being a rider coach and a, a rider's trainer, right? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and sometimes you got to do both. And I think you are one of the guys who does a great yeah, job of balancing I, I, both. I feel like mm, there's a little bit of, of, of uh, a misconception there. Um, everybody wants a trainer. And they just think that's somebody that goes to the track, tells you when to shift, RPMs are right, lean, you know, all those sort of things. Yeah. That's not a trainer. 
a trainer, someone that helps your body be fit, ready to race, strong, to be resilient to injuries and things like that. Yeah. So training is not really at the track. I mean, it, it consists of doing motos and being strong and being able to get through the motos and things like that. But then coaching is a whole different realm where you are working on those little things at the track, you know, pushing into the faces, driving the backsides, you know, roll speed in the corners, you know, all that type of stuff. Yeah. So you look at somebody like Johnny O who works with Lawrence. Um, he brings a lot to the table for that kid, you know, like he has a lot to teach him you know, on the coaching side at the track and Jet's a very, very talented rider. And so is Hunter, his brother. And I, I think it works well for them because Johnny's a very, very hard trainer. I do know those kids, um, at least Jet, and I've talked to his dad a little bit, and and they've been on the grind in Australia for many, many years. Even though Jet's really young, he's put in the work. All right. So Johnny is kind of just an extension of what they grew up doing. Right. So, yeah, just somebody. And so I would say Johnny's contribution there, um, he might have some things he's helping on the training side, but I would say more of the coaching side, like – those kids haven't raced supercross before, you know, or until they came over here. So he's, he's been there and done that. He can help them yeah. through mm -hmm. tactics and strategy and, and obstacles. And, you know, Johnny's obviously been a student of that and done it himself. So yeah. there is a difference between the two things. And I think that um, in a perfect world, if you could afford it, both would be great. You know, have a rider coach who's legit and then have a trainer who's mm -hmm. legit, you know. But we don't always... That, that would get very expensive. Yeah, it can get expensive. And then, you know, and then there is a balance also because there is training at the track with the motos and, you know, putting in the work mm -hmm. and the things that you're doing when it's 105 out and you go to Nuevo and put in a couple 35-minute motos. That's a little bit different than a couple of 20s at State Fair in yeah. January. Yes. So are you going to do the same thing off the bike? And if you have somebody that's going to the track with you and then somebody that's doing your off-bike training, you know, maybe this guy's burning you at this end. Right. This guy's burning you at this end. Next thing you know, you can't even get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, they so, need to be talking, right? And saying, so, yeah. hey, let's put together yeah. a comprehensive plan mm -hmm. or something. Yeah. Or, like like I said, it, it's. I just wanted to make sure that there was a delineation between the two because I think that that gets smeared over. And these ex-pro riders who have maybe never won a race, a pro race or certainly not a championship, are now calling themselves trainers and coaches. And it's kind of like, well, I mean, I got you. You might have been a good rider, but you know, what, what makes you a trainer? I don't know. It, to me, it gets yeah, a little I bit Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a, there's definitely a lot to it. And, you know, some guys go from riding and racing to be being good coaches, good trainers, and being able to work with people really well. But there's some people that are high level athletes that don't understand that, like that, I guess, relation to just because it worked for them, it's not going to work for every right. kid. So you have to be able to work with different personalities, different families, you know, different individuals and what their needs are, you know, yep. and that's not always the case when yeah. like when you're Jeremy McGrath, what worked for you might not work for, you know, <laughs> yeah. party that have a seal on know, the weekends. You know, <laughs> you know, there's some of that too, but, um, you know, there's a kid racing the super mini class at Loretta's that the way Jeremy did, it's not, maybe not going to work for him. Right. So, yeah. Uh, so kind of a follow up to that. Uh, and we talked a little bit about, about this on the way up here. Why did it take so long for Moto to catch up in the in terms of training? You know, back when in the mid '90s, let's say, was kind of when I came in to the sport. There was nothing, man. Like Jeff Spencer was the only trainer. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I worked with him, I think in 95, I think Mitch sent me up to him and he had me doing like squats, push. I mean, I'm doing basic rudimentary stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There was nothing well, technical honestly, or trick like, about it. You know, the movements of training now are still similar. I mean, it's all just like gym movements and things like that, but it's how you put it together and develop it. But if you look at our sport in general, it's really a hillbilly sport. And like we talked to coming up here, we have the same people running the industry that we did then. So really a lot hasn't changed. There's been some, you know, numbers come in and power dot and you have all these different companies that have came in and they made training numbers and zones and things more specific, which were already in stick and ball sports. Yeah. You know, when we were just, okay, let's go pound out 30 minute motos. Let's go pound this out. Let's go. We just need to be better at the track. Yeah. Right. Everybody just needed to be better at the track. Well, I remember our mountain bike trainer, you know, like our cardio during the week was we'd I leave your about house. That this week. <laughs> we'd leave your house on our mountain bikes. You'd give me a head start. And we had a loop through Menifee. I know. Up to the tower and back home. And whoever <laughs> we didn't crossed make it, it. We didn't make it home. <laughs> whoever would cross that line onto the yeah, pavement. Yeah, so like, one. so when I stopped as a mechanic, I was working for you. That was my last year. And then I was going to race mountain bikes. Yeah. I was just all of a sudden I was going to be pro mountain bike guy and from a mechanic, which was a lot of fun, but you had your hot chili mountain bike and we were training together. Yeah. So we knew the gap from what ping could do loop to what I could do the loop and we'd send ping out and I would have to catch him and he'd have to stay away. So by the time we got back to the street, we were just laying in the grass. And I can't remember the, it was probably about 15 minutes, 20 yeah, minutes. 15, 20 so minutes. So it was actually really good, like anaerobic training. It was. It was maybe a little bit much, but. That's what I'm saying. We we weren't very calculated. <laughs> no, it was we just, weren't. I we was weren't. gonna die before I'd let you pass yep. me, and you were gonna die before yep. you let me beat you. Uh, and we would be laying on the grass wanting to puke. Well, uh, and we were training different energy, energy systems, which we understand now, but then we didn't. That's, like, there was no science to so, it back then. Like I was gonna race downhill, which was like five or six minutes. And here I am doing like all these crazy long road rides and all these cross country rides and doing time trials that are like 20 something minutes yeah. as my base of training when you're trying to do motos and you're just sprinting all the time Yeah. and you had no base going. So we didn't really know then. We just went hard and so, hoped to do better. So that's what I'm saying. You know that that information about, you know, building a base and then what systems you're using what type are you fast twitch are you slow twitch what are you trying to develop where do you where are you weak what do you want to get better that was all science that was founded already in stick and ball sports yeah mm -hmm. we were a bunch of idiots over there banging rocks together trying to make fire <laughs> well why did it take so long it just just again uh, it's just i mean i mean look he'll be the sport like our we were put on a dirt bike when we were little and 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 it was dad like, had oh. a, dad had a cigarette and a beer and exactly. Chat. So we went to the races and, you know, to get on the gate. And if you didn't win, you got yelled at, you know, <laughs> if you were Phil, then if you weren't doing good, dad threw rocks at you when you're on the track. So, you know, there's all these stories and things that yeah. went on. And then, you know, as the sport evolved and things got better and guys got better and Jeff Ward, well, more money comes well, in, right? And more money came yeah. in and, and, you know, things started changing then. So, yeah. Do you think people get offended when we say that? I mean, it's the truth. We're a very blue-collar or hillbilly sport. It, well, that's well, what it is. For sure yeah. back then we were. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's gotten a little better, but... Well, I mean, motocross, what? It came from hair scrambles and flat track and, you know, all these other things that were going on. And what yeah. were those guys doing when they were, they were drinking beer and, like, hanging out with their buddies, right? Yeah. Like, all the yeah. stories are yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, that's funny stuff. All right, well, we're going to get into more of that here as we get going. I want to just uh, mention again, get over to whiskeythrottleshow.com. You can pick up our merchandise over there. 
Uh, we've got some new stuff out, new stuff coming out. We've got a lot of cool things happening there. Uh, thanks to Temecula T-shirt printers for putting that stuff together for us. Uh, let's jump into your story. Brought to you by PowerDot. RL. Um, take us back to the beginning. You're a, a Yucca Valley guy, right? Well. Where were you guys born? <laughs> Past hospital in Baining. <laughs> Baining, California. Grew up in Beaumont. Um, I don't know. I mean, we kind of were all over the place. Like, we ended up in Arkansas for a little while, you know, when I was like fourth grade. Mm. Um, came back out here with dad, and we were kind of living with my uncle a little bit, and then we ended up up in Yucca Valley. Um, How old so were you when you got to Yucca? Yucca Valley was sixth grade. Okay. And we always rode. So who? What was your first bike? Like, how'd you guys get introduced to that? Did your dad? Um, uh, your dad rode, right? Buster rode. Yeah, my dad was racing. Probably right after I was born, my okay. dad was racing. We'd go to De Anza Cycle Park. If you're older guy, you know where that was out in Marina Valley. So there was that. There was Saddleback, Indian Dunes. There was stuff like that. Corona Raceway, um, Riverside Raceway, yeah. where the mall is, like all that stuff. Um, so he was racing a little bit, and then I ended up like my first bike was like a '74 Yamaha GT80. Okay. You know, and we'd like take foam pads and sew them into the knees of our jeans to make <laughs> riding pants or whatever. And, you know, we were just loving riding motorcycles. Yeah, we were yeah. really, really little. And my dad was going to the races. And there was, you know, me, both of my brothers were racing and my dad. And so, Rob, you have an older brother, Rob, and then yeah. Phil's your younger brother. You got a younger sister. Yep. How much older is Rob than you? I thought he was a little bit older. I think he's about three years older than me. And then Phil is how many years younger? About three. Okay. All right. So you guys were all and then in Shelley's, that And then Shelly's 10 years younger than I am. Oh, okay. So it took a little while for the girl to come through. Copy. So you guys all rode, all three <coughs> of you boys? Was Rob? All three of us there? rode. All three of us raced. We'd load up in like a 77 stepside truck, like four or five bikes, leave at like five in the morning, get to the ends and let it rip. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's where it came from. Hillbilly sport. That's what families did. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Did you guys all, you know, as you were, as you continued to do that, did you all want to be pro or did, were you guys just doing it for fun just because you love to ride? Was there any aspirations? I don't even think there was in our mind, even pro at the time, you know, my what would dad, have been that the 1980, like what year would that have been? Um, well, like my GT 80 was like 74. So, that was yeah. way back. And then we ended up in Arkansas and then we ended up buying a couple like 77 RM80s. And okay. one was supposed to be for me and my brother's share. And then my younger brother and my cousin was going to share the other one. And then one of them ended up with like a trail 50. So then I had a, I got one of the 80s. My older brother got one of the 80s. And then Phil ended up getting an RM50. So we all ended up with our own at that time. And we were like, going to the races and we were racing in Missouri and stuff because we were living in Arkansas at the time and and we didn't know. I mean, obviously there was magazines and cycle news and stuff would come out and we would see like Malcolm Smith and like the real guys like yeah. Mark Barnett and whoever yeah. it was. <clears throat> and uh, so we knew there was a pro level out there, but we had no idea. Yeah, like, it just seemed like. Yeah, it was just. Yeah, yeah. I got you. Um, so how, how did that progress? Did you guys all keep racing for quite a while well um yeah i guess so and then we we ended up back out in california and we ended up with like like 79 or 80 
like that year we got new bikes and my dad had like yz 125s like brand new stuff and and then we were really going to Dianza a lot and we lived in yakko valley so we had really really good tracks up there and that's kind of when things started getting like i guess a little bit more real because team honda and team suzuki and all these teams were coming out to palomar to test mm. that's one of the tracks up in yakko valley and we lived like the box fans had to pass the front of our house to get to the track so when they were like when they were out there we knew they were there so of course we were just kids on our ease and we were out there like gawking at the bikes like you remember seeing factory guys well, out there <laughs> really quick story is the first time i officially met johnny omara um i flew to a race in italy with emig it was emig's first european race okay. it was like 19 it was 90 or 91 okay and i asked johnny what he thought about that twin cylinder cr125 and he was like what what are you talking about and i said well i was a little kid on a rm80 out of palomar and i look over and there's two silencers on this 125 (laughs) (laughs) and it was some factory hrc thing and you know all the guys were out there and they were testing some twin cylinder stuff at the time so kind of cool to be like that close and yeah you didn't really know then but then like later on You're you like, start getting an industry yeah and yeah. you saw that and then he was kind of tripping and and uh so yeah what do you say about that bike i don't re- really remember oh. what he said <laughs> i think a lot went on that weekend you were just and, nervous talking to oh, johnny yeah, i was pretty nervous just talking to him <laughs> i did tell him that i asked him for his goggles and staging at la coliseum and he said no and i was pretty pissed oh really yeah I didn't. I never really got to a lot of pro races as a kid, but I remember I went to Mammoth the first year, in 1990, and he was riding for Cowie, and I got his goggles after the race, and I I had them for probably 20 years. Well, I tried to get them before the race, and he wouldn't give them to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. So, um, at what point then, kind of did you stop racing? Because I you you did some other stuff before you got, if I remember right. Before you got into the motor industry, you were managing a McDonald's, right? I think I remember you mm, telling me that story. Well, for me to get a car, I had to have a job first. Yeah. So I ended up working at McDonald's in Yucca Valley. Um, I worked my up to where I was like a swing shift manager. Okay. You know. Um, <clears throat> but at that point, I was kind of done like doing moto stuff. Um, I would say had to be 84 or 5. Um, I just decided like I wanted to ride like freestyle BMX. Like I saw a a freestyle bike, specific freestyle bike that wasn't like BMX race transitioned over in one of the magazines. And I just thought it looked really cool. And I loved BMX, you know, growing up. And you guys, did you ride a lot? Cause you guys all still love bicycles, you know, fill mountain bikes all the time. Yeah. Did you guys just always ride bikes as kids? Was that a big part of your life? Well, yeah, we always rode bikes. We always rode motorcycles. We lived up in the desert. So to get to town, we'd ride our BMX bikes down there, and there's always jumps here and there. And and uh, I'm like, I just want to do some freestyle stuff. Like I wanted to ride skate parks and and do flatland stuff and make dirt jumps and things like that. And and uh, we were at a transition at that point where we weren't really racing that much. Um. So I just made that transition. Like, sold my YZ80 that I had, like an '82 YZ80 that had the radiator on the on the front number plate front number plate and (laughs) um so sold that thing and ended up i worked with my uncle for a summer and bought a rl20 redline with some white mags and 
I was Sick. on my way. <laughs> <laughs> and then your McDonald's job. Did that start um, like washing lettuce, then you move up to the fries? Kind of. Then you're at the register pretty soon? Kind of, Like yeah, on, I mean, uh, what's that movie, Coming to America? <laughs> pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Except for I didn't have the money going in. But, um, yeah, it's kind of that same thing. You know, yeah. you just... And, for whatever reason, I've always uh, like if I have to do a job, I'm going to do it the best that I can. Yeah. Um, so might, when so when you went, you did that. Did Phil and were, did Phil and Rob quit as well? Like were they kind of stopped um, right? No. Did? Rob was still racing, and he was actually really good at the time. Like he was winning Golden State stuff, you know, at the intermediate level, but very very high level, like yeah. a top level B rider is now. So yeah. he was getting support from a few different companies and and about rated transition to pro and. And unfortunately, like, as he made that transition, you know, he got involved, you know, with drugs and things like that. So that kind of took that turn. And Phil at the time, um, we didn't really know what he was going to do. Like, I kind of before I stopped, when Phil went to get his, like, motorcycle, he couldn't get a motorcycle because he was getting bad grades when he was little. And then finally he got to the point where he was going to be able to get a motorcycle. So he went to Beaumont, Yamaha, Kawasaki, and he was going to get a ATC 200X. <laughs> <laughs> a three-wheeler? Yeah, he wanted a three-wheeler. That's what he was going to get. <laughs> one of my friends in high school had one, and uh, it was like the newest, latest grade. Right, it wasn't It right, wasn't right. the 250R, you know, that had the CR250 motor in it, but it was yeah. like four-stroke 200X. It was pretty cool. Well, let's le- we're using that term pretty loosely. If you right. had one right now, it would be really, really cool, right? All right. It might kill you, but it'd be really cool to have right now. And he got to the shop and he saw a 84YZ80. And I'll just get that. Said I got like, it. Okay. All right. And then that's kind of when Phil really was going to start racing. So He bought that bike new. Bought that bike brand new. And that was kind of where you took it. And then they still started going to races and stuff. And then I was kind of doing my freestyle thing. And and, uh, it just kind of went. And you got pretty into freestyle. I remember maybe it was, was it Freestyle or Magazine or something? You were on the cover. Yeah, I had a a cover of like American Freestyle in like 88 and, you know, a couple like magazine photos here and there, you know, through the early 90s. And, and, uh, I mean, I was serious about it. Like I rode hard. I yeah. rode Flatland for about five years. I rode skate parks for a while. I kept getting hurt, so I kind of leaned more towards the Flatland side. And then street riding came in, so I started riding street more, and then Flatland kind of went away, and then dirt jumping came in. So we're going to, like, Sheep Hills in the early 90s, like, which is still a really, really good spot. Yeah. Rider loves going. So <clears throat> just I've always just ridden, you know, kind of just enjoyed Yeah riding bikes and you know i always felt like i tried to do everything i did at at a higher level than just the average yeah so so i was just trying to figure at where then from from that you were still were you working at mcdonald's for that whole time no 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 no. that was no. <laughs> i'm so, trying to figure out what so you, how the timing went the end of the mcdonald's thing was my grandma was remarrying and this was i believe 86 I just graduated high school. My grandma was remarrying. I was a flatland rider. There was always these big flatland gems down in Huntington Beach. Okay. So I was down there as much as I could to ride bikes and, and hang out with my buddies. And I called in and told the boss, hey, my grandma's getting married. I'm going to go to my grandma's wedding so I can't come to work today. 
I didn't go. I ended up going to Huntington to ride flatland with my friends, which was my plan anyways. <clears throat> and that was the 86 OP Pro riots. I ended up getting billy clubbed by what? a cop. Went to the... <laughs> I don't. I the, don't know anything about that. What What was it? What were they riding for? Uh, girls. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was down in Huntington. It was eighty six OP Pro. There's three hundred thousand people on the beach. Um, the cops. That's when the cops were at ATCs on the beach, and and people were just getting nuts. Like mm. it was. It was pretty wild. But it was. A, it was a really fun crowd for like what we were doing. Like we're have these jam circles we're riding our bikes in there and people are throwing money and like whatever and you, we're just having a great time next thing you know just floods of people start coming through and then it kind of calms down we start riding again and then a few minutes later there were cops lining from like the boardwalk all the way down to the water clearing the beach i guess some guys pulled the top off some girl at a little bonfire thing and while they were trying to give those guys tickets or get them in trouble or whatever a couple other drunk guys rolled their ATCs into the bonfire. And next thing you know, <laughs> the fire station was burned out. The police cars were getting burnt. Like it was a full on, oh, wow. full on riot. And so you're on the news getting billy clubbed. And you're so <laughs> <laughs> I was on my bike, you know, my flatland bike in the middle of, of uh, Main Street there in Huntington and PCH. Yeah. And like right at that corner where Jack surfboards is and, and a cop runs out in the street and just you? tees off on my head, laid me out, like bleeding everywhere. The guys at Jack's took me in and ambulance took me away and got oh. me some stitches and oh, I had to man. walk back. I had to walk back to the beach to get my truck and my bike and stuff. And it was cold. So I went back to Yucca and then I was going to go to work and I didn't really want to. So I'm like, Hey, I got hit in the head and I got stitches. I'm going to miss a couple of days. <laughs> so they kind of found out and then I didn't work there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they let you go uh, chase other opportunities. Yeah, other opportunities. To... <clears throat> All right. So I so where I'm missing is, didn't you start as a mechanic working for Phil when he started racing? That was 89. So what did you do between then, between getting clubbed in the head and 89? I moved to Huntington. Okay. And I was just riding bikes and hanging out. And I worked at a bike shop. Um, I'd ride my bike to the bike shop. I would ride flatland before work. I'd ride at lunch. I would ride after work. I'd go to contests. And just lived in an apartment with a couple buddies. And then um, the industry really kind of started dying on the bicycle side of things. Which is no big deal. Like, it's not like I was making a bunch of money at the time anyways. But... I'd, You're having fun and living it. I'd yeah. rounded up a couple sponsors, and I had a little bit of expense money going to contests, and you know I got photo yeah. incentives, and so when I got in photos, you know, it'd buy breakfast or something. <laughs> 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 but it's what I loved. Like I was passionate about it, and yeah. it, it really wasn't about the money. So yeah. I was just riding bikes, and I still ride bikes, you know. So, um, but it kind of died. So I went back to I was staying with my dad, and I was working with my dad a little bit back in Yucca. No, we were now in Cherry, Cherry Valley. Valley. Okay. We're in Cherry Valley. So we had a track on the property. Um, we had a big shop built and we had like an apartment built in the shop. So me and Phil were staying in there and, you know, and Phil was just about to transition to like pro, not just like a at Loretta's or whatever, but like do some super crosses. And uh, 
I think we did. We went to Lake Whitney. It was one of the first races I went to him with. Um, and it was really just to kind of make sure it had gas in the bike or whatever. But yeah. It's not like I was a mechanic at the time. And then we went and stayed at a friend's house, Grayson Goodman, who lived in Dallas. We went and stayed at his house to do Houston Supercross the next weekend. You went from Whitney to Houston Supercross? Whitney to Houston, Houston Supercross, yeah. Okay. So, you know, not quite as big as gap as Max Volan right now. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but there was probably six or eight of those riders that were at, at Whitney that went down and did that. Grayson okay. was one of them. Chad Pedersen, Jimmy Button, um, maybe Buddy Antonez was one of them. Like there was a few guys that did yeah, there it was at a the whole same time. group that you got. They all kind of those guys all moved up. They together. all moved up in there yeah. right at about the same time. Okay. So, um, yeah, and that's when he was pro. And then so then you were you were went to Houston with him as his mechanic. I went to Houston with him as his mechanic, and and uh, he got stuck in the gate. Had to kick the gate over for him. Um, just the little stuff that you remember about yeah. different things. And, and, uh, at that point I just started traveling around with him and I was like, I was like his mechanic, yeah. you know? So. And that was 89. That was 89. And then I worked with him through 1990. Um, he was a support writer for Yamaha and yeah, we basically had his van and, and, uh, we drove around and, was he able to pay you a little bit, like with, mm. with the money he was making, or were you kind of just? No, he wasn't making any money. You were just my paying dad, for your expenses. My dad paid me a little bit, um, just because I was doing it for him, and and uh, but really it was nothing. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like being a mechanic now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nothing's changed. <laughs> so, then how did you get connected to Yamaha? How long did you work? Um, and that was kind of wild because I well I was helping Phil, and then um. DGY, Downers Grove, Yamaha, like yeah. back east, they put a team together. And Joel Albrecht was one of the one of the riders. Uh -huh. And at this point, we'd been over in Ritchie Canyon riding a ton, and that was like like with Jeremy and, and Joel and that whole group, yeah. Billy Feltz and Dana Wiggins and like yeah, that Joel, whole crew. Joel, it, they lived in Ritchie and, Canyon, Yeah, right? they lived in Ritchie So Canyon. I remember when I would come over early on, We'd all meet up at their house when yeah. it would rain, and everybody would go out. And mm -hmm. I mean, that's that whole crowd you yeah. just mentioned—the Clowers. Yeah. I mean, yeah, all yeah, a huge. It was group. crazy. Yeah, yeah, crazy. And um, those guys knew Retchy Canyon like the back of their yeah. hand. Yeah. So we were out there a lot riding, and then I was still—I wasn't like goose mechanic, you know, like I wasn't like gnarly, but with rider with Phil, um, he rode for Pro Circuit. So they kind of took me under their wing, mm. like Bones and Buddy Morgan and and uh, Mitch, and they they would let me come down there and work on Phil's bikes, and they taught me, you know, splitting cases and going through okay. everything. And that's what I was kind of wondering how you learned all that stuff. So, so that makes sense. It was Mitch and those guys really really helped me a lot, you know, then to so I could be better for Phil. Mm. Um, they were supporting him, and and then Joel was like, "Hey, will you work for me for DGY?" And I'm like, "All right." So I ended up moving to Ritchie Canyon, lived there with him. Like then when you became somebody's mechanic, like you had to live there because they weren't going to pay you to where you had yeah. your own house or anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we did that and we'd like do our own testing and, you know, we'd get products and parts from whoever and we'd test bikes and then we'd go to the races. And, and unfortunately, the first Supercross we went to with him, like he was an awesome rider. If you look at his like amateur career, he was. Yeah really really good and he had a crash in houston 
and ruptured his spleen oh. and ended up going to the hospital that night and had his spleen removed and and uh whether it was the crash or the injury or whatever just wasn't really the same after that mm. so as weird as it sounds at that time with my minimal experience as a mechanic yet team yamaha went through a little bit of a change they'd hired jeff emig who we were all friends with because he was like a richie canyon guy um, and they had damon bradshaw they'd always supported doug dubach at that time also <clears throat> so whether you call it a step sideways or demotion or whatever like doug had to supply his own mechanic he had to get his own van and he still got factory bikes hmm. so i didn't know doug but he called me out of the blue and he's like you want to be my mechanic and there was there had already been a couple of supercrosses this was like 91 hmm. <clears throat> and um or maybe 90 90 or 91 and all this stuff happened really really fast back then and it was kind of a whirlwind for me and yeah i mean you you don't have a whole lot of experience no, <laughs> at no, this point at no. all i mean i'd ridden them since i was little but you know and i was still young like i was you know 21 or two maybe yeah. no not even that probably 20 and so i'm like heck yeah i'll do it so I showed up and I started working on this factory Yamaha YZ250. And Were you living with Doug then at that point? <laughs> no, I actually got paid a little bit. So I had an apartment okay. at the time. Um, had an apartment and, you know, we got the box van from Paul Thie to, at Racetech. You know, Racetech did a suspension. Mm -hmm. um, factory motors, I, I could work at Yamaha if I wanted to. But then we all had box vans, so we did most of the work out of the box van anyways. Um and I just took off. Like, I just traveled. I was on the road with a box van with all the other mechanics and meeting everybody and obviously very, very green to the whole situation. Yeah. And, and uh, Did Yamaha bring you in? Like, were they pretty welcoming at the race shop? They were awesome. Yeah. Like Butler. Was Butler there working Butler, for me? Butler, Butler was there. He was Doug's mechanic. And then they moved him over to Emig. Okay. Um, Brian Lunas came on board to mm -hmm. work with Bradshaw. Which he told me, you'll never make it in this industry. <laughs> Lunas, well, Lunas said some crazy he was, stuff. He was dude. pretty gnarly. Like, he was really, really serious guy. He was super gnarly. Um, I always had a BMX bike with me to ride, like, when we weren't working. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed what I did. I did the best I could at, at any job that I had. Like, like, I had a huge learning curve with Doug. We ended up winning a Supercross together. It was his only supercross win um i'd spent a couple of years with him we're still really really good friends to this yeah. day um but at the time like i was just this like kid that came in i was asking questions all the time you know i mean i was trying to learn um we didn't really have any bike issues or things like that so everything worked pretty well <clears throat> um but i was like i was the kid out there like i yeah. dressed a little bit different that's why I, brian was saying you weren't gonna make it I wore you were... my, well and i wore my hat backwards and my Gary used to tell me, you can't wear your hat like that. Nobody will take you serious. Um, it was just different because I was like I was like in this BMX world <clears throat> where it was freestyle and it was kind of your own thing. And it yeah. was like that, you know, punk rock, skate, yeah, freestyle, like all that kind of stuff. And then now, like, Moto even then was trying to be like corporate. And, <clears throat> and I just wanted to have a good time and do the best job I could. And you'd just be like, 
you won't ever, you won't make it three years in this, <laughs> you know, like. That's funny. And, well, uh, it, we had Linus on and it's funny to hear his versions of stories. And then you hear like RJ tell the story and other guys that worked with him, whether it's Emig or whatever. And the stories are. He's a pretty a serious different. dude. Yeah. And you know, I we cross paths here and there still. And we chat for a few minutes and everything's great. You know, I yeah. never had any hard feelings with the guy or anything. Um, <clears throat> what a, a real quick story is in uh, 91 when they were doing outdoors and supercross same kind of same time. And Damon didn't pull it off at LA Coliseum. Oh yeah. We did hurt his knee the week before at Redbud. Uh huh. And he came in and since the races were so like Redbud, Michigan, and then LA Coliseum, California, we shared a box van at LA. Doug and Damon did. Mm. So I was in the box van with Lunas and Bradshaw and oh boy. this whole deal. And that's the weekend. Everything got I, thrown out of the van, <laughs> and then everything got thrown back into the van. Like, it was a pretty heavy... I heard he fired some tools off and around, and stuff was getting thrown. And yeah, I stayed away for a while. Yeah. Yeah, heavy. Heavy, heavy stuff. And so, I was wondering if you were there for Doug's first win. I was. I was there for Doug's first win in San Jose. Only win. I mean, that's pretty and cool. And only. Yeah. And for your first win in San Jose. Yeah. So. I, I just put that together. I didn't realize you were with him that, that far back. That's yep. awesome. That's a long time ago. San Jose was good to you. San Jose was good to me. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, what are some of the highlights that you remember from that time with Dr. D working at Yamaha? I mean, mm. obviously San Jose. I mean, that had to be. Well, obviously that was high on the list. Um, was that like, I mean. Oh, dude. That had to be like, huge. You know what was crazy is like I went back to my room that night. I went to bed, I woke up, and again, the next day was Sunday, and I woke up like, if it was a race day, I would have been a little bit late, and I jumped up, and I ran around like crazy, like, I was in the van ready to go to the track before I realized it was Sunday, <laughs> like, it must have been all like a dream or something, like, <clears throat> but to be like that young and new, and, and Doug was a, like, on a factory bike, but he was like privateer guy. Support guy, yeah. And, uh. To win a Supercross, like, that huh. was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Damon was coming, but Doug Damon was great. coming. Damon got stuck in the gate. Yeah. Um, Cooper and Matashevich kind of had that race pretty handled, but then those two, they can't. Yeah. You they know can't not be magnets. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny is he kind of won because some of the top guys had issues. Had issues, but. And when I won, Rhino and Huffman went down in the first turn, remember? But. I mean, hey, you got to be on the gate. Take right? it any damn way you want to give it to me, but yeah, I'm just saying it's funny. Like Fernanda said last year, I will go to the bank and cash my check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a smaller check back then. Yeah, a little bit. Um, all right. So, any other good stories from Doctor D? Those um, eras? Really, I mean, the years I spent with him, everything was awesome. He's such like, a good dude. He's just yeah. He was fun to work for. He was, I, I wouldn't say never pissed off. Like he always he was that working horse that was always just trying to be better. Like he put everything into it, mm. you know, and I put everything I had into it. And we, I believe we both learned a ton at that time about life and about racing and about just everything. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, even if it wasn't a win or a podium or whatever, like we still left the races usually pretty happy in a good mood going 
to have dinner or going to, you know, whatever. <clears throat> and we rode mountain bikes together a lot at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we were like just buddies that were traveling around and going to the races and just really putting our best foot forward in the best we could. Yeah. When, uh, I, do you remember the mountain bike ride when I first started, we were working for me and we took Doug, <laughs> Doug took us to the San Juan trail. When he was on the show, I told that story. I don't know if he even remembered. Oh. Like, oh, yeah, dude, you took off, left me, me and RL. I think you were probably waiting on me, but he disappears, and then all of a sudden we see him waiting, and he had taken a big old dump right in the middle of the trail. Remember yeah. that? Oh, yeah. He's a funny guy. He's, yeah. And he's still the same. He's sneaky funny like he's that. He's the same dude. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, it's so good. Um, you got any other good Damon stories? Um, Anything that wasn't revolving around tools being tossed? <laughs> Damon, I think even then he was maybe a little bit misunderstood. Um, super, super good dude. Always would have your back. Like, super, super respectful, nice, welcoming. But when he put the helmet on, it was different. Like, he was an animal. He was lit- like, I would say personality-wise to, like, somebody that people could relate to now would be like a Stuart. Mm. You know, if you if you knew the Stuarts and you were kind of in with them, best people ever. Like I'll sit now and have a 20-minute conversation with Big James, and Mm. and it's all good. And it was like that back when, you know, when Damon was, like, in that group with us all. He was just, he was into, like, wanting to ride BMX with us. He was wanting to hang out. Like, him and Phil became pretty good friends, and, and, uh, but he definitely, like, when he got to the races, he carried that edge, and, like, his North Carolina accent like bumped up a little bit and like <laughs> the chip on the shoulder got a little bit bigger, but he deserved it because he, he was gnarly. Like, yeah, I don't, I'm afraid kids, younger people that didn't get to see him race. Don't, they don't know. Well, they don't know how gnarly he was. They don't. And there's no way you can really change that. Like when I started working with RV, like I would relate, you know, success in motocross and things that you can do and, and how you kind of need to be like to Bradshaw, like the beast from the East, how gnarly he was. And he was like, that dude that raced arena cross. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. That guy. And I was like, uh, no, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. That's sad. I need to get him on this show to tell that story. Cause he was a savage. I remember <clears throat> Houston 93, my first Supercross. <laughs> See, your prior left a rag in my airbox. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> but I remember watching I didn't Damon. really know you, but I knew prior. Yeah. I knew your mechanic at the time. Um, I remember watching Damon on the floor and just being like blown away. It's just yeah, how aggressive yeah, he was like and his style. From and practice like, on. Oh. And in 93, that's when he really was kind of over it. And he wasn't even like in it at that point. Like, Mentally, he'd, he'd kind of withdrawn. So mm. <clears throat> Crazy. Um, all right. So once Dr. D retired, obviously your job went away. How did, how did you get connected? Button connected us. That wow. was a little bit weird because I felt like the next step for me was to maybe move in-house at Yamaha and be like a little bit more of like a full-time guy. Actually, I was. So backtrack a little bit. So from 92 going into 93 was when Yamaha got their semi. Mm. And instead of disrupting the relationships and everything, 
they just brought Doug back in as full factory. And they brought me in as now I'm like factory guy. And I got mm. like the team. I was like included like more. Yeah. Like you got all the kind of benefits except for maybe the check. It wasn't as big as some of the others. Yeah. But um, so we did 93 in the semi. And again, here I was the mechanic, factory mechanic in the semi with a BMX bike upstairs. Yeah. So when we were traveling to the races, I had something to ride and go, you know, do my thing. Yeah. You know, when other mechanics were maybe going to dinner and then to the bar later and, you know, doing that stuff, that wasn't me. Like, I met other riders in towns that we were going racing in and became friends with them. And every year when I'd go back, we'd meet up and ride, ride street at night yeah. or, you know, whatever the case was. So I did that in 93. And then at the end of 93, they weren't going to re-sign Doug and they just didn't have a spot. So, mm. and that's kind of like Brian Pryor and Jimmy Button and a couple other guys started connecting you and me and, and, that was kind of cool. Like I just, I remember just flying to Arizona and you guys picked me up and I was your mechanic. Like yeah, it just, I know. It was like that easy. To like, me, it wasn't that big a deal. I was stoked because Button's like, oh yeah, this guy's legit, dude. This is what you need, you know, because I love Brian Pryor, but he was not, he was an old racer. He could put stickers on. Yeah. Like we joke all the time. He's all, dude, your stickers look so good all the time. Yeah, always. Anything past that, he goes, I don't know what I was doing, but, um, <clears throat> but yeah, you just, I feel like I scored, but you were probably downgrading big time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm but, going for fact to y'all. I, I, feel, I feel like that's one of maybe my strengths. I never like took on this role where I had a chip on my shoulder to where I was like, well, I can't do that because that's beneath me. Mm. Anything I've ever done in this industry, no matter what level rider I've worked with or worked on a bike or done whatever, I treat them all with the respect that, that they deserve and that everybody's just trying to be the best they can be. You know, mm. not not every guy is going to win races like Jeremy when I was working with Jeremy. You know, different guys are going to have different yeah. struggles. Yeah. And But it doesn't mean they're not trying, you know. So you just, you give everything that you have and that you know, and sometimes it works, sometimes it's, yeah. it doesn't. And, 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 I, and, you know, as you and I talked a little bit, uh, about this on the way up that you did so much for me that year because you i believe had, it huh you better believe it <laughs> it's true i mean for real I, I give you anyone that asks i give you a lot of credit i had the crappiest bike the year before just tossed together with random parts you, you we still make fun of that bike you know as yeah. much as we do my mountain bike my, <laughs> your my first one with specialized your specialized hard ding, ding, rock ding, ding. with little two inch elastomers your walmart edition specialized i was pumped on it yeah so you were you know until you met me yeah and then you weren't but, you get me all bummed out on it. But, but yeah, like we met up, we we hooked up, we were hanging out. Um, we started looking at stuff and your dad's like, yeah, we've got this carburetor's got this flow and it's got this intake. And then this guy did the cylinder and we got, you know, he was like, tell me all the stuff. And as it was going in one ear, I was just like, really? This is terrible. <laughs> so the first thing that we did is we got back to California and we drove over to Pro Circuit and we went and we talked to Mitch. And I'm like, this kid rips. We need a good motor. And Mitch is like, no problem. Do you remember the day we went and tested their bike? And then we got the B2 ignition from Buzzard and we were good to go. 
<laughs> we we went with Buddy Morgan. You remember this? He yeah. they had they had a one twenty five Suzuki. We're, we're into Pyrite. We went to Pyrite, mm-hmm. our old t- best ridiculous track, best track in SoCal. <laughs> ridiculous test track that we used. And Buddy Morgan's leading us. I think we were in maybe our box van or a truck. And as we're passing Bill's pipes, because Bill did my pipes yeah. like that, and he goes, Say hi to Bill. And remember he <laughs> held up a sign. <laughs> Such a dick. But that Pro Circuit customer setup was so much better than what I well, had. It was, it was it was a solid foundation, and it was consistent. Yeah. So. Well, anyway, not just that, but, uh, you know, everything from what to do at the races. I, I just had so much trust in you because you knew what you were talking about. Yeah. You I'd, know, a year before, I was just well, lost. Frick, I'd done three years as a factory guy. <laughs> so, anyway, that was big for me. Uh, and I want to also... Like you said, you became my dad basically because I moved out of graduated high school, moved out here. I was living with you and Miriam. Yeah. You guys were like mom and dad. Yeah. She'd make us dinners. Like, I don't, I think I just took it for granted because I was 18. I just assumed you went from mom and dad to mom and dad. (laughs) So, no, and and that's the way it was. Like, you know, when I took on that role and I was going to help somebody, like, and I I still do it to this day. Like, I feel like the, you know, the amateur kids that I work with, they, they become my kid, dude. Like, yeah. And I just want to give them everything that I know and everything that I have, yeah. you know, all my time and like everything, because I want them to be successful and do yeah. the best that they can. So, well, I appreciated it. I mean, I appreciate it now. Now I, I hope that maybe not so much. I was then. probably a dick back then and <laughs> didn't say thank you enough. So, you know, I really did appreciate it and we had fun. Uh, so, you know, and getting getting ready for this show, I was thinking back, man, like, because Phil lived with us when we first came in. Mm-hmm. Until he bought the house across the street. <laughs> and then he moved out, spread his wings and spread bought the house. Spread his wings and moved across the street. <laughs> but the stuff, man, we had so much fun uh, playing roller hockey out in the street. Do you remember how much we used to play that? Yeah. Uh, no teams, one-on-one. Just whatever. Yeah, uh, Auto Dave and Long Dave and all those neighborhood kids. Mm-hmm. Um, pennies. Remember, we had a foosball table foosball in your table. house. Yeah. And it was like every night, it was serious. And by business. the way, Ping does not know how to play. He just gets lucky. <laughs> he just flings I get it lucky and it goes. over and over and <laughs> over. And like Ricky says, I'd rather be lucky than good any day. <laughs> but we would pay, play for pennies, which mm-hmm. means the loser had to pull his shirt off. The winner got to take a penny and throw it at his back as hard as he could. And if you got it to land flat, you just leave an Abe Lincoln and it would sting. Sting. It was, yeah. And that was there were some holes in your wall from somebody getting mad and throwing stuff. Pretty sure that was you. Could or could not have been me. <laughs> uh, what about, I remember when I broke my femur. Was I still living with you? I guess I must have been still living yeah, with you. Yeah, because you were on the couch and I was riding your practice bike. Yes. That pissed me. That did piss me off. He would... I broke this. This was the one I broke my wrist, even on my yeah. Suzuki. Yeah. He goes through my bike, top to bottom, bottom end, new graphics, new everything. It's titties. And I'm broken in a cast, can't do anything. And you're like, hey, we go riding today. <laughs> took, my, <laughs> took my bike out and just went motoring. Let's God, back weird. up a little bit to the beginning of that year when we, okay, so you broke your wrist. And who other than Sean Palmer was around? Right? So you were like this kind of clean cut kid straight out of Arizona. Mom and dad took you to the races your whole life. Yeah. Next thing you know, you're surrounded by Sean Palmer's <laughs> of the world who are like 
Yeah. Drinking whiskey at seven in the morning and winning snowboard world championships and clown haircuts and Sid Vicious and it was a sh- it was a culture shock for and me. limo Cadillacs painted green and all this other stuff was going on around and Sean wants to race Supercross. So I'm yeah. stealing your ignitions for his bike. <laughs> you know, we're driving to Seattle. And you're pissed off, dude. So mad. I remember. Well, whatever. I, I mean, <laughs> like I said, your perspective at 18, 19, 20 is much different than it is. Now. Yeah, it changes. I love Palm. I, he and I are still friends. I'm, you know. You weren't so much when I let him pit with us at San Jose. <sighs> Was I mad? Really? You were here to be serious. <laughs> he was not. <laughs> he was there to jump the finish line. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. I don't remember being that upset about it. Uh, I do. That's funny. Anyway, we had fun times. What mm-hmm. about? So I broke. I'm laying on the couch with a broken femur, and Goat Brecker, Goat Brecker comes, comes over, over, and he's got this old school electronic muscle stimulator mm-hmm. where you it was like two little. There are pads. a dozen now, but yeah. back then, like yeah, it was a big contraption with these two pads you laid on the floor. And you idiots are putting your feet on them and seeing who could take the most yeah, voltage. And your feet heat. are like cramping and like totally arched over. And then we're doing it on our face. <laughs> and pink cat moves. So then we're doing it on You're pain. putting it on my feet. I'm like, stop. Ah! <laughs> Freaking out on you guys. <clears throat> and then the worst thing we did, we had a dart board in your garage. This was Pedersen. I don't know if it was Pedersen's Pedersen was deal. around. What, was it Goat's idea? Well, Goat's idea. Goat was the one that brought in Ben Gay. Ben Gay line. <clears throat> Um, we decided to make the Bengay line. But if you went to Goat's house, you did the pit bike race if, at night. If you were the loser, it was Bengay. <laughs> <clears throat> so basically every bet at that point. You and Chad bet for the GFI Supercross That's preseason right. thing. Yeah. Whoever doesn't win, Bengay. You know, we had a Bengay line for darts. Yeah, it, it was, was a just... regular dart line. And then about <clears throat> 10 feet back further was the Bengay line. You got one dart. One dart. Loser Ben Gay. <laughs> Lowest score had to take a glob of Ben Gay and smear it on his nuts. <laughs> <laughs> we were idiots. We maybe need to do that more now with some of these kids. That was pretty fun. All right. So uh, <laughs> we also had a good time in Montana. We would go up there for the summers. The freestyle and, uh, skis. The freestyle skis. <laughs> we pulled out because we water ski up there. We live right on the Missouri River, my folks do. And we found these from probably the 70s little trick freestyle skis that were well, three feet long yeah something but like no that. fins on the bottom perfectly flat with like beveled edges up so you could do spins if you knew what you're doing we're just out there like clacking our knees together we had fun up there mm-hmm. okay so the following year we actually did good that that year you did good bunch of top um, fives I, yeah i remember being between motos at troy ohio and mitch rolls up and he's like you want to ride for me next year and your jaw dropped. You were just like, barely could even ride the second moto. But I'm like, yes, he does. <laughs> he's trying to say yes. And he's like, come to the shop when you get back. So, well, dude, at that point. If you look at what we did, because I only had money to go to, we went to five nationals. Mm-hmm. The first one, I got stuck in the first turn at Red Bud. You remember I had that? to get your bike out. Yeah. Got cleaned out at Unadilla by Rhino. Which That's is still weird. Still a highlight in the That's terra weird. firma video. <laughs> and then we did, but then we did, uh, what were the other ones? Millville. Washougal. Millville, Millville, Troy, and Washougal. And I got two fifths, and I don't know how I did it at Millville. 
Yeah, I don't but like if you went out in your first five and we got a couple top fives, that's pretty good. Privateer, you know, we just got motors from Mitch. Like you were just this new kid, you know that you were coming in. You yeah. had good corner. You had good corner speed. And that summer, man, like I just remember having a ball driving around. Like I, some of my favorite racing memories were just at the time it probably seemed like a a lot of pain in the ass. I mean, it's always kind of a grind, but. I, I thought we had a good time because yeah. we, we had good friends across the country and we'd stay at their houses between races and we just enjoyed it. Like, yeah. it was fun. I remember playing cards with Kenny Watson and Sean, uh, Sean and Skip Norfolk and it was a fun time. Super mm-hmm. fun time. All right. So we go to PC the next year together. What stands out in your mind from that year? <laughs> give, me good the, or bad. Give, give me the good and the bad. Good or bad. Let's hear um, it. Well... It started rough because I went into Mitch's office to talk about my contract for the next year. And I walked out because I wasn't going to do it for that amount of money. And be on the road that much, like we had that Kodiak fifth wheel. And he did not pay a lot. I got made 25 grand. And then, well, that was a lot more than I was getting. Really? <laughs> so, oh, man. So, I wouldn't have done it either. Yeah, see what I'm saying? So we went back and we chatted and you're like, all right, I'll kick in. Well, that's then, right. I did. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so you were legit and we went to go racing. And then a couple months later, Mitch is like, you are worth what you were asking. He didn't pay me that, but he did give me that oh, little bit I'm of not, credit. I'm not going to pay it. <laughs> I'm not going to pay it, but <laughs> I'll say you it do a good you. job. Um, I thought it was good. Like I thought 95, like you rode well. Um, you ended up, was it San Jose? You won that year. Um, Podium at the last race in Vegas, too. But the beginning, outdoors, maybe not so great. Um, well, and this, you know, I get asked this question a lot. is like some of your biggest regrets. And that, that, the decisions I made in my personal life, again, should have listened to you more. That was a huge, like, I wish I could get that one back. Yeah, but because I remember you putting stuff on the, you were so frustrated that summer. I I tell everybody I retired you out of being a mechanic. Not a were, bad thing. I had a good time afterwards. You were over it. Um, I, yeah, I was over it. But I remember much. maybe it was Unadilla and you put something on the board. I was battling with Steve Herman. You remember that? <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that? I do. Not that. No, no. I don't knock. remember what I put, but I do remember. No knock on him, but. I was, you know, no, a, that dude was as a team guy. I should have been that you, you rode for pro circuit and yeah. he didn't, <laughs> you know, so yeah, you didn't say nice things no, and you, you were, shouldn't have, you were in a position to where you could have done very, very yes. well. And, and a couple of decisions that you made that we talked about early on, you went ahead and went that route. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it is what it is. You live and learn. You were young. Um, it was just you, experience. And, you know, like I asked Mitch the same question. I laugh. I said, you got to feel like you're watching the same movie over and over because these young kids come in, they get this hot girlfriend and you're like, Hey, you should probably not, you know, focus on this. That stuff can come later. And they always, they probably always tell you the same thing. You it's, know, like, yeah, there's a kind of a groundhog day out there. There really is. It's just a shame because as a kid, you can't see it. You can't, you just mm-hmm. can't see it. And that's got to be frustrating for you. A guy who's trying to coach or train a guy. Mm-hmm. Or Mitch, a guy who's trying yeah. to help his... I'd say, you know, since I've been training guys, I've, I've been pretty lucky. Like, most of the guys that I've, I've worked with have been pretty dedicated and serious about what they're doing. I mean, if their parents are putting the money in to, to, to pay me to be there for their kid, 
Um, they've been pretty good. I mean, you still have like, you know, the phone call where I can't make a track today because X, yeah. you know, whatever. And you expected that phone call, you mm -hmm. know, because you kind of know. Um, but for the most part, it, it's, you know, it's been pretty, obviously it's been pretty good because I love this industry. I love going to the track. I've been doing it for a long time. And every day when I go to the track, like I'm having a good time. I love watching the guys ride dirt bikes. I love watching guys prog progress and, and, uh, you know, at whatever level they're at, have some success with yeah. that. So, you know, that's what keeps me going still all the time. So, all right. That summer sucked. You were over it. I knew it midway through that summer. You over it. And you had started riding mountain bikes more with Paul. You guys were out mm. kind of getting into downhill. Actually, I hadn't yet. That summer? I thought we all had gone to Big Bear a couple we, times. Uh, well, later that summer we did. Okay. I remember like what triggered it was obviously you weren't doing that well. Um, I sucked that The summer. pay wasn't, you know, yeah. putting a 401k away for me to, you know, buy houses and retire. So I was with Dave Castillo. We're at Redbud in, in my room and watching TV and a downhill mania race came on and it was like an open race. You didn't have to be pro to race it. It was just whoever went, but all the best guys race it. It'd be like Jimmy Kite and Joe Lawwell and Darren Stockton and mm -hmm. like Robert Naughton, you know, people listen to this might know who that yeah. is. <clears throat> and I was a BMX rider and I was watching this, these races and I'm like, I could do that. Like, there's no reason I couldn't be good at that. I wasn't saying I was going to go beat Brian Lopes, you know, in three weeks, but I felt I could do that pretty yeah. well. <clears throat> and Castillo's like, yeah, you could. <laughs> Let me get you hooked up with Amp Research and get you a bike and you can try to race next year. So, like, hit the fast forward button a little bit and getting home and... Pro Circuit shop was right next to Troy Lee shop. So at lunch from working on your bike, I went over and I sat at Troy's desk and I'm like, hey, will you help me with helmets? I'm going to race pro downhill next year. And he looked at me and he's like, you're going to do what? He's like, do you even ride mountain bikes? And I'm like, well, I ride BMX, <laughs> kind of the same. And he was doing group rides on Wednesday nights at that time. Yeah, I remember those. And I went that Wednesday and like I manual like the whole street coming back and we got back and he's like, whatever you need, like, you know, Troy, like yeah. that's what it takes. As long as you do something cool. Yeah. He's in. Yeah. So then I had helmets. I was still working on getting bikes and all the other stuff, but that was kind of when I made the choice. Like I was going to finish the 95 season with you and I was no longer going to be a mechanic. I was going to race mountain bikes the next year. Yeah. Like that's I a pretty big like leap. Although <laughs> if you're not making hardly any money, guess maybe it's not but yeah but i mean how many people go from mechanic to yeah i'm, I'm gonna go race world cups in europe next year with <laughs> not a lot of people <laughs> not a lot of people would believe you know they can pull that i might not have been the best guy but i made all my finals so yeah <clears throat> no so it was good like like you had to petition to be a pro at the time and you know i did after you were done with the season and i was free from going to the shop with mitch i'd did some amateur cup races on an old bike that I had. And, you know, I was podium and won a couple of them. And, and a downhill mania came up. I knew I was going to need a better bike. Um, I'd been riding with Sean Palmer at the time because he wanted to race moto. 
but he used the mountain bike to train and he wasn't really going to race. But after we did it a couple of times, he's like, well, maybe I'll race too. <laughs> so he hooked up with Jeff over at Intense. Yeah. And then I was riding, since he is like so forward, you know, we kind of went in there and I was friends with Metzger. So I took his bike from Jeff's shop. So I was riding that at Snow Summit and like doing whatever and blowing the shock out every other run or whatever. Mm. And then, so me and Sean were riding intense bikes and then we were going to go do this downhill mania race. Which was where? Where was this? Which downhill? was, it was in, it was in Tahoe. Okay. And it was open. We were expert riders, but it was kind of your chance to kind of show what you had. Mm-hmm. Well, next thing you know, Metz was like, I'm going to race it too. So he needed his bike. Now he didn't have a bike. So we go to Intense and I'm just kind of quiet, you know, sitting back. And Sean's like, he needs a bike. You got to build him a bike. And Jeff had just finished his prototype frame. Kind of a monocoque looking thing. And it was the M1 or something. No, right? it was it was before that. And oh. this was more of like a, a cross-country type. Like okay. not full downhill, but <clears throat> kind of a weird frame. And Sean's like, well, just build that up and let him race it. And Jeff's like, okay. <laughs> so we built this bike and I took it and I did better than the whole team. Like, Is that right? I did better than Sean. I did better than everybody. Like I got... Like, it was four at a time. Like, you had to qualify down to 32. There oh, was, that's right. There was a, wasn't EC kind of <clears throat> steering that ship? It was like four cross or something? No, calling? no, no, no. This was this was before four cross. Okay. But EC was one of the guys. Like, Lawwell was there. Like, yeah. Dave Cullinan was there. Like, you, I yeah. mean, you can go down the list. Like, yeah. it was pretty heavy. And then it was open. So, there was, there was like 180 people entered because it was all just experts or novices that just, you know. Just want to come were, wing yeah. it. Yeah. And me and Sean made it to the round of 32 which is when they start going head to head and there's four at a time and if you get down the hill in the top two you go to the next round if you don't you go home and i made it to the round of eight and no one else did and that's when jeff was like okay you're on the team so then i was a factory intense rider and we took sean's box man that he was using for racing and we converted it over and made it good for bikes and we started traveling and 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 for people that don't really know Sean Palmer's story. Obviously, a legend in snowboarding. He just, you drag him into this mountain bike thing, kind of. I dragged him into it. Like, I was going to go ride at Snow Summit, and I'm like, well, come up and ride mountain bikes with me. And he's like, I'm not going to pedal up there. There's no oxygen, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, dude, you get a lift ticket, and you just ride the trails down. He's like, no way. (laughs) So after that day, yeah, yeah, after that day, it was like. Then was it the next year? He ended up with a factory specialized ride. He had so, this bus, which we have a, a poster of. I so mean, that was that was the end of ninety five. So ninety six, we both rode for Intense. Okay. And he got he won a national, which is pretty gnarly. Wild, yeah, like pretty he gnarly. Went he flew over to Europe before I did, and got a seventh at a World Cup. Um. And we were very, very similar pace when we'd ride. Obviously, he knew how to race much better than I did, so he did better. Yeah. Like, our first national we did together, we were, like, 12th and 13th, like, one position apart. But he would just he was the guy that would end up being on the podium as we moved on. And, and uh, I thought we both did pretty well that year. And then he ended up switching over and going to Specialized, which was, like, the team and, you know, his 
pay from Fox went from like giving us gear to where they didn't even put logos on it for us at the time. There was no Fox bike at the time. It was just mm. Todd Hicks. Right. Just they hooking were, they you were up. hooking us up. And we kind of started Fox bike at the time. Cause then things started changing and you know, the pants changed a little bit and you know, kind of whatever. And then, but for 97, I moved over and I went to ride for Yeti for John Parker and teammate with Kurt Voorhees. And that just kind of opened a whole new ball of wax, <laughs> but, and then he was on specialized. So things is, we just started evolving a little bit at that point. And he was pretty amazing. Like how he could adapt to a sport though. Huh? Yeah. I mean, in gravity, obviously his thing, like yeah. he's used to going yeah, down there was a, things, but there was a lot of similarities and he was a really good BMX rider racer. He was really good moto. He was really good snowboard. Yeah. I mean, he grew up qualified for a supercross. Yeah. Qualified. Yeah. So yeah, he did a lot of things that kind of fit into his wheelhouse and, and he did well at it. Yeah, so for sure. in your mountain bike career, what were the highlights? Um, Well, that's not a good sign. <laughs> Riding Z50s in the pitch, maybe. Um, I know you guys had a good time. No, yeah, we did have a good time. The naked um, crit up at Big Bear? The naked crit was in Vermont, <laughs> oh, actually. All right. um, highlights, I mean, I, I raced. Like, dual slalom was my kind of my thing. I did much better on that side. Like, I was kind of a contender in there. Like, you know, never really for wins, but I was a top, you know, top 10 in points guy for mm. nationals and even World Cup stuff at the time. Um, downhill, I was good. Like I was a mechanic forever. Like I rode flatland BMX and I jumped in my first year racing. I was making finals at world cups. You know, my best world cup was like a 28th. Um, my best national, I got an eighth at mammoth and the kamikaze. So, um, not terrible. Yeah. But I mean, it wasn't, you were out doing I what you love yeah, and having and fun. Was, you yeah. got to live it. And, and, uh, no, it was fun. So you, so you don't regret any of that. I mean, that no, was, no, 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 yeah. no, no. I mean, and you know, and then we're probably going to fast forward a little bit, like once we get in with like Jeremy years and stuff, but I was racing in the summers then I was still going to world oh, cups. Oh, that's right. You know? Cause and, he was just doing soupy. And so obviously I wasn't really able to train, you know, I was at supercrosses every weekend and, and I was still making finals at world cups and I was still like kind of in the mix yeah. riding dual slalom and, you know, just really enjoying it and having fun. And, and I felt like I rode it at a pretty good level, mm. you know, for, for my past and what I'd done to develop to be a downhill rider, you know, were you, cause I went up and did a national at big bear when you I broke did. my femur. Were you riding for Yeti? That I was, year? No, I was riding for intent still. Oh, okay. Um, you came up and John Parker sponsored pro circuit. Yeah. So you had Yeti bikes yeah. and John Parker put you on one of his downhill bikes and you just jumped in and rode the pro class. Which you and can't I, even do anymore. They don't we, let you do Well, that. you really couldn't do it then, but, Obviously, he just John Parker had some yeah. strings he pulled in. So, yeah, you got on there. and I think I did okay, right? You like, did all right, yeah. Like, you made finals, and you were I in there. Was and, that know, was so, fun. Yeah. It is. It's a super fun sport. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, at what point, your next step was going back to work for Jeremy, right? Mm-hmm. So, how did that all so, so pan out? Um, And, again, like, I've never been one to go out and just be like, I've done this and this and this, so I can do this, I can do this, like, I'm not a toot my horn kind yeah. of guy. So <clears throat> I'm racing mountain bikes and we we finished up our 97 season. I was riding for Yeti. I had a contract to ride with him again um, with a option to kind of be the team manager for the team. Also take on a couple different roles, obviously be able to get paid a little bit more and, and do that. 
<clears throat> and then Larry Brooks calls me and he's like, what would it take for you to come back and be a mechanic? And I'm like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really think I want to go that route. Uh-huh. And he's like, what if I tell you I'm going to get a guy that can win races? Like he could win a Supercross title. And you remember Jeremy just. I'm trying to think. What year was that? 98? It was 98 that I worked for him. But it was 97 that so, he rode for Suzuki. Suzuki, okay. And it was, it was at the end of 97 when Larry called me. Okay. And he's like, well, think about it a little bit. And then he didn't tell you who it was. He didn't tell me who it was because it was still kind of in the works Uh because Larry Brooks was team manager for Chaparral. Just people that don't really know what was going on at the time. There was never a satellite team that had ever won a title. Right. A couple of privateers here and there had won a race here and there or whatever. Um, But it would be factory. So it was going to be Chaparral graphic kit. Under the Chaparral truck, Chaparral kind of program, but factory full, full bike. Factory bike, yeah. With everything, testing with Wyndham and the factory guys, you know, like you're at the test track with the factory guys. Like, if I was going to do this, I would be at Yamaha working out of the factory shop. You know, it was a full factory bike, full factory effort <clears throat> under the Chaparral truck. Chaparral was paying his salary, paying his bonuses, paying this, paying that. <clears throat> and so we started thinking about it, and it was like later that night. I'm like, "Were you going? Who could this be? Were you like kind of playing?" Well, and through? then later that night, I started thinking, "He's trying to get Jeremy." So I called Jeremy. Yeah, because you guys like, were buddies. Because Phil and Jeremy buddies. had been buddies forever. Yeah. And he's like, "Well, maybe we're talking about it." He's like, "I think I'm just going to go back to Honda." But I don't want to go back to Honda because if I go back to Honda and win, then it's because Honda. It's not because of Jeremy, mm-hmm. but dude, I went to Suzuki and like, they weren't testing and they weren't doing this and they weren't doing that. And it's like, and I left Honda who was like, they did everything to make everything the best. So he was kind of in a, at a crossroads cause he didn't want to go back and let it be Honda that won. Yeah. <clears throat> so we talked over the next couple of weeks. Um, I talked to Steve Butler at Yamaha and got his feelings about it. He's like, well, I don't know. Like it's still early, but McCarty was the one that was doing all the, like behind the scenes, Larry and Dave Dameron over at Chaparral were in talks. <clears throat> and then I actually flew cause my brother, Phil, he was riding for Chaparral in 97. Oh, that's right. So he was hurt. So Larry's like, well, why don't you come to still city and hang out with us? We'll go to dinner with Jeremy after the race, blah, blah, blah. But you know, Chaparral, they're not just making it rain over right, there. Right, right, right. So I used Phil's ticket because Phil was hurt, so he wasn't racing. So I flew to Still City on my brother's <laughs> flight. <laughs> <laughs> and we went to dinner with Jeremy, and he's like, and again, I'd worked at, at Yamaha for three years. Yeah. So I'd worked with Keith, I worked with the whole crew. So really, if you look at that like circle, between Larry Brooks, Chaparral, who had known Larry forever and ever, you know, what helped him on his bikes, like at different times or whatever, when he was a privateer. Sure. Then you had Jeremy over here, who Larry and Jeremy really didn't know each other. Jeremy didn't really know the Yamaha guys, you know, so it was kind of these three entities. 
but I knew you kind of tied I them knew all, all of them really, really well. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of that middle, like middle ground for that crew. <clears throat> and Jeremy's like, I don't know, dude, I think I'm just gonna go back to Honda. And I'm like, I'll tell you right now, Keith McCarty, Bob Oliver, John R, the guys over at Yamaha, they will do everything in their power to give you a bike that you can win on. It ain't going to be like what you just came from. Had he ridden the Yamaha at all? Nope. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. Just like like that. Just like that. There was that one dinner at Still City, and he's like, I'll do it. And then think of how much different that would have looked if he had gone back to Honda. And think about this. That was that was Yamaha's first Supercross title in 18 years. Is that right? They hadn't won Since, a Supercross title. Mike ooh, Bell or something. Far, yeah, yeah. Way, way back. Yeah, Bell in 1880. Yeah. Yeah, rest in peace, Mike Bell. Yeah. Wow. So. So that was it. That was it. So <clears throat> if you go back a little bit, like 97, when he went to Suzuki, I was going over to Canyon Lake and and we were going whiteboarding and doing some stuff that year. And he asked me to come over to Suzuki and be his mechanic. Or go to Honda. Like, he didn't know if he what he was going to do at the time. And I went and... I was like, well, maybe. Like, I might just race mountain bikes still. And he was like, well, see what you want to do. I ended up, I did go to an interview at Honda. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And uh, Cliff White said that Jeremy needs a mechanic, not a movie star. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Cliff White said that to you? <laughs> well, he said that to others after I left. So, a little bit hearsay, but... Um, huh, between Linus so and yeah, Cliff, you're not really know, leaving a good I, impression. No, I wasn't, right? <laughs> and uh, So, he ended up going to Suzuki, and I was like, well, okay, I'll be your mechanic. And I gave him a price. And he's like, I got a guy that'd do it for 10 grand less. And I said, good luck. That was Wyatt? I'm not saying. Oh, yeah. And so I kept racing. I just went and kept racing and he did his year at Suzuki. And then obviously we re-met up with the, the Chaparral deal. And, yeah. and So uh, Chaparral was paying your salary? It wasn't Yamaha? Um, Chaparral was paying my salary. And Jeremy's? And Jeremy's. And bonuses. So it was a pretty good deal for Yamaha. It was a real good deal for Yamaha. Mm-hmm. Huh. And Chaparral paid me a lot more than Yamaha did when I was there with Doug, too. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Still really. very good, but um, all right, hang tight. We're gonna get back to this. I'm gonna take a quick break. This is the TLD timeout. Stay tuned, we'll be right back with more Randy Lawrence. Dunlop, there is a reason every AMA championship in the past decade was won on Dunlop tires. They are the best. Choose the best performing tire and brand that has never wavered in their support of our sport. Choose Dunlop. Pro Circuit. Pro Circuit products are designed with one goal in mind, winning. Through passion and hard work, Pro Circuit has operated the most successful 250 team in the history of the sport. They use that same formula when developing exhaust, engine, and suspension parts for every brand. When only the highest level of performance is acceptable, trust Pro Circuit. Since 2009, Seat Concepts has been dedicated to making the best aftermarket seats. More comfort, more grip, more riding. 
10 years, we've continued to raise the bar. Innovation and American craftsmanship make seat concepts the world-leading manufacturer of power sports seats. At Nihilo Concepts, we have a passion for innovation and for motocross. Our mission is to develop parts that will improve the durability, functionality, and the appearance of your motorcycle. We're proud to say that everything from Nihilo is made in the USA in our state-of-the-art manufacturing facility in Stewart, Florida. Whether you race every weekend or you just ride for fun, Nihilo offers high-quality, innovative parts that you just won't find anywhere else. Nihilo offers custom engraved engine covers, one-piece titanium foot picks, brake tips, internal engine components, specialty tools, frame grip tape, carbon fiber components, and so much more. Check out our website, nihiloconcepts.com, and see for yourself why teams like Red Bull KTM, Rockstar Husqvarna, Troy Lee Designs, and some of the fastest riders in the world choose Nihilo Concepts. nihiloconcepts.com. Specialized Bicycles. Specialized leads the way in the world of bicycling. Whether it's cross-country racing, downhill, e-bikes, enduro, road, gravel, dual solemn, dirt jumping, or all mountain bikes that do it all. Specialized has the perfect ride for you. The brand is synonymous with engineering excellence and innovation that steers the industry. Visit your local Specialized dealer for a test ride and see just how good Specialized products are. OGO Power Sports. OGO has perfected the carrying case, motocross gear bags, helmet bags, boot bags, hydration packs, backpacks, and travel bags, to name a few, have all been meticulously engineered to maximize space and surpass durability standards that would make NASA proud. Simply the best. OGO Power Sports. Nish Intercom on. Follow me. Yeah, I'm going behind you. <laughs> Let's all hit it real close together. The Senna system is such an advantage. You turn them on and you can talk to each other. It just changes the whole game to communicate real time instead of saying, oh, come in, hey, that corner there. They're like right there, you know? It's definitely better than the old set. It's like you want to keep it a secret because it's such an advantage. It's going to help us. With a rich history in motocross, ProX has been dedicated to supplying quality components since 1975. Whether you're rebuilding an engine or just need a new chain, ProX Racing Parts aims to bridge the gap between OE quality and affordability. ProX has over 9,000 part numbers and over 60 different product types that are manufactured by highly reputable or even OEM suppliers and are offered at affordable prices to help keep riders on the bike instead of in the garage. Visit ProX.com to search parts for your bike or check them out at your favorite online or local dealer. Established in 1853, Motul has grown to become a recognized leader in lubricant technology. Riders from around the world trust Motul to deliver the endurance and performance needed to compete at the highest level. Currently, the official oil and lubricant partner of the Chaparral FXR Honda team, as well as the AJE Motul Gas Gas Racing. 
Ricky Brabeck piloted his Honda HRC using Motul products become the first ever American to win the Dakar Rally in 2021. With a complete product line for your motorcycle, ATV, UTV, side-by-side, street bike, and automobile, Motul continues to push new technology developments, utilizing our patented Ester Core technology to offer the best balance of performance and protection. Continue to power your passion with Motul oils and lubricants found at a power sports dealer near you. I'm on vacation every single day because I love my occupation. Hey, hey, I'm on vacation. If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it. Welcome back from the TLD timeout. Get over to TorleyDesigns.com. Check out everything they've got going on here for 2021. Their new line, the first rollout is out. Uh, the paint, paint department is here and firing. Uh, if you need name and number, you want a full custom design, just a couple pinstripes, man, they can do whatever you want. Also, their full line of 2021 mountain bike stuff is out, and it is awesome. Those guys lead the way in that industry. So uh, check out Troy Lee Designs. And also, I want to mention while we're coming back in, we have a new partner that came online this week, Motul Oils. Um, like I said, I'm very particular about who we kind of allow into this circle, and I've worked with Motul a little bit in the past with their products. Love them. Have, I just really, really love them. If you're into <laughs> MotoGP, F1, those guys are very prominent in those very high-end, high-level motorsports. So... I know the quality's there. They've got a great group of guys there working, making a big push here in the States now. A couple of teams that they're they're sponsoring. You're going to see that a lot more going forward this season. So we're stoked to have Motul on board. And uh, you're going to hear more about those products as we get going. But just wanted to welcome them to the team. Stoked to have them. Uh, RL. All right. Yes, so, sir. So you get that put together with Jeremy. Uh, tell me how that came together. Let's, uh, let's back up a little bit because we're going to get into some stuff in the Jeremy era that started before. Okay. Z50s. <laughs> Z50s. So, if you look back, um, I was working for you yep. at PC. Yep. And Ali CMR shows up at a race, and he is Wyndham's mechanic. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was the year before I was with you, but he had a Z50. And he was like, not the smallest guy in the he's world. He's a huge dude. Pretty he's a big guy. Now, but he's riding wheelies around the parking lot on a Z50. Right? He was doing circles. I remember that. And like the bear on the mini bike in a circus. Yeah. Kind of deal. <clears throat> and it was like, oh, that's kind of cool. So then we started riding them a little bit more. A couple more people bought them. Emig ended up with like four of them. Jeremy ended up with like three of them. And we wanted to have like these little races. And you probably remember like the first like official, unofficial Z50 race was in Mitch's backyard. Mm-hmm. And it was like a U-shaped track. And we had, I'd say, 20-something riders. <laughs> and you can go down the East and West Coast lights list of yeah. who was there. It was a national. I wish that was better documented. <laughs> and I just bought Allie's old 50 from him because he got a new one. And I had to re-put the shocks back on because they would just, like, pop off because they weren't, like, on there very well. Mm-hmm. Like, the shafts were broke or something. And um, it was like you, Phil, Emig, Rhino, Rhino, Budman. I mean, literally go down the list. Yeah. And just so you know, I won that race. Did you? There was 20-something riders. Like, we had to do heats because there was only 10 bikes. 
And this is when Davy Coombs was going to start Racer X. Uh-huh. It was a newspaper. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't yet. So the very first cover of Racer X newspaper was Mean Rhino from that race in uh, Mitch's backyard. Okay. And I won the race, but Rhino had other ideas and wanted to fight about it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds shocking. <laughs> Not weird. I can't believe that. So, so it kind of started like it started getting a little serious at that point. Like, but they were all stock. Nobody could change the bars. Yeah. Next thing you know, Emmett has a set of bars on his, and then Jeremy has a set of bars on one of his, and then somebody's got to do this to it. Somebody's got to do this to it. And they were still Z50s, which they weren't really getting modified, but they were getting a little bit bigger for the guys to ride. And, yeah. And uh, next thing you know, like, I'm sitting at home. We got a couple Z50s in the garage, and we were going to go ride BMX at Cottonwood. Me and Kurt, who was my teammate on Yeti at the time. Kurt Voorhees, yep. And we put our bikes in the truck, and he's like, wait a minute. Let's leave our bikes home. Let's take our 50s. Because a couple weeks before that, and I, I want to give him credit because it's due, Dave Cullinan was at my house, and he jumped a couple of the jumps in my backyard. Remember I had dirt jumps behind mm-hmm. my fence? Mm-hmm. He did a couple of the jumps on the Z50. We were kind of tripping. Like, it was pretty cool. So then we were going to go to Cottonwood and ride, and Kurt's like, let's take our 50s. And Cottonwood was much bigger Yeah. at the time. Um, so Phil's like, I'll bring my camera. So we go there, and we're kind of jumping everything, like making the berms and like having some fun with it. And there was a big jump in the middle. It was like a 25-footer. Went, Went over the, the tree branch? Was it that No, one? that was oh. pretty small. Okay. Just the one in the middle. <clears throat> and I'm like, we need to jump that. And Phil was like, the Z50 won't make it. It's not fast enough. I'm like, dude, if you click third and just like have your momentum and kind of push through, you're going to get over this thing. So I jumped it that day. We had it on film. So we started thinking because a couple of Krusty Demons of Dirt videos already came out. Yep. So I'm like, we need to do a segment with Z50s for one of these videos. So we decide where you're going to do a little bit of a bidding war on who was going to get the Z50 segment, but nobody had ever done it. So they really weren't that into it. I called Todd over at Fox cause they were doing all the terra firma stuff and Z50s were kind of blown up at the time because Emic had, had a track in his yard. And everybody well, was just well, riding. That one, was that in Krusty or Moto Triple X? Which one where he had his, we had that little oval race in his backyard. That must've been Krusty too. Maybe a little bit before or okay. yeah, I think it might've been Moto Triple X. I'm not sure. I but, can't remember which But one he was. had a little race in his yard around a track, but then we took him to the jumps. So I called Todd over at, Fick, over at Fox, and I was like, me and Kurt, and we were riding for Fox at the time for Yeti or whatever, and it was like, we want to do a segment for the next Terra Firma on our Z50s. Would you guys be into it? And he's like, no, nah, probably not. Okay. So I called Dana Nicholson. And I'm like, we're riding our 50s at the jumps. Well, let's do a segment for Krusty 3. He's like, you think there's enough to do a full segment? And I'm like, well, why don't you come out here? We'll go to Cottonwood and watch and see what you think. But if we do a segment, when we're done, we want new 50s because they're going to get hammered. So he came out the next day, and we started trying 360s. And, oh, geez. You know, And then Kurt double jumped with Dana on the back, and then I was jumping the big one, and... 
we we started ripping around and Dana was like, let's do this. This is pretty <laughs> sick. <clears throat> so then like it was full on, like we were just like, okay, we're filming. And Jeremy had a couple of 50s. So we just started rallying everybody together <clears throat> and finding different spots to ride and doing this and that. And then Nicholson, he's like, there's this lake jump by the test tracks that we could jump into on the 50s. I think it'd be pretty sick. So we go out there and <clears throat> we got Jeremy's lake jump ramp that he had. And we go out and we set this ramp up like next to this, like basically a cliff. <clears throat> and there's nowhere to put kickers on the ramp or anything to keep it from like flipping. And you're coming down and it's a little bit soft. So you, we kind of had to wear in like a little bit of a turn going into the lip. What lake? It's not a lake. Oh. <laughs> Where are you jumping? <laughs> it was into? like a pond. Okay. Dude. Like <laughs> Ben Nicholson thought it was a lake, I guess. So it was, it was like five feet deep. Oh. Like you could stand on the bottom. But it was it was twenty feet down from just the edge of where the Gotcha. Well, Kurt Vory's on the cover. I I don't think I've seen him. I have to look at Hanging this picture. off the edge of the thing. So we're there. I got a life vest underneath my like shirt or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I size it up a few times and then Dana's like, Dude, if you want to do this, you don't have to do it. And remember he's like the crazy snowboard like yeah but it was pretty like it was pretty gnarly like and i'm like well we're here i'm just gonna send it and i just came in and i turned and went off and everything went as calculation perfect i was in the air launched the bike landed in the water got out everything was good so now kurt's up well kurt's the idiot right yep he doesn't do anything right <laughs> <laughs> so he comes around hits the turn almost falls off the bike he's back behind the back of it whiskey throttles like your show off the lip feet coming off the back oh no and he's hanging off one hand <laughs> off the thing <laughs> he makes it about two feet into the water at the bottom of the cliff oh my gosh like he did everything you could do wrong and lived and got the cover he got the cover <laughs> Uh, I was a little bummed about that. Story I mean, it's good. Life. Yeah. It's the story of my life, right? Like Coley said, you do everything good that ain't going to make any money. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so there was that, and and uh, we rode the Baldy Pipe on him, and that's like the picture of the CD for Krusty 3, and and uh, we just kept going and going, and, you know, other people got involved with the 50. You can look at the Z50 section on, yeah. on Krusty, and it, that's kind of where things really hit ahead because those videos were selling like hotcakes at the time and everybody was watching them, you know, worldwide. Yeah. That ended up being the number one selling motorcycle in the world. They sold like 40,000 Z50s that year. Is that right? So it was a, that's kind of where the mini bike thing really started. Yeah. It was before they even made it. Yeah. And then you and I actually don't have anything in my notes here, but you and I both got into that pretty heavy when mm -hmm. the, when the pit bike racing yeah, stuff started. Yeah, that's going to, we'll talk that's about That's what it. I was saying. That's why I wanted to kind of backtrack a little bit and yeah. get that in there. Cause there, you know, it's an evolution. <clears throat> All right. So you, you, Jeremy puts this deal together to ride for Chaparral. You sort it out and you're going to do it. I sort it out. We agree to do it. <clears throat> um, obviously I talked to Yeti said, look, I'm not going to be racing anymore. So 
I wouldn't be, do the team manager or racing thing. Um, I made a commitment to go back into moto, work with Jeremy, and and uh, that's just kind of where we're headed. And Jeremy's plan at that time was do Supercross and outdoors. Um, so we jump in and and I mean we start testing right away with the Yamaha guys and everything seemed pretty good, like going well. We that bike was really good. Well. I don't know if it was right it, away. You it, tell me. It, but. it got there. Um, and the 98 one, definitely not as good as 99. Mm. They changed a lot of the motorcycle that year. Um, but 98, we started testing. Everything was going great at the test track. You know, the other riders were happy. Jeremy was happy. We went over to Europe and did a couple of those races that we had done in the past with you. And, and uh, dude, he kept falling. On the exit of the corners, he would just lose the front wheel. Mm. And tip over like button one jeremy got smoked so button was celebrating drinking bottles of wine because he won and jeremy was pissed was drinking his sorrows away and changed the whole night but um we came back from from that race and had a meeting at yamaha and was like we need to figure something out um one of the things that we figured out is is uh when jeremy was racing his eyes are up exiting corners to see like the next section and he wasn't focused on that front wheel it better do what it needs to do so i can do my job mm -hmm. and he was just losing the front wheel so that's kind of when we started a lot with you know minutes on the races and forks up and down and you know moving the head angles around you know moving the engine up and down in the chassis and and then the big sprockets in front have bigger sprockets in the back the way it changes the way relation into it just changes the way the bike works yeah. and, and we really didn't have a lot of racing to really figure that out but it was just a feeling that we could get at the test track and we did the chaparral classic christmas classic at Glen helen mm -hmm. and he won there were some good guys there. It was kind. Of, it kind of took over where the GFI pre-race, the Invitational, yeah, yeah. Le left off. And he felt good about it, so we went into LA, Cos LA Coliseum with that setup, and and uh, he ended up on the podium. With Tortelli won that race, his first one. Yeah, I was trying to think. Didn't Tortelli win the first one, and then did Albi win the second one? Because they well, were Jeremy both. <laughs> they were both kind of muddy, right? Uh, LA was muddy. I'm not sure because wasn't Houston was the next one. So that's usually... Man, I can't really remember. All right. But Albertine might have won that one. Um, but he was right there. Like, Jeremy was okay. kind of... He was kind of in the mix. He was in the ballpark. Um, he wanted more. We went to Phoenix. He got beat by half a second as we were past him right at the end. Mm. And he was pissed. Like, it was... It was game time. And then we went up to Seattle, and he won Seattle, like, pretty handily. And then I wouldn't say it was the perfect, perfect season, but, you know, he went on a stint where he got four in a row in that season. And, you know, he started feeling like Jeremy again mm -hmm. and he was getting the starts and he was putting the bike where he wanted it to be. And, and obviously we're testing during the week, you know, making these small changes, making it a little bit better, something a little bit more comfortable. And then Detroit, um, was it even Detroit then? It must've been, a. Pontiac mm. at the time. Mm -hmm. 
he came out of corner early in the race and messed up, went over the bars and snapped the bars off the bike. And we had to push it back. But he had a, a sizable lead in the in the championship. So he was good there, but he hurt his wrist mm-hmm. a little bit. Like, it didn't seem that bad. Went to Charlotte the next weekend, got a 14th. Something happened. I don't really remember what happened, except for Jack came into the truck after and said, get rid of that bike and build a new one. Because we don't want that bike at the track again. Because it was the same one you rode at Pontiac. We just put new bars on it. Mm-hmm. Um so there might have been another race, but then going into Dallas, he had to get, he had to finish one position in front of, or behind, like if Ezra won, he had to get second. If Ezra got second, he had to get third. Like he had to finish right on to Ezra. To wrap the title to up? To wrap up the title, and that would have been early. <clears throat> um, and he did. Like he rode Dallas great, and, and uh, he said his feet got hot. So obviously he was kind of stressed and intense during that race and got a little feet bit tired. Got hot. That's, that's when he would tell me, whenever he told me his feet got hot, he got tired. Huh. That was his way of telling me he got tired. Um, but what yeah, the he, hell does that even mean? My his feet, feet got, got hot. hot. <laughs> <What's that mean? laughs> Don't your feet ever get hot? But I mean, like, I, I mean, guess at a, at a national in the summer when it's a hundred. But I guess you hadn't won a 450 title either, so. <laughs> My feet got hot. I've never heard that. So that's what he said. He came in from racing, and we were all super stoked. And and uh, cool. Yeah, well, he wrapped up the title. And so this is you obviously want to race with Doug, but then getting this title. Yeah, that, I want to race with you. Want to race with Doug, and then coming in with Jeremy with all the mixed emotions. You know, a new team, satellite team. He was on Suzuki. He ended up second in that series. You know, cut his heel, had some clutch issues. Like there were some things that happened that year, and. What was crazy is people just didn't give him the credit for the four titles that he had already won. Mm-hmm. Like, he pretty much decimated the field for, I mean, how many years? And 97 didn't go his way, like, for sure. Yeah, but if you go back and maybe you're privy to some of this stuff, but listen to DeCoster's show here, the things that he told us that went down with Wyatt and that bike, Jeremy should have won that title. Easy. Easy. No problem. Yeah, yeah. So, so there was issues that were going on. And I know, I know some of those stories. Those are, Roger brought those out, so that's good. Um, yeah, he was able to regroup and and win. And like like I said in the beginning of the, this part was, Larry said, "I got a guy that can win," mm. and he was right. Like when I knew it was Jeremy, I'm like, he can win. Like, and we did have some talks. Like, you know, again, your your choices and you know after hours and things like that you got to be focused around what you're trying to do. And, and he knew that like he'd won plenty of times before. So he did his job. You know, we all did our jobs and, and it worked out really well. Jeremy seemed to be really good. Obviously he was ridiculously talented, but he was really good at, you know, Mitch always says time and place. There's a time and place to go drink and have fun with your buddies, celebrate or whatever, mm-hmm. or just blow steam off. But there's also a time and a place to work, you mm-hmm. know, and, and do the things you need to do. And yeah. he seemed to be really good at that. Well, and and if you look at the trend, and I'm sure we're going to get into all this stuff too, like guys try, they just try to become a robot and they don't have any fun anymore. And those are the guys that are are ready to retire and then they're not having the greatest results and, you know, just weird things are going on and and you don't know why. It's, you know, they're they're just not having fun anymore. Mm -hmm. And one of the things Jeremy said to me before I worked for him, he said, I want somebody 
that knows how to do the job that I can hang out with. And we did just that. Like we were watching like BMX videos in the truck, you know, on race day, mm-hmm. watching dudes send it like Dave Muir and like all those guys, like watching their videos. And, and, uh, we were riding BMX during the week. Like he was training, but we were like, having we'd get, fun. We get the other Yamaha guys or like other team guys. And, and we were going to the BMX track sometimes and, and having our own motocross rider race, mm-hmm. you know, we knew the guy that ran the track. So he was like, motocross guys are here tonight. We're going to do a race with these guys. And, you know, we got to race each other. So we were going to dirt jumps and going to sheep hills and going to cottonwood and like riding Z fifties. And, and, uh, but he was putting the work in. And he was, yeah. he was putting the work in yeah. and, and, you know, one guy I, I hadn't mentioned yet is as we were getting into making this transition to quit racing mountain bikes and go back to work with Jeremy. Um, when I was racing mountain bikes, we had, uh, like a team trainer. Like it was like a team masseuse. And Corey. Corey. Mm. So Corey was doing a really good job for us there, you know, doing that stuff. And he knew a ton about training. Like he had all the classes, like all that stuff. And, and again, he may have been one of the earlier ones to start bringing us out of our hillbilly state <laughs> and, and start understanding some things. Yeah. He knew the why, right? And like he was formally. So he, he knew training. I knew motocross. You can't train a motocross rider to be a cross-country mountain bike guy. Right. So you have to have this adaptation of what training and energy system and things are going on. So I told Jeremy, I said, I want you to hire Corey to come from there because I'm going to be at the shop a lot and I can't manage your off-bike program. You know, like, and he kind of knew what he needed to do, but Corey was like more of a guidance and then I could talk to Corey and be like, well, he doesn't need, you know, three hours a day on a mountain bike. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't really need to ride a bike. You know, he needs, he needs these things. So between me working as a mechanic and Corey doing this and, and adapting what I knew from what motocross riders needs were to what Corey knew from the, the fitness side, it became this pretty good package. And then people started seeing that. And then Corey ended up working with Tortelli and he ended up working with Button and, you know, and so on. I worked with him for a couple of years. Then so, yeah. And he, he knows the stuff. You know, mm-hmm. we still talk a lot. And, you know, he works with a couple of guys back east and, and he stays involved in moto, moto. And Didn't he own a CrossFit gym? CrossFit Waddington or something like that? Waddington. Waddington. CrossFit Waddington. It's, it's in North Carolina. And uh, when we, like with Ryder Racing the last couple of years, we stay at Corey's when we go back to Rock Hill. Mm. So, we yeah, we've stayed in touch and, and uh, hang out a little bit. And He's a good dude. Corey Wharf, yeah, right? Yep, Corey yeah. Wharf. So he came in and we just kind of put this deal together and hmm. made it fun and it worked. Yeah, sure did. Uh, what were some of your highlights? So so how many years did you work for him? The 98? So I did 98, 99, 2000 with Jeremy. Um, back up a little bit into when I said he crashed at, D, at Pontiac. Well, come to find out he broke his navicular bone. Mm. So, again, he was supposed to race nationals, right? Mm-hmm. So, he uh, he podiumed Glen Helen, the first one. He was pretty sore. Um, he won Hangtown. Choppy, gnarly, hard pack, crazy track. He was in decent amount of pain, but he, he won that race. And then we went to Mount Morris, and he just didn't look like himself. He ended up with a fifth on the day and he's just like 
I'm not going to do this. So the dude does the first three rounds. He's leading the series by 17 <laughs> points. And he's like, I ain't racing. I'm going to get my wrist fixed so I can race Supercross next year and be 100%. So he did that. Well, bling, in my head, I can go race mountain bikes. Mm-hmm. It's summertime. Our series just started. So I called the guys at Yeti, who I was riding their bikes the previous year, and they actually had a prototype bike that they were developing and nobody could race it. So I did a couple of world cups and some nationals that year. And I rode a prototype bike and gave them feedback and, and, uh, had a good time with it. And then, you know, that ended. And then we went into preparation for 99 supercross stuff with Jeremy. And from 99 on, didn't he just do national supercross only? And then, yeah, at that point he was, well, at that time, so after 98, he'd won five Supercross titles and more races than anybody ever. And just the focus it takes to be at that level, he's like, I just want to do Supercross only. I'm going to skip the outdoors. I don't like getting muddy anyways. <laughs> <laughs> you can't blame him. I no, mean. no. I mean, if you have the opportunity to do it, you know, and the money is the same and, and your bonuses are good and you're winning, like, more power to you. Like, yeah. And uh, so then I'm like, okay, well, then I'm going to set up and I'm going to race mountain bikes during the summer. And he was cool with that. Like, and he was why cool would he care? Yeah. yeah, he didn't yeah. care. Um, the other mechanics cared because I wasn't there, like, putting fenders in the truck. Piss the boy. Weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Being the mop bucket guy in the shop all the time. So went into 99. They Yamaha changed the chassis. They changed the motor. They changed everything. It was a whole new bike. And just straight out of the box, it was way better. Mm. And... And, and and again, he knew the team and he knew every, you know, how everybody worked and testing almost was like streamlined, like very, very easy, even with a new bike and came out swinging, like rode great. Won, I believe, nine races that season, wrapped it up with two races to go. Um, yeah. And then 2000, you were with him again? I was with him again and in 2000. And he won again, right? And he won again in 2000. Wrapped up a couple races before. And what were, through those years, like what were a couple of the highlights? Or stories or memories that stand out for you? Um, well, stories, there's a ton. I mean, I mean, some that we, we can talk about are, you know, like, so again, I, I, like I'm always the guy that's, I'm going to go out and I'm going to ride my BMX bike. I'm going to ride my mountain bikes. Like I'm going to do what I like to do as, as a person, as an individual. And I'm not just going to be this corporate robot that falls in the line with what everybody wants to do. Like Cliff White said, he needs a mechanic, not a movie star. Like I want to go like have fun. So I'm messing with the Crescent Demons Dirt guys. I'm riding pit bikes. Like I'm riding BMX. Like I have all my BMX friends and, and, uh, you know, this is stuff's going on like during the race season, but I'm doing my job, obviously. Like I got to go to Yamaha, like I got to go testing, like I got to do all those things. But mm-hmm. when I go testing, like I put a mountain bike in my truck and I get there early and, you know, do a little mountain bike ride before we start testing. Or I bring my BMX bike and hit the Grove trails in Elsinore on my way home, mm-hmm. you know, when we're done. So I was just enjoying it. And I remember one, I'd always had shoulder issues. And I remember it was a Tuesday night. I was riding the Vans Park. 
and uh, did a little trick. I was with Heath, one of my long, long time BMX buddies. Did something, and here I am sitting on top of a deck on a Tuesday night with my shoulder dislocated. I had to fly to Atlanta the next morning because I was working for Jeremy. Mm. So Heath drives me to the hospital, and they pop it back in. I go home. I fly the next day, and I think I popped my shoulder up maybe three times that weekend. <laughs> just it, it, it was ready for surgery. It just wasn't good anymore. And went through, you know, won the race, you know, did our did our job that we needed to, flew home and got my shoulder looked at. And they're like, just build up the strength around a little bit. And over the next couple months, it just dislocate, 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 no matter what I was doing. So went through the season. Shoulder's with, tough too, because you can't brace it really. No, you know, you like a wrist, no. you could put something mm-hmm. on to kind of stable the shoulder. What are you going to do? Short yeah. of locking it up against your body, yeah. but you need your hands. I needed everything to do but then again i'm still trying to oh it's in right now so i'm gonna go ride bmx and then do something and think my uh, shoulders out and like ah pull it back in you know like <clears throat> i dealt with that for a while with that and then i had surgery on it and i don't have any issues with it anymore and and uh but highlights like i mean we won 25 races in three years together like there's riders that never win one you know so yeah so when you go on a, a streak and I mean, I remember like one of the things that I'll talk about to people is, you know, he did four supercross weekends and between heat races and mains, he led every lap of everything. Like when you're in that position, like that built more stress for me because there's only one reason he's not going to win. <laughs> right. That's your mistake. And right? that's my mistake. And so, like, there's there's all kinds of, of little hidden highlights, you know, everywhere through that time. Um, like, 98, we go to Daytona. Um, he wasn't, like, the guy for Daytona. You know, there was always, like... The Stantons, the Kudrowskis. The, you know, and yeah. however it worked, Emig was good there. Like, he was just an outdoor guy. You know, he wasn't the strongest guy ever, but he was good, like, mm-hmm. at that kind of stuff. So, 98, we go to Daytona, and he really wanted that one. He was struggling a little bit. And, and again, putting that trust into the team, you know, before the main, we had the shock off the bike, totally apart, doing valving and changing the shock, like everything, mm. which you usually do after practice or something, maybe right. for heat. Like, or you're usually pretty close, so a couple clickers are in there. And we were in Florida all week testing, so it should have been close. And uh, he smashed everybody. Like, he killed everybody in that main. So, like, those little things that that people will never see. Those little behind-the-scenes things. Yeah, like, you go to the line, like, I hope the shock's good. Yeah, no kidding, But then you have, like, the crazy professor John R. in there, like, shuffling shims and making things happen. So, it was just trust in in who was around and what was going on. Yeah. And uh, What's that life like as a mechanic? I, I... Told you on the way up, there's a guy right now working for a rider who's, you know, good contending for this title. Yeah, he's uh, he's up there. And he's like, dude, I'm over it. He's asking me about fire service stuff <clears throat> and how to get into that because I'm just, I'm I'm gone seven days a week for the most part. The pay, he goes, I thought the pay was going to be way better than it is. I'm not, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, uh <clears throat> What, you know, I think people from the outside looking in go, man, that must be cool. You're 
probably getting paid so much money. These guys are just dumping bonuses to you. And it's not the glamorous life that it It's not like. always the bonuses. Like, not every guy does that. Um, some guys short you when you go to Europe. Some guys, yeah. They'll tell you, <laughs> they'll give you this, and then they say, no, it ain't worth it. <laughs> we weren't going to bring that up. I was going to be nice. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's passion. Like, I do what I do because it's a passion for me. It's not a dollar amount. Mm -hmm. And if anybody saw my bank account, they would believe that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. But I've had fun with every step of my life. And, and what I'm doing with my kids and with my family and, and the writers that I work with now, like, I still enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. And it's not for that bottom line. And I've known a couple other mechanics that were just over it and they want to go home and, and, and work and actually make some money. Um, I think the pay in the industry is at a pretty good level now, but it's a, you have no life. It's a, like it's you a, have no yeah. life. Maybe and you then, get Sunday afternoons off probably. And that's well, it. Well, not right? now because they're doing three races a week that's and a you can't even point. come home. Yeah. That's a good so point. you're Airbnb for 10 days. You know, at least when we were doing it in a box van, we were going to a friend's house that we wanted to, we were riding during the week. Like we had fun with it. Mm-hmm. Now they're at A or B and B and like, they're, yeah, they're just like, yeah, you're a slave so to it. But are, but I think are. the the misconception is those guys, those mechanics are killing it, making a lot of money. Well, and I mean, from your era, you worked for McGrath. Like this guy won, yeah. what did you say, twenty eight Supercross wins, three titles. Yeah, we won twenty five together, three titles, and I would think that would have translated into pretty good money for you. And I wish you were right. <laughs> I really and, wish and, you were right. And this guy who I'm talking about, like... He's one. I'm thinking, plenty. wow. Yeah, really. His, like, his salary's not... It's not great. Nothing to, nothing to, well, the writer's salary's nothing to sneeze at. Oh, no, no, no. He's making... So he's yeah. doing good. Um, but, it is, I mean, it is what it is. On all those guys, like, I still hang out with a lot of those, the, the newer mechanics. You know, some of them are a little bit older. Like, I still see Bones a lot at the track and, you know, hang out with Mitch and all those guys. And it's, it's a passion. Mm -hmm. Like... If you're not just enjoying it and passionate about it, it's not going to be the dollar that keeps you there. That's mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's what I was curious about because I, I just always assumed they were at that level. I mean, from a, in my day, you know, Mitch was paying me 25 yeah. grand. I yeah. wasn't crushing it. But when you have guys now making, I mean, the lights guys are making quarter of a million bucks salary. Mm -hmm. And those are guys that aren't even necessarily winning. Mm -hmm. They have the potential to win. Mm -hmm. 450 guys are making seven figures. Mm -hmm. You can't throw a couple bones at your guy who's, grinding it like yeah eh, surprising to me um okay wildest after party you went to with him or like championship party hmm. that we can talk about on air <laughs> <laughs> now everybody thinks it was like super super wild and crazy 90s i mean there were there were obviously times and you know you watch crusties and motor triple x and all the stuff and you see the pimp and hoe parties and blah 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 and deegan talked about that last time and and uh, FMX stuff came in, and, you know, things were different. I, obviously, they were different in the 90s, and, and people did let loose a little bit more. We didn't have the Instagrams, yeah. and, you know, every every older person says all this stuff. But it wasn't like every weekend where you're just like, yeah, grabbing <laughs> yeah. gears. You That's know, what like, I said, time and place. So, like, you know. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's a time and place, and, you know, looking at, at everything I had done up until, you know, working with Jeremy in 98, our first year together, I never drank. 
Like I did all the mountain bike stuff, like all the Z50 stuff, all the BMX, like everything with all these, you know, these are like punk rock type yeah. deals. You know, I helped, I helped Airwalk get into the motocross industry. Yeah. You know, I took the Crested Demons Dirt trailer around to find sponsors for it in our industry. And, you know, people were laughing at us, you know, like, so, but I never drank, mm-hmm. you know, so it wasn't like all the way through the nineties that we were just like sending it, you know, I was yeah. bleaching my hair and, you know doing whatever and then in 98 jeremy said if i win the title you're gonna drink with me and i said if you win the title before the last race we do the last race with blue hair <laughs> and that's where the blue hair came that's from. where the blue hair came from and then we did drink that night and and i think i was so freaked out about drinking that it didn't even phase me yeah you know but for the record Kenny Watson kind of was like, these guys tried to make it cool in like 98 when they won a title and stuff. I went to Mitch's shop in 95 with bright pink hair. Yeah. So it wasn't like, that wasn't my first rodeo, Kenny. No, no, no. But, um, but then there was, you know, like moving forward into 99 and then into 2000 and, you know, you're going to more parties and hanging out and. And uh, I wouldn't say they were all just like wild, like out of control parties. We just like Havasu was a good time. Havasu and, was probably the, at that and, point was the wild stuff. Cause you know, and, and guys are partying and doing stuff now. Like, I mean, yeah, there, there's certain writers that, you know, maybe they take it too far and you know, their careers are, are derailed or whatever because of partying. But we, we, there was a time and a place. Yeah. And I think now it's just, it's done in secret. Because of social media. Because of social media. Um, but, like, you know, I, and I would tell Jimmy, like, if you win the race, we can go out that night. But we get home, you know, it's back to work on Monday. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of, like, after parties that we would go to or we would even create. You mm-hmm. know, we'd, like, at the bar in the hotel or something. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd go down there and then, you know, Jeremy had friends from a state or something that was there. Or I had friends that would come. Like, I always had BMX friends that would show up to races and hang out or you know, whatever, like Palmer and his crew would show up and, you know, next thing you know, it's a party or, you know, so. What was the chatter in the rig or with Jeremy when Carmichael started to come in? Like 99, he wasn't, he was Um, kind of off the back, but by 2000, he was showing some speed. Yeah. I mean, we knew, I mean, everybody knew he was going to be good. Like you'd just be living under a rock if you didn't think he was going to come in and be like a good rider. But there wasn't really like, chatter it was like that's what I, I feel like i learned a ton about racing from jeremy and being around somebody that was able to be consistent and win for so long and i mean won 72 main events like you're not worried about the people in the pits if you've won 72 main events you know like whether ricky was going to be good or not that was irrelevant to our program and what we were going to do mm-hmm. um jeremy always said like if I get out of the gate and I do 20 Jeremy McGrath, I should be all right. <laughs> Doesn't mean he's yeah. going to win every race. And he never said that. He never said he was just going to go out and decimate everybody. One thing I really liked about Jeremy is he gave everybody on the line respect for being there. Hmm. And he would race hard. And he would do the best laps that he could. And he wasn't a dirty rider. And he had success because of that. Like, mm-hmm. he, he didn't let the BS bother him. You know, the... Yeah. And, and and that's 
partly probably why he was so successful or a big component of that is he wasn't thinking about anything. You know, they always say, don't, don't waste your time stressing about stuff you can't control. Mm-hmm. You can't control how fast Ricky's going to mm-hmm. be. You know, you work on, like he just said, doing Jeremy's 20 doing laps. Jeremy, yeah. And, in, and, and again. But that's, that's easier to say well, than for to sure, do. Well, for sure it is. But if you see the success, success that comes of it. No. Why do 75 more push-ups when you could, like, get your mind in the right place? For sure it takes effort. Yeah. To use your head and be smart about it. You know, again, I'm one of the rides I'm working with now, and we'll get to him soon. Is we're we're trying to fix a little bit between the ears. Mm-hmm. He's got speed, like a lot of stuff's there. Yeah. So, um, all right. So let's see. Let's move forward here. We kind of. Um, how did you after Jeremy? What next? You kind of stepped out of being a mechanic. And um. Yeah. Of- well, this is where like a lot of personal stuff starts coming in. Um, ended up with a divorce from my first wife and then, you know, Raquel, my first daughter, um, she was like four at the time. And at that point I, I, I called Jeremy about ready. Cause I did the, the mountain bike races, you know, at the end of 2000, you know, some of them, but I had surgery on my shoulder. So it was kind of a weird summer for me. <laughs> and called Jeremy. I'm like, I'm excited to get going again. When's testing start? You know, I was talking to Steve Butler and he was kind of giving me the same input. Mm-hmm. And then like a few days later, Larry Brooks calls and he's like, Hey, uh, we heard skip Norfolk back. You're out basically. And I was like, oh. and it was because of some of the personal things that I, that I was going through and, and dealing with at the time, you know, going through the divorce and things like that. And I mean, obviously, I was just pissed. I called Jeremy, and I was very, very upset about it. Mm. You know, we had a ton of success. Um, maybe some of that stuff did come into, you know, my professional life. But did he ever talk to you about that? <laughs> um, like, did he ever sit you down and go, hey, but man? He, no, like, there yeah. was never, like, dinner to sit down and talk about it. And that's one of the things that, you know, whether that would have changed the way I was doing things or not, I don't know. You would have liked but, that courtesy, though. Right. I mean, after after the success we had and, you know, going back to pre 98, we had one dinner that brought him to Yamaha. Like. I I felt at some point when there's an issue, they should have let me in on it and Mm -hmm. been like, hey, you're kind of key component to this group. What are we going to do? You know, and then it would have been me listening or not listening to make those choices to, Hmm. you know, stay in or out. I didn't know it went down like that. And. So 2001, I was, you know, working on bikes out of Heath Pinner's garage and and uh, riding BMX bikes and just really kind of trying to figure some things out, you know, like life-wise and in general. Mm-hmm. And and uh, that was really kind of it at that point. Like Jeremy went on with Skip and, and uh, he started having some issues that year racing and, and things like that, but we don't know, like, would have that been different if I would have stayed there? Would he still have those issues? That's kind of when Ricky was coming in and Ricky was fast. And, mm-hmm. and uh, But I did see a lot of changes that happened right then that I wouldn't have approved of, mm. you know. So kind of hard to say. Yeah. But Interesting. I did my, yeah, I did my thing through that season. And then as we were getting toward the end of that season, um, you know, Chappie, the, 
the pastor that used to come yeah. to the race. Yeah. Steve Hudson. Yep. He, uh, he was really good friends with Ezra Lask, who was one of our main competitors. Oh, that's right. You worked for Ezra. I forgot about that. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. <laughs> so we're moving forward here. Yeah. Um, so they were playing golf one time, and Ezra was leaving Honda, going to Cowie. I'd never worked at Cowie. Um, Ricky was leaving Cowie, going to Honda. And Steve Hudson said, when you talk to Randy, and Ezra's like, "No way, dude! That guy's crazy." <laughs> and he's like, "No, dude, he's been going to church. Like he's kind of got things figured out. Like he's doing really, really well. Um, he's kind of been away from the industry. He wanted, he kind of made the choice to get away from it, and you know, just kind of figure, figure things out." So Ezra called, and then I went and had a meeting at Cowie with Bruce and. Bruce is like, I've always liked your work. I've always liked what you've done. Um, let's give it a shot. So he, and, and really, like, that was my first not, like, subcontractor mechanic job. That's where first, I was, like, yeah. an employee for a, a company and, and things like that. So the pay was better, which was kind of cool, um, more consistent. And Ezra came in, and, and we got along really, really well right off the bat. You know, him and Phil were friends when they were on Suzuki earlier mm -hmm. in like early nineties. So that first year in O two with Ezra, it was the best overall season he had ever had. Oh, is that right? Which a lot of people don't know because he you know, he'd always been like pretty good and they didn't they got rid of kind of the grand national numbers at that point. You know, if you do supercross and outdoors and you combine all those points, guys used to have a number for that. And he was second mm. with Ricky being first. You know, he podiumed more outdoors that year than he ever had. He didn't win any, but he podiumed more. Did he win some supercrosses? I thought he won Phoenix. <laughs> he won Phoenix, but that was the next year in 02 mm. or 03. Okay. He won Phoenix in 03. So we had a good season that year. Um, he wasn't like over the moon about the bike. Um, he did come from the Honda, you know, thinking, okay, I'm going to get on Ricky's Cowie. And yeah. like, that guy's gnarly, so I'm going to be good. And I think when he got on that Cowie, the way that Ricky had it set up to where it would work for him, he was like. Big Bird called that bike the career killer. He, he was hated like, it. Well, he was. Ezra was really bummed because he's like, Ricky beat me on this. <laughs> you know, like, I mean. That's a mental, that's a yeah, mind hop yeah, yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and I said, come in here. Like, you know, everybody's not going to be super stoked with everything that we have to say today. But that bike. It wasn't, it wasn't it. Like mm -hmm. it was like, we did tons and tons and tons of testing and it was week in and week out. And it was just, wasn't it a frame issue? It if was I just, remember right? it was, it was a chassis issue. Yeah. Like it was just, <clears throat> I mean, and, and at that point, so even back up further, like when I was racing world cup stuff, I brought, um, a CAD designer, um, that worked for Manitou mountain bike stuff. He wanted mm -hmm. to get the motor industry. I got him an interview at, at Yamaha. He ended up coming to Yamaha. He started being like a parts guy at first and kind of showed what he could do. Next thing you know, he was really involved with suspension, with chassis setup, with not like suspension and valving only, but like chassis compunctory, yeah. The way the the pull arms and the rocker arms and you know, the pivots in this position to this pivot, why does that make it work good or bad or what does it do? So he started doing that for Yamaha and made some progress there. 
And then we were having all these issues at Cowie. I talked to the guys at Cowie and I'm like, why don't you talk to Sergio? And they ended up hiring him. Mm. And between him and Graham, like things started getting better, but they still weren't, we were, we weren't out of the woods by any means. Um, so definitely was a little bit of an uphill battle. And, and then me, like, again, I'm very serious about what I do. Like I, I, I expect if I know what you can do at a race, I expect that out of you. And it's not always going to be a win or, or whatever. Um, you never, you never, um, for better or worse, you didn't sugarcoat things. I didn't. I remember, I wonder if you remember this, 95, <clears throat> we were at Houston, and there was some big triple thing out of a turn, and our bikes were not, they were made for Rhino, where you just held them wide open, and, and I struggled. Anything that was bottom end, I, I just couldn't ride it, because I didn't ride like that. And I came out of this turn, tried to do it, because someone else had jumped it, I forget who, cased it, beatered, and separated my shoulder. You remember that? Mm-hmm. And it was like a grade one or two separation. It wasn't, I could still ride, but it freaking hurt. Yeah. And uh, I remember you like just saying, you got, you got to try, you got to get out there, you know, and Mitch, they're, they're like, you need to go try. So I lined up and I did crappy. I forget how I even did, but it wasn't great. And I came in and you were hot. And you said something to me. It, it literally stuck in my head to this day. You're like, you'll never be a champion if you can't ride through something like that. I was like, damn, that's heavy. Like, that's <laughs> pretty heavy. I mean, it's separated my shoulder, bud. Like, I'll be some slack. Well, look what Cooper Webb did a couple of years ago. He did his shoulder in one. I know. So maybe you're right. Maybe at, the end right. Of, at the end of the day, I'm like, well, I wasn't a champion. <laughs> Randy nailed it. <laughs> but you maybe never. a little bit more than that, but. You never sugarcoated things. No, I guess you got to appreciate that. So, so yeah. So, O2. Ezra rode really, really well. Um, had some good success. Wasn't winning, but he was like right there. Um, outdoors, he was right there. He was super strong, rode well. Went into 03, similar bike issues. Things weren't great. Um, and he was just struggling a bit. And then I remember we were at Red Bud. He did win Phoenix that year. The, the whoops weren't gnarly there, so... That's he, where the bike he, struggled. He was whoops. able to he was able to focus on the rest of the track really well. I actually just rewatched that race not that long ago. It was pretty good. Mm. It was him and Chad. They kind of went back and forth. Um, we went to Mount Morris and and Ezra was good, dude. Like he could be a podium guy, like at the oh, drop yeah. of a hat. He was amazing. <clears throat> um, we go up to the starting line, and Ricky looks at him. He's like, "Did you bring a rope?" And I was like, "Dude." He did not just say that. And you could just see Ezra's demeanor just drop. I'm just like, man. Would you bring a rope? Well, what's that supposed to mean? Well, if you're going to hang on, you better have a rope, basically. And and that moto, like, he was he was actually in a, a decent position to fight for, like, a podium. And in one lap, he went back to, like, 12th. Really? And didn't finish very well. And, again, like you said, I don't sugarcoat it. Um, I didn't, and we kind of had it out. Maybe in too much of open at the pits. I should have took him. We should have been in the truck or whatever. <clears throat> so after that race, we went back to the shop and had a meeting. And and at that point, Dave or uh, Dan 
was our Dan Worley. He was our like in-house did testing and stuff with the bikes. They said, we're going to pull you off Ezra for the last few races and Dan's going to take over as a mechanic and you're going to do the in-house stuff because uh, Ezra just wasn't into that <laughs> conversation, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> okay. So I stayed in-house the rest of that year and, and things didn't really change that much. But then for, and as you know, like 023, you know, James was on the 125. So as I went to in-house, I started working on all James's like practice bikes and things like that for the rest of the season. And then going into 04, they offered me a position to be in-house. And then they hired Skip Norfolk to be like crew chief guy or whatever. And like he was in charge of testing parts. And then I was in charge of building test parts and building test bikes and the test van and going to the test. And, and uh, so I was kind of in, in charge of like making sure everything was ready for Michael Byrne and James Stewart. Okay. And James, that was the year that Suzuki Cowie did the same mm. 250. Mm-hmm. It was the RMZ or the KXF. Yeah, that thing was not great. And it wasn't great. And everybody, there were there was tons of um, DNFs with it. So we opted to keep James on the 125 against those four strokes. And he was just smashing people on the 125. <laughs> All right, that was... And maybe the coolest year it, yeah, ever it was, to watch was, a guy ride a 125. And, and what was cool is I, is I was very, very involved with that 125. Mm. Um, I was, I built his practice bikes. He had four practice bikes that were in rotation from Florida to California. Mm. I built his test bikes here. I took him to Paris. I took him to Kauia. I took him like when we were here, like that, that was the year, like James was one that turned me on to McGriddles. <laughs> We're going to Glen Hill, and he's like, you got to drive some McDonald's, dude. They just made this new thing. It's so good. They so, are good. They are good. But I still can't get down with the McRib, but the McGriddle <laughs> is good. But James well, shouldn't be the guy telling me. No. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I did all of his, his test bikes, his practice bikes, all that stuff that whole year in 04. Um, so I was going to the races. I was, I was the right side of the bike. J-Bone was the left side of the bike. So every time he came in, it'd be like tear down, new piston, reeds, like – go through everything make sure it was going to last the next thing it was a kx 125 by all means mm. with james well, he wrote it hard <clears throat> yeah so we got through that towards the end of that season um jeremy j bone was his wife was pregnant she was about to pop and binghamton was coming a very very difficult race to get in and out of there's not many flights so we had a meeting and it was like okay who's going to be James's mechanic at this race. And I was the hands-on flying back and forth to James's house and coming back and testing and doing all the stuff. It was like, okay, you got to kind of row the boat this weekend. You're going to fly in early, you know, build the race bike. You'll be the hands-on, you know, Rick Ash, everybody else is going to be there. So we fly to Binghamton. I rebuild the bike. Now I'm like the guy on the spot for James's bike that weekend. Rains out Saturday practice. So we didn't get time to shake the bike down. Mm. We show up Sunday morning, full mutter. In practice, he goes wide, and he's going to come in and cut underneath Mike Brown. Brown doesn't get out of the way. Wads his brains out, folds up the triple clamps, the bars, the pipe, the subframe. like Full rebuild. Full mutter, full rebuild before first moto. Build it up. 
he wins both motos. He ties for the all-time 125 win list and wraps up the 04 title that day. So I do have that number plate in my garage. Mm. So that was pretty cool. Like, when you want to talk about highlights, like, that's pretty good. Yeah, and it's you, worth... You worked for it that day, too. Yeah. <laughs> and I did work for it that day. Yeah. And, you know, so th- there's been many, many times where you just have... You're in this really, really high-level position and it just works. You know, mm. it, was, it was it was a pretty good feeling that night going to dinner and and having Big James have your back and be like super super pumped with what you guys did that day you get along pretty well with them the whole family they're awesome yeah yeah spent so much time there over the years when i was working there so you're you're one of probably few people who've been led inside that circle because yeah he is yeah he just they they put up a wall he's off limits he's totally off limits yeah Yeah. even still which i you would think now man open up like talk to some people but and him and Big James and Lisa, like my current wife, like they like they're like buddies. Mm. And Big James would be like, "You got a spot in the suite upstairs." Like, but Lisa always gets there too late, and James is already up there, and he's like, "You know when it starts? You got to be." <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah. she's always been able to go back and like get a jersey or whatever for a fan or a friend or whatever. And and uh, it's when you're in the circle, they're really really good people, mm. really good. Yeah. So how did you how did you get transitioned then to being a trainer and to getting into okay, that? Okay, so working at Cow was a challenge. I'm gonna politically correct this whole thing. And well, because you always lived in Meadowview, which means you were driving. I remember even early on, you were riding your street bike over the Ortega I'm Highway. I'm ninja, dude. That was the best part of my day. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but there's a lot of commuting. It was a lot of commuting. I I had a ninja. Um, I used race gas in it because they went to unleaded fuel and we had a, a like a room full of race leaded gas oh, that they that right? couldn't use. So I was using that gas for my ninja and it just smelled really good when you were riding. You Ortegas. got over the Ortegas quick. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, the road race team gave me some cool parts for it. And, and, uh, no, that was fun. Like the commute was, the commute was fun. Mm. You know, that was cool. So that wasn't the bad part. That wasn't the bad part. Okay. Um, just clicky mm. like even even from when i start started there with ezra like jeremy was there like i got really i got along with everybody on the team really really well like everybody was awesome as an individual mm-hmm. you put them together as a group and you're thrown under the bus every two seconds hmm. like if you weren't in the room you're on the chopping block like hmm. that's just the way it was for me so <clears throat> but again I didn't play by everybody's rules. I wasn't the corporate poster child. I would leave and go ride BMX bikes. Like I left at lunch and went to buy a road bike at a bike shop. And I ran about a half hour late and I was like not committed to my job because Mm. I went and bought a bike at lunch. Um, Just, I mean, it was just weird. It it really was weird because there was a couple of the mechanics, they would be sitting there looking at all their quad stuff on the computer, what they were going to buy when they went to Glamis and then they're getting into side by sides and they're, I mean, they're on the computer all day looking at parts and I'm, I'm in house. I'm building James and burners race or test bikes, testing clutches, testing this, testing that, testing frames, going to the test track, making sure the test truck's ready. And I have to test for a couple of days sometimes. So I'd go test 
all the tracks are out here, like by where my house is. I'd go home and wash the bikes and reprep them for the next day, go test again, then go back to the shop. By the time I go back to the shop, I was like the stepchild. Like, mm. who do you think you are? You think you don't have to come back to the shop after a day testing? And I'm like, that's that corporate. Exactly. Baloney, right? And I'm like, I don't care how mad you are. I'm not going to be at Paris and have to be at Kui the next day and drive back to Irvine and wash a bike and then drive home when I can wash it in my driveway. Mm-hmm. Like I just wasn't playing that game and it just kept getting like more and more and more. And I felt like I was doing a lot for the riders. I was doing a lot for the team, you know, and these mechanics are there and they're, they're building race bikes. They're building five brand new sets of KHI wheels and you know, they're doing all the cool stuff mm-hmm. and I'm out there grinding and, on the beat up parts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And testing and doing this stuff. And, and I'm not saying their job's easy, but mine wasn't either. Yeah. So why am I getting thrown under the bus? So then, then it was, it was kind of getting weird and I wasn't super stoked on it. And James had moved up to the 250 and we got ready, went to Anaheim one, Oh five full mutter. Remember that? Oh, yeah, it was a perfect storm year, right? So that, yeah. And if you look at that off season, it was muddy. So even though we couldn't test and do a lot of stuff like on the Supercross track, I was driving them to like Yucca Valley to ride tracks that you could ride for the day, mm-hmm. riding in the rain, going to race town up in Atlanta. Like I was doing, I was making some moves to get these guys to places to ride. Mm-hmm. And after the first Anaheim, we needed to ride Supercross. We need to do some testing. And it was like, Skip comes up and he's like, what are you doing tomorrow? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, the suspension on these bikes right here, you need to box up. You're flying to James's tomorrow. And I'm like, okay. You're going to get bikes ready on Monday and you're going to test, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, or whatever. And then they'll fly back to Phoenix for the next race. So we get everything boxed up. I fly out there. I get everything ready Monday. And Malcolm wasn't really riding much at the time, but he was a pit bike jam, right? Mm-hmm. 110s were out. They had a pit bike track, like a little supercross track thing. So when we were done getting everything ready, James had flown in. He'd got there. Michael Byrne was there. We were going to test on Tuesday. We hung out a bit. And then I was doing some laps on the pit bike track with Malcolm. And I get back to my room that night and Skip calls me and he's like, so, you know, when you're out there, you're on like Cowie's dime, right? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, you don't need to be taking gear with you when you're going to do testing. And I'm like, and I knew what he was talking about. So I just kind of like fed into it a little bit with him. And uh, he's like, well, you were riding today. And I'm like, no, I wasn't riding. And he's like, yeah, they they called and said that you were you were riding with Malcolm. And I'm like, because Jeremy called um, James, and James was like, yeah, he's riding. With Jeremy Malcolm. who? Albright. Oh, oh. J-Bone, my homie. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, I'm like, I did some laps on the pit bike track with Malcolm, and he's like, you weren't riding like a big bike? You didn't take no gear back there? I said, no. I came back here to do my job, and I was doing some, I was on a 110 riding around the pit bike track with Malcolm. Yeah, sorry if I had a little fun when my work was over. And, uh, and I, I told him right then, I said, I'm so over, like, dealing with all this BS. Like, 
Like it was literally every day that I was under the bus for something. And, and I was just trying to do my job and like enjoy what I do. Like I always had. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so like the next week when I came home, I took Skiffin to like their conference room and I said, here's my two weeks. I'm going to start training riders now. And I had a couple of kids like in my area in Menifee and one kid in Orange County that I was giving them a little bit of guidance. Like, go here, do this. Like, go to the gym, do this. Like, mm-hmm. whatever. And uh, so within that next two weeks that I worked there, I had like four kids that I could help and work with. And uh, so I started my own thing. Mm. And that was, my last race was San Diego 05. And what did what did Skip say to that? <laughs> He's like, you're not a trainer. I'm like, I know what I'm talking about. Because I learned a ton about training when I was racing mountain bikes. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't know a ton about it, like, when me and you started, like, just going on our crazy mountain bike rides. Mm-hmm. But over that few years, I learned. Yeah, you worked with, like, Jeff Montgomery a bunch, right? Mm-hmm. Iron and yeah, different Corey. With Corey. And, yeah. and I started, I learned a ton. I knew what motocross guys' needs were. And then I saw this influx of triathletes and cyclists and all these other sport trainers come into my sport and start training guys. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, like these guys are spending more time on their bicycles than their, their motorcycles. Mm-hmm. And I knew there was a disconnect there. So I just figured I could fit in there and, you know, give it a shot. So how did you connect with RV just through Mitch? Um, no. So before I left Cowie, Ryan Collins was a, like the team green, like team manager. Mm-hmm. He kind of ran that side of it. And, uh, Villapoto was one of the team green riders. And, uh, for whatever reason, he said, you should go next door and talk to Randy. Cause he knew I was helping like this kid, AJ and uh, this other kid, Tyler or whatever, a little bit. <clears throat> and he never did. Like I never had, I'd never even met the kid at this time. I mean, he was still riding B class stuff not that that was bad i just didn't know him yet Mm -hmm. um so i started going to the track with these kids that i was working with and then i was doing lap times for one of my riders and i was standing next to eddie cheeseburger who was ryan's mechanic at the time and he's like dude you need to go talk to rv like he just signed a deal with pro circuit for next year and he doesn't know what he's doing (laughs) His dad just yells at him all the time, tells him to go faster and ride his road bike more. <clears throat> so as I was leaving Kauia that day, I pulled up there, and Danny was there, Ryan's dad, and I talked to him for a couple of minutes. I hadn't even, didn't even really talk to Ryan, and they were renting a house close to me in Menifee. And I said, well, give me your number, and I'll, I'll come by, and we'll chat a little bit. So we chatted a little bit that night. Like, as soon as I pulled him driver, he came out, and he's like, what do we need to do to win? <laughs> Danny. <laughs> That's what Danny said. So Danny I said, well, was a chat. character, man. Yeah, he was something else. So we went in and chatted a little bit, and Ryan had Ponca City, Loretta Lens, and and then he was going to do the last three nationals for Mitch. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, It was 05. It was 05. Yeah. So I said, well, let's do this. Let's make a deal, and we'll work through the, the end of the nationals. So we'll do Ponca. We'll start prepping now. We'll do Ponca, Loretta's, and the last three nationals and see where we're at. If we like where we're at and we're getting along and, and progress is there and we're happy, 
we'll do a deal for 06. And he went to Ponca, and Michael Apaglia beat him in two championships. <laughs> but you know, Ponca, there's like, you race six t- for six titles. He won four, Lapaglia won two. Okay. I didn't go to that one. Then I flew to Loretta's. The very first moto that he did with me with a race at, he almost loops out off the gate. He comes from like 38th to second. Jason Lawrence wins. Okay. Danny's coming unglued. I think I'm fired at this point because the way him and like Danny and, and his mom are like going at it, dude, they're ready to throw blows and like fight each other because Ryan didn't win. Yeah. And I was like, this is my first actual race day interaction <laughs> with, with them. And mom stayed at the track that night with the Hewitts and me and Ryan and Danny went back to the motorhome. Okay. Like <laughs> it was crazy. And like Ryan was in trouble cause he looped out off the gate and they were know, hard on him. Huh? They were, it was gnarly. Yeah. Like it was really, really like it was challenging with the, the emotions like for a little while. And then he ended up winning the stock class, you know, Jason won the pro sport or whatever. And then it was national time. You know, we flew to Binghamton, which was a hard to get to race. And, uh, they didn't have jerseys for him. There was no oh, jersey. They had Villapoto, but no number. So we sharpied 207 on the back of his jersey for his first national. And he went like 1412 or 1214 or something. Okay. And he was gnarly. Like, but he was like, he was like 100. He was little. He was then, little. Yeah. Like he was like 16. Maybe I think he turned. I think he turned 17 at Loretta's that year. Mm. But he was like a young yeah. 17. He was really, really small. And and he had that wrist where he just, he was down here like this all the time. Um, then we went to Still City. And he got docked a couple spots because they thought he went like off the track on one of the downhills. I think he got sixth at that one. And then we went to Glen Helen and he just put motos together and he got second. Yeah, he, le- he was race. leading one, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we- then GL, like, he would just win Glen Helen when he decided to. So yeah, Ryan got second. That might as well have been a win. So GL won. So yeah. Mitch, we were just talking about that on Mitch's show uh, not too long ago, where Ryan was leading. GL was on the new aluminum frame mm-hmm. bike. Yeah, Ivan was laying underneath Alessi. With Alessi stepping on his wheel. That was a crazy race. Yeah, so it was wild. And so he had a really that was a really good progression. That was like I mean, the learning curve was pretty quick there. But he was awesome. Like he was a Again, like, yeah, your success came from your corners. Like, you were really good in corners. RV was really good in corners. Like, the rest pretty easy to, fig- easy to figure out. You know, right, that's the hard right. part. Um, and he was, he was, he didn't like it, and he would complain about it every single day, but he put in the work. Mm. Like, it's not like he was a fan of going for doing a time trial on a road bike. It wasn't a fan. He wasn't a fan of going to Central and doing 35-minute motos. But he did what he needed to do because he knew if he did that, he'd be able to win races. Mm. Um, so, but the family was a lot of fun and a lot of ups and downs and just everything. Like you, I feel like through a a lot of my years going through things, like as a whole, that family became probably the closest. Like I was really, really close to you. I was friends with your dad and you're like your stepmom and stuff. And then I met your mom in Montana and your stepdad and stuff like that. 
But she spent way more time but, with these guys. But they were all in. I mean, aunts and uncles, yeah. cousins, like all of them. Like it was, if you yeah, were in, yeah. you were in. Yeah. Like, so it was good. Like, and you guys won, how many seasons did you work for him? So we did, so we started at the end of 05. We went into 06 for Supercross. And last chance at Anaheim won. Led nine laps in the main. Ended up second behind Shorty. Last chance at Phoenix. <laughs> His first two Supercross, he was last chance. Trying to pass, I think it was short for the lead maybe. And one of them looped out and... He clipped them, and it was when they did, uh, like, a split first turn deal. Okay. And Ramsey won that race. Ryan came back and got, like, a fourth. Um, so it was, like, all these little things were just, like, kind of getting in the way of that, like, like good finish. You know, I mean, here we are only two races into his career. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, like, San Francisco, he rode really good. It was muddy. He crashed a couple times. He was fast, and Mitch just kept saying, just stick with it. You guys are on the right path. He'll get one of these done, and it'll be good. Um, but I think what helped a lot, like as we moved into that season, Nick Way came in That's to right. work with me. Mm-hmm. And he was privateer MDK, Honda, super talented rider, like really, really good, great guy. And I felt like I was almost kind of the, the trainer mediator between like the vet that's been around and done it for a while mm-hmm. that doesn't have that like fast twitch like get it done right now mentality and i had the young crazy out of control twist the throttle kid right so i think managing those two kind of between each other and letting nick's strengths come and let ryan see those and let nick see ryan's strengths like they both elevated Mm -hmm. toward that season in supercross you know the first race that ryan won at dallas nick was on the podium in the 450 class so when you're like sitting in the trainer position like that's a pretty good night that's a good night you yeah. know um so and, and again it's like just being able to work with different individuals and they got along really well and they talked trash all the time every road ride was just a trash talk fest you know it was just we had fun with it mm-hmm. sure it's a lot of work everybody does a lot of work if but, you don't have fun though and, and I and, and maybe you can speak to some of this. I think when he went to Alden, and you see this with other guys that go to Alden, he runs a tight ship, but they just, it seems like the results come, but they also burn out quick. And for some guys, it doesn't work. You know, some guys like yeah. uh, uh, Roxon, for example, or Stewart, it's like. Or Anderson. Like, I mean, you can go through, like, usually, like, if you look at, like, Alden's success, and he's very, very successful. Never would ever, I sit here and discredit that guy for what he does and, and what he's done. Um, he's won tons and tons of titles with riders that have already won titles. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's hard and he would attest to it. I've talked to him, you know, on personal levels. Like you take a kid as an amateur, you know, and wean them kind of from their parents into a new team, into like moving into the pro stuff, you know, if they're not like, a Ricky, it's hard to, to get that title out of him. Mm-hmm. You know, like him and Baggett won a title together, and which was Baggett's first title, you know. Um, so it, it's, he's been very, very successful with riders that have already won titles. And again, no discredit to yeah. his programmer or anything like no, that. But yeah. 
um, but me and Ryan, like, we kind of had a, a, a good relationship. Um, almost became like that father-son type thing, but the whole family was there. So it wasn't like him moving away as a young kid and me being his dad, like, kind of like me and you were. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just worked. Like, yeah. I mean, well, it's were, easier as a kid to listen to somebody who's not your dad. Well, they could that, be saying the same things. Exactly. He's going to listen and to you. He's like, not going to listen I, to you. We were at Paris one day and I handed a banana, like eat this. And he ate it. And his mom lit him up. She handed him the same one three minutes before and he wouldn't <laughs> eat it. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. like there, there's going to be that, that whatever with some of these kids. And people tell me that all the time with like Ryder, like he's not going to listen to you. He's not going to listen to you. We may have a little bit different dynamic because of what I've done or what I do, but who knows? Yeah. But, but yeah, we did uh, We did that 06 season. You know, he went out, and it, it wasn't expected for him to win the 06 outdoor title. Um, he had to compete against Alessi, which that was a, a challenge, especially for him being first year riding nationals. And then uh, he stepped up to the plate a few times that he needed to and, and made it work. And there was plenty of, like, face-to-face confrontations with Tony and with that other crew. Um, was he on Was he on uh, KTM at that point? He was on KTM at that point, yeah. yeah. And it was just, I mean, anytime you're in position to win title, there's always, it, it's hard. It's hard no matter, yeah. Uh, all the, all the team personnel are putting in 100%. <laughs> yeah. They, every, they're going to get heated you know, about it. Yeah. Even if you're, like, fifth in the series, it's hard. Mm-hmm. But when you're under that microscope, week in and week out, I mean, the kid weighed 130 pounds. Like, he did a really good job. Like, he won that title. Fast forward, he wins the West Coast Supercross title the next year. And, again, like, he won Anaheim. We went to Phoenix. And he ended up having a crash, and he didn't win that race. And here's Danny throwing his hands up in there. There goes a perfect season. Like, he was going nuts because Ryan didn't win that race. Purcell came and won that race. Mm-hmm. If you remember, he was That's just – That's right. He came over and did a few rounds. And – uh. So I went and I had a little like family team meeting and I'm like, he won Anaheim. Why would you even be thinking about a perfect season at this point? You're putting the cardboard for the horse. Like, let's get where we're at. We take this one race at a time, one lap at a time. Like this is a process. It's not, you're not looking at Vegas being like, Oh, we just did a perfect season. Like, <laughs> yeah. so we had to put things in perspective a little bit. And, and I, I think that I was there and I was able to help the whole family have a good perspective on, on what we were doing, what the goals really were mm-hmm. and not getting ahead of ourselves. Um, so he won that. And then we go into the 07 outdoor season. Oh, that was a great season. And if you know me, my business is called second moto fitness, right? Cause if you win the second moto, that counts more than the first one. You know, I have some reasons why like I named it that we go to hang town. Ryan goes one, two, Townley goes 2-1. And we fly out Saturday night from that race. And Emig walks up. And he's like, what's up, Second Moto Fitness? And I'm like, see me at Glen Helen. We're at the first race. I was already getting beef because my guy went 1-2. Yeah, 1-2. He didn't win the Second Moto. And the whole season went that way. Like, it was 1-2 like five times. Mm-hmm. I mean, tying in points, you know, it was, and then at one point we had 
a decent point lead, you know, after Mount Morris because Ben had an issue and got a tenth in one of the motos and in a loop of wheel, right? Yeah, yep. Josh Grant won that race and and uh, so we had a decent points lead at one point, and then Ryan had a, a radiator issue at a race and you know kind of lost those points and kind of made things like back to you know within like three points and and Ben was really good at like being able to like get himself in a position and ride and kind of figure things out what Ryan was doing and then get him towards the end. So we went to Millville and I told Ryan, I said, look, if it's early in the race and you guys are in this position, it was almost like nobody else was even racing at that time. Let him go and watch him. You have the speed he has, but he's always right behind you watching what you're doing the whole time. The dude waits till we're 25 minutes in and lets Ben go. And Ben just takes off and wins the first photo. <laughs> I'm like five minutes in, not 25 minutes in. Yeah. So he's like, oh. And uh, you could kind of see Ben on the podium. He was a, seemed a little bit fatigued or whatever because it had been a long season, like I said. Um, well, he was burning himself out down at. Carmichael's well, too. And, and I kind of knew what was going on down there. And uh -huh. the whole season, all I'm hearing is, we're the best. Nobody can beat us. We're the best. Nobody can beat us. <clears throat> we have the best program. And nobody can come around here and beat one of our riders, you know. And we're equal speed, equal equipment, you know, guys. Um, and everybody deals with what they deal with during the week. So, Millville, Ryan comes out second moto and passes them. And beat them, like, pretty easily. So now it was the 2-1. Mm -hmm. And here we are, like, three rounds left. And at this point, like, I took a lot of the workload off of Ryan, like, during the week. Like, one day, like, one doing a lot of sprint stuff. And, you know, easy or on the road bikes. Like, not a lot of workload because mm -hmm. we needed that focus and in the, in the recovery. <clears throat> and um, Things Still City, that was when uh, – Stroop came out and cleaned everybody out in the first turn. Oh, I don't remember that. And uh, Ben and Ryan were down in the first turn. So it was like, oh, okay, geez. well, at least they're both down. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> got through that one. And then we went to Texas. And I remember I was standing with Iron, with Jeff Montgomery. And uh, I just had a feeling like, I, I think this is going to be the race that kind of breaks. And there was only one round left, Glen Helen, after this. And I said, I think we're going to see something at about 12 minutes. And I don't know why, but it, and they were like one, two, coming around. And at 12 minutes, Town Lee hit the corner, like right in front of us, and popped out of the rut. And I said, it's done. And Ryan just took off. Hmm. And I think Town Lee ended up with like a fourth or sixth that moto. So we went to Glen Helen. Ryan had a sizable points lead. They raced pretty hard the first moto. I think Town Lee won the first moto. And then we were in the motorhome, and Ryan's like, what do I do? He had a decent points lead. So, well, you race to win. If there's a lot of pressure, and he's just hounding and hounding and hounding, let him go. Don't do something silly yeah. and, you know, risk it. And uh, tell me won the moto, won the overall, whatever. But Ryan got the title. And just by chance, I'm walking over the podium, and guess who shows up? Emig. And I'm like, second motor fitness. <laughs> and he's like, well done, kid. So oh. just, yeah, I mean, it was awesome. Like, and then I worked with him in 08 
and you know there was a lot of things starting to change in his life um, with meeting Kristen and, and them being together and we had a lot of wrist issues going into the 08 season which he already had the wrist was kind of jacked up and well that was when his family dynamic started to really get squirrely too they, yeah they didn't approve of that relationship right and yeah there was a, there was a lot going on there and and uh he, he, I mean, he rose to the occasion and, and he rode really well. Like we went to Atlanta for the first race, not even know if he was going to be able to like race all day with his wrist, the way it was, the way it went, getting it fixed and all, all that stuff. And that was the race when he fell on the wall and Josh Grant just brought oh, right over his wrist. Yeah. Heard it again. Um, DNF. So you start the first race with the DNF. Trey Kennard wins the first race first supercross he's ever done. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then couple of crashes later and then daytona's like a swamp mutter 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 like crazy crazy well that was the year trey ran him into the finish line yeah at the end of the season Uh, they were basically tied for points going into that race so that was a hard pill to swallow and then he comes out and he handily won the outdoor season in 08 and then you know it was time to transition to the 450 and so you guys won three championships together so we won a supercross west three outdoors oh um and knowing that he was going to be moving to cowie um to be on the 450 for 2009 after supercross was done in 08 um we started working with jake weimer also like he was on geico at the time and he was fast super good kid little malnourished he was skinny like he wasn't eating properly or things like that so we had nick jake and ryan and all of them, I mean, just clowns. Like, it was the funniest thing ever. Got to the point we called Ryan TMZ. Because yeah. he was always stirring the pot. He was always stirring He the, likes doing that. And that's, yeah. So, so we did that. What um, about the incident with J-Law? Did you ever, what, what were you saying to him about that whole deal? Just all their drama. Uh, I mean, I can't believe that he let it go on that long. Like, if you if you look back to what J-Law was doing to Dungey when he yeah. beat Dungey in that Supercross series, he was trying to do the same thing. And what advice would you get? Would you have told him, like, go? I told him, I said, clean him out. Yeah. I'm like, if he's going to be an idiot, just clean him out. Like, give it back. Mm-hmm. Like, AMA's clearly not going to do anything about it. It had been going on. We'd been to the AMA trailer like four or five races in a row with practice incidents. There was never a race incident because he wasn't close enough, you know, at that time. So it was just BS. And so then they were like, okay, you guys stay apart. Hangtown, you guys stay apart. Ryan's doing laps, and I look over, and where's Jason? He's on the starting line. As Ryan comes by the mechanics, Jason, and he looked right on the track with him. Ran him up in the turn, up in the top. Ryan ran him up in the turn in the top, and then, and and even after all that, they the initial punishment was they're both disqualified. Is that right? That got, that got overturned, right? Yeah, it got overturned. So Jason got last pick. They both got fined some money or whatever. And, hmm. and then <clears throat> Jason's on probation, and then he rolls a car two weeks later. <laughs> yeah, he never really recovered. No. <laughs> um, all right, so did it upset you when he moved on to, mm. to Alden? Or, I mean, yes, very much so. Um, he moves to the 450 class. Um, 
the success wasn't immediate. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't immediate. Mm-hmm. Um, which Dungey transitioned really well, but he was the first one to do what Jeremy did. When his first year. Yeah. So <clears throat> I always say when you move into a class, give it three years to be a contender. I'm not saying you're not going to win races in that time if you're like a real guy, like, like he was. Um, but don't put that pressure on yourself. Mm-hmm. Like look what Cooper Webb did. Like he he dominated the lights outdoors and Supercross and. Yeah. Oh, very few people jump up and start winning. Plessinger, look at all these champions. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> don't have that expectation because now you're on the line with every single lights champion. Mm-hmm in the last 10 years. So they've all done what you just did. Yeah. So give it time. Um, Cowie changed team managers to Mike Fisher. Um, we weren't on the same page. Um, Cowie hired, hired Throttle, which was his lights mechanic at Pro Circuit. Um, Kaipo suspension guy. Rick Ash still motor guy. <coughs> um, the dynamic seemed really, really good, like all the way through testing and everything. Everything was going really well. And we get into racing, and it, it just wasn't – he wasn't bad, but he was just – you could see there was things that he could do better. But now he was around all these more experienced 450 guys that when he would try to take advantage of it, they wouldn't make the mistake which like a normal lights guy would. Mm-hmm. You know, it was harder to get a good start, like – the guys were just better. That's just the way it is. You move 450, the guys are just better. He's still learning the bike. The bike's way bigger. It's a lot faster. And again, in 08, he was just coming off this whole deal with his wrist. You know, so he hadn't had a season where he, he was just like 100% on point, just ripping. <clears throat> and But he was learning and he was growing. He was having suspension issues. You know, some of the issues that we talked about with Ezra, even though we're on a 450 now, the chassis still had the same characteristic now with 13 more horsepower. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't better. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so there were some struggles there. And then we were getting into the season and I could see he was more stressed, a little more fatigue. Um, so I took the workload off during the week. We really focused on more speed and, and what he was doing on the bike. And we ended up, he ended up podium in San Francisco. And everybody had to go in, get drug tested. And then they were asking him, like, what supplements do you take? What this do you do? And I, I couldn't go in there. Like, Fisher wouldn't allow me in there with the whole deal. <clears throat> and Short's in there, who's like a man, grown man, like runs his own program, does his own thing. And he lays out a list of all the, Pills that he takes, supplements, drinks, like all the stuff that he uses. They ask Ryan, he's like, I don't know, whatever Randy gives me. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the way it had been. Mm -hmm. Like, Ryan didn't care to know. Yeah, just whatever. Tell me what I got to do, I'll do it. So if I gave him a sport drink, he just drank the sport drink. Yeah. You know? So they come back to the truck, and Fisher basically read me the riot act that, I didn't know how to do my job. Like, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's not fit. He's not this. He's not that. 
And I'm like, well, how about I get the guy, like everything that Ryan uses, I know the guy that developed all of it. I'll bring him in. He can give you an ingredients list of everything that we're using and explain to you what the products are. So I did that. That's the next race. And Fisher's like, I don't even like that guy. I didn't even listen. <laughs> that sounds like Mike Fisher. So, and then we're at Anaheim and I'm sitting, I'm sitting in the stands with Mitch and some of the pro circuit guys and they're watching Ryan ride. They're like, hey, why don't you suggest maybe they could try X with a suspension? So we come down and I bring suspension guy out and I didn't say anything to Ryan, not a word. I just told him, I said, when you watch the video, ask him about this and see what he says. And he looked at me kind of weird and he went in and I guess they went and watched the video. I made Ryan lunch or whatever in the truck. And when Ryan came down, I gave him a sandwich and suspension guy's like, oh, look, the new suspension guy makes sandwiches too. Here we go again with the whole Cowie drama click deal. And I'm just trying to use my experience and what we know to help all of our guy succeed. Yeah. And I didn't say anything. I was just like, whatever. So at the end of that night. Who was the suspension guy? Kaipo, our buddy. And I, I get along with, I like, like I said, I like all the guys there, but you put them in their corporate setting and, you know, things get a little bit weird. And, uh, you know, to this day, me and Kaipo text and, you know, I help him get BMX bikes for his kids and things like that. So there's, there's nothing bad there. It was just an incident. But after that race, man, after that race, Kaipo's like, come here. And he's like, don't you ever come into this truck and tell me what I need to do with suspension, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, dude, chill out. Like, I wasn't. Like, that wasn't my deal. So we just went through that, and the season progressed, and, and Ryan ended up getting sick. We thought he, like, had the flu or something. Kind of got through it. And then we got blood work. Like early on, everything was fine. Then we got blood work again, and it showed that he had like mono or whatever, Epstein-Barr, whatever levels were low that he that should have been higher. So we sat out for for a few weeks, and uh, we just managed whatever he needed to do. And and during this process here of him getting healthy again, um, again, like I wasn't the girlfriend's favorite person in the world i wasn't mike fisher's favorite person in the world actually the the last race that ryan did before we found out he was sick we had a pretty heated discussion in the cowie truck with fisher um, about why are you in our truck talking about our bike i said because i worked out of this truck for four years like i know that part of the business and i know my rider like I worked with him for four years before you knew him, you know, and I was trying to, I was trying to do with that situation, what I did with Jeremy between, you yeah. know, Chaparral and, and Yamaha. You all have the same goal. <laughs> so it's, the, the yeah. goal was the same. And then Jeremy, uh, Ryan is just about ready to get back on the bike. This was going to be, he was going to ride. It was Easter. He was going to ride that week and then go to Seattle that weekend. 
and he'd already been doing some cycling and like kind of you know back into his deal and uh i texted him like okay this will be our schedule for you know this next week or he said okay that's cool let's uh let's meet for breakfast before at that point i knew you knew he was gonna say something yeah Mm. so i went and i met him him and his dad and he slid a check over and he said i hired somebody else he's got college degrees he's way better than you you never helped me on lights anyways and i was like okay and then he rode that week and went to Seattle and won. Hmm. <laughs> so, so yeah, I went to Seattle. He won that race. We talked a little bit more. I talked to the family. They're like, there's nothing I can say. And then he did, he podiumed Salt Lake and then he won Vegas. And then there was that week, two, two weeks off, whatever. And that's when he reeled in Alessi at Glen Helen. And he won that first 450 national that he contended for and the whole reason he got rid of me is because he was not in shape Mm. (laughs) it's funny (laughs) so that was that was that was a hard one to swallow dude like that was that was tough Mm. so when you put that much into a guy and they tell you you didn't really do much anyways um and we get along like everything's good now i you have to understand it's business and it's they're younger and you guys have talked since and yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot. And you know, I started with him when he was like 16 and I'm 115 pounds and, and how much did his life change by the time he turned 20 and won yeah. titles? Yeah. And how much did my change? None, mm-hmm. you know, so you got to look at their lives and how they change and, and what they go through and you know, who's in their ear now, like what influences they're getting and you know, things like that. So, so although it sucks and, and, and the bottom line hurt a lot because of that one, it's still business and, and, uh, you know, him and my daughter Riley have a great relationship, even up until Ryan was done racing, he'd be doing monster autographs and bring Riley behind to take five minutes and talk to her and just stop the line, mm-hmm. you know, to talk to her and hang out. So, um, yeah, so we've, we've stayed close, you know, as, mm-hmm. as I do with most of my riders and, and, uh, have a good relationship and, mm-hmm. And, uh, but at that same time, um, I was working with Weimer and that was Oh nine. He just signed with pro circuit and he ended up winning four West coast rounds that year. And, and, uh, was pretty close for the title in Oh nine. And, and, uh, he ended up winning three nationals that year, went to donations. So, you know, at, at, at the end of one, you know, thing that I thought we had going pretty good, you know, me and Weimer really had a good thing going and, and a lot of Weimer's success came, you know, fixing a lot of things between his ears. And, and, uh, then 2010, he won the Supercross title and won the East West shootout. And, you know, outdoors was a struggle. And then he had some back injuries and things like that. And, and then he went to the 450 and left and went to Alden for a couple of years. You know, me and Jake did a couple more years after he came back, but, um, yeah. And I still talk to him a lot. And so who, who, what, who, what guys are you training now? Kind um, of from then to now. Who have you been working with? Well, I mean, so once Jake left and went back back east and, and was doing Alton's program with Ryan, um, I was at like a ride day at a Paula, and somebody said something about Anderson needing somebody or something, and 
and I didn't really know what he looked like, but I walked by the Hewitt's truck and I saw this kid sitting there and I'm like, you Jason? He's like, yep. Hey, we, we should chat. And uh, so we kind of worked together. Like that was just before the end of the, that Supercross season. I think it was um, 11. And we worked together and then we went to the first race and, and he was just kind of out of shape and, but you could see the talent that was in his riding, but he was out of shape, you know, a little bit of the dedication needed to change a little bit. Um, we talked a lot about, you know, if you're going to be a racer, it's a lifestyle. It's not, you don't just train to train. Like it has to be a lifestyle. And we really changed his MO. And, and then after he started making progress, that's when I ended up being the team trainer for Rockstar Suzuki for 12. And then I was told, there was a uh, Dave Gallen and Bobby Hewitt were like, look, we're on the brink of losing our rock star sponsorship. Hmm. We have, we have to beat star next year and we need to be in the top five or we're not going to keep our sponsorship. So we need somebody to watch over riders and they had Davalos, which Davalos kind of did his own thing, but they brought on Blake Wharton, Jason and Hunter Hewitt. Bobby's son was part of the team. So I did those three riders and we just started grinding it out. And Blake kind of came back and, you know, he won a race that year in Supercross. Um, Jason ended up on the podium in Supercross that year. I think they both finished third in their series that year, West and East Coast. Um, so we accomplished the goal. Like, they were right there. I mean, they were winning heat races. Like, they were kind of yeah. guys then. Yeah, contending. And but they were on the Suzuki, which wasn't the best bike. Like, I think the bike's great. You know, if I'm going to go ride it, and you know, like amateur, like Bill Schwartz, when he races like Loretta's on the amateur bike and stuff, like they're good. And I know that like over with Jamie over there working on things and you know what Larry's doing at Bar X, they're really trying to do more with the bike still. Um, but then like, so then, so that then they do, they do well in Supercross. And then we start going outdoors and then I start getting in trouble because they're not finishing that well. Although they're content, like they're, they're right at the tail end of, if you remember that 2012 year was the fast five, Dino, Baggett, Roxon, um, Marvin, and who else was in there? Shorty. Was it Shorty? Up? No, no he's already moved no, up. He'd moved up. Um, but there was five. Okay. <clears throat> and, and then we had Blake Warden, who didn't have a ride. Suzuki hired him. Jason, who they were going to fire. And I said, don't they fire They sat him. him down, right, for a year? like. Well, it, no, we had to miss a couple races for him to get fit. Yeah. And then, but they were going to fire him after that year. And I had a couple meetings with Bobby and with the Rockstar guys. And I was like, look, give the kid a chance. Like, he's just learning how to, you know, train. Oh, Eli was the other hmm. fifth fast guy. <clears throat> and they were getting like, six seven right there with like will Hahn, and then blake ended up with a second at texas like but they never were starting in the top 10 like the mm -hmm. bikes were just off mm -hmm. and there's four geico bikes at the front every single race and next thing you know they're like they're pissed at me the riders aren't fit they're not fast they're not doing their job i'm like wait a minute you guys said like let's get in the top five in supercross they both were on the podium and third in their championships and 
And then they just let me go after that year. Like, Well, it's an easy scapegoat, right? Well, they got rid of So they let me go, and then Jason let me go, and then I, the only one I worked with again was for 13. I stayed with Wharton. And then Sipes came to the team, so I worked with him a bit. He ended up top five a couple times outdoors on the on the Suzuki when Davey was on it, mm-hmm. which Davey was ripping. And then we went to we did Anaheim, and I did it with Sipes because he was West Coast with Jason, but I wasn't working with Jason. And then we went to Phoenix, and that race Jason didn't make the main. Like he fell in the last chance, like he fell in his heat, and I drove home from that race that night, and he rode with me. And he wanted to work with me again. So I'm like, okay. So we put a deal together, like a napkin deal. Like, let's get through Supercross, see where we're at. And he's like, if you can help me and, and we end up getting, like, top three in the series, we'll do a two-year contract. He missed third by, like, two points. Mm-hmm. And he got fourth. But he won Salt Lake. That was his first Supercross win. And then we went into outdoors, and he did a couple outdoors. And then he came over, and he's like, I'm done. I think I'm going back to New Mexico. <laughs> Just the, like the stress of it was too yeah. much for him. Yeah. And uh, he was like, no more. Mm-hmm. And then and then the team switches to KTMs for the next year, which have some horsepower. And he hired Jeff Ward and he won a title. And I'm like, dang it. Yeah. Well. So, but again, you go back and like, so when Jason started with me, like he was living with me, he was sharing a room with my son Ryder. So they were like two peas in the pod, hanging out. And Ryder come to the track with us. He was three years old. He'd ride his PW around. And a good story with that is, we'd go to the Suzuki track. You know, Suzuki tracks up top, mm-hmm. and the Honda tracks down here. Yeah. Ryder would literally sit on the edge of the hill and watch the Honda guys for like forty-five minutes, just watch those guys ride. Three years old. And he'd ride his PW around the Suzuki track, like make little hips and stuff when the guys weren't riding. And he was like, I want to ride that track. And the TLD guys were there when they were on Hondas. Bentley, Shane Drew, like they were testing 450 stuff down there. So the gate was open and they watered. They were having lunch or whatever. And I'm like, if you want to ride that track, you got to ride down here around this fence over here and go into that gate. But when you go in there, go straight on the track and start riding (laughs) (laughs) don't say anything to anybody just start riding so he went in and three years old he rebel run the honda track with the whole staff there and he got hung up on the triple and shane drew came and pushed him off and he's like you need to go back up to your dad he came back home he was crying but how many kids can say that yeah they rode honda's track when they were three (laughs) with the whole staff there on a yamaha that's pretty funny (laughs) so Again, one of those little insights that keep things kind of yeah. fun. Um, I, I, I feel like something that we still aren't doing is focusing enough on the mental side, you know, and you mentioned one of the guys you're working with now, you've, that's kind of your focus is just mm-hmm. getting his head right. This sport, especially now, I think, I think two strokes were a little more technical to ride and guys would make more mistakes. It was easier if you were a technically proficient guy to make time up with these four strokes though. I think it takes an average rider and brings him up to that those higher level guys' mm-hmm. pace. You know I would agree. I, mean? you, I watch guys, no disrespect, I watched this last race, the LCQ, 250 LCQ. It looked like 
those guys did not belong out there. I'll just say that. I mean, there's a lot of guys that you're watching their technique and it just looks like you'd see a, a fast and office racer. But then, but then remember this too, like, and I know some of those guys, you can see a guy ride on a Tuesday or Wednesday. And then Different when, than and then Saturday. When, and then yeah. when they roll through the tunnel, they don't even know who they are. <laughs> right. I got you. You know, so. I got you. I'll My- take it I'll, with a grain of salt. Like the last chances looked like pretty like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah. But if you see those guys that are, you know, the up week. front in those last chances, like. Well, and I'm not even talking Supercross. I go to a local track and I yeah. watch guys that are going fast. If you get them by the stopwatch, yeah. you're like, man, this guy's going fast. But their technique's awful. You know, yeah, like well, just. Yeah. But if you go to State Fair, there's no bumps. There's no nothing that technique's going to slow down. As long as they got a throttle, they're good. That's it. But but you couldn't do that on a two-stroke, really, and get away no. with it. You had to be technically better. But so if you take my, that same guy across the street to that sand track in Nuevo. He's done They're for. not going to have those I lap know. times, are they? So my point is, it makes the mental aspect of it much, even more important now. Mm-hmm. Because now these guys are, you know, everybody is, is yeah. really close in speed. Yeah. And the jumps, they've sort of made it to where everybody yeah. can do pretty much everything. So, yeah. Why do we not focus on the mental well, side of things more? I don't know. I, I've, I've, I've always tried to be kind of that advocate. You know, I have like sports psychology books that, that I read and, and pick up things and, and try to figure things out and always have like uh, an avenue for a writer because there's not like one aspect of sports psychology. There's many, mm-hmm. and there's many ways to look at sport and what makes guys tick and what makes guys fail. So, <clears throat> looking at what's going on now, like, and I watch all the writers, you know, I always have, and I, I, I have a passion for that. And you can watch a guy ride, and again, if you watch them on Wednesday, and then they roll through the tunnel on Saturday, they forget who they are. <laughs> what like, they're out there Dude, for. who put your gear on and went out there? Because that right? wasn't you. <laughs> exactly. So, um, well, let's just go ahead. Like one, the guy, the guy that I'm working with to try to like help him just kind of put his head into the game and, and elevate his, I guess, intensity. If you want to say it's intensity is Brock Tickle. Who's been around for a long time. He won a lights title. He's a kind of up and down career. He's been a 450 for a long time. Mm-hmm. He broke his back a couple of years ago. He had his issues at KTM. He got banned for 18 months or whatever it was. But he loves riding. He loves racing. He loves training. The dude's super, super gnarly fit. You know, he he has like power meters and sleep monitors, and he's really, really on point. He's turned it into a lifestyle. He's it's doing, a lifestyle. Yeah. And if if you want to like cut apart what guys are doing to be better, and you pie plate it. And you want to get rid of distractions and, and what's missing in this and that. He has everything there. You know, and I started with him, you know, about a month and a half ago through some talking with the friend of mine, Mike, that owns a bike shop. Um, Weimer, who I helped in that aspect a ton, he felt they're really good friends. So they've been talking and it, it kind of connected me and Brock. So, you know, spending like a month and a half leading up to the series with Brock. I felt like we were in a pretty good place, but I'd never worked with him in a race situation. What's a little more difficult working with somebody in the situation we have now. Yeah. We COVID a, life. We have a Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. Mm-hmm. Normally you go to a Saturday, you do your race, you figure out some of the things that you want to work on and you work on those 
during the week before your next race. We didn't even get a chance for him to come back and ride until this week. So he had to do three races straight off of like, struggled a bit at Houston one. I thought he brought it around a little bit at H2, but he still started 21st in the main. Like, I think he's better than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we kind of lost the things that we were building that at Tuesday H2 kind of weren't there H3. You know, he ended up in the LCQ at a couple of those races, um, which he should, but it was, some of it was like weird things like Malcolm swapped out in the whoops and ran Marvin up and Brock was right there. And they were like, they were like three, four, five or something. Yeah. I saw that go down. And then he had to turn and come down and then Vince comes in and like grab something on, you know, so there's, there's, there's always these race situations, but. Better start gets you out of all that problem. But that was a pretty good start. What was he, fourth, fifth, sixth, maybe? Yeah, like right in yeah. there. Like, But it, it seems like when you're trying to come out of these these little things and find these little wins, stuff just happens. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, dang it, if that didn't happen. And then the next time, dang it, if that didn't happen. So what was good is, is he was able to come back from Houston. We had a great week. Not crazy, crazy off the bike. But had a really, really effective day at the track the other day talked about some things, got some feelings out and some things that were going on in Houston that he's thinking about when he goes down the tunnel. We kind of reconnected with some like, like trigger words that, that we can use over this next week, weekend or whatever to kind of keep him in that mental state. Mm-hmm. And, and as you move through this, like, like that's the difference. Like they're not amateurs who are just like, you're just better than everybody anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at the 450 class, there's there's 20 factory supported riders in there. It's gnarly. Yeah, yeah. Th- so there's a there's a gal who um, uh, a good friend of mine. It's his girlfriend, and she's a former world champion free skier. Name is Lorraine Huber, uh, stud athlete, um, and she's retired from that. Went back and got her master's in in sports psychology, and she's she's focusing on that full time. And it's just something that really interests me. I wish that I would have f- searched that out a little bit yeah. when I was racing. Again, it's we're, we're so hillbilly. I think we're way behind because yeah. other sports have been doing that forever. Yeah. And we just don't focus on it enough. But, you know, I've had her talk to my girls. We're going to get them together because uh, they play soccer. So, you know, trying to help them when they have confidence issues or when they get intimidated by a bigger player or they're nervous before a game. Just like the little mm-hmm. little phrases, um, you know, what she called your inner monologue, just the things you say to yourself and the things you that kind of bring you back to focus and. I just don't feel like we utilize that enough. I yeah. think that's a really, yeah, like uh, some, some of the stuff that I try to do is like, <clears throat> what do you feel like when you're in your truck driving to the track on a Wednesday? What do you feel like when you're in your truck and you're driving to the race for that day? Like, are those feelings the same? Are they similar? Like, are they different? Do you have a little bit more anxiety? Like, is your heart rate up? Like <clears throat> what, what does it feel like? What are you thinking about when you feel good about yourself? And mm. does that change when you do track walk? You know, are you getting nervous? Are you seeing like the guy that won the last race walk on a different section of the track and and it trips you out? Like you got to look at the very, very small details of what's getting in and going to change what's going to come out that evening. Mm -hmm. So I'm always, always trying to get riders, which I learned with Jeremy a lot. I was able to apply it more to what I was doing after is all you can do is focus on yourself and execution. If you 
can go out on a Wednesday and be the fastest guy at the track, and you know there's heavy hitters out, heavy, heavy hitters out there that are going to be in that top five on the weekend, there's no reason you can't be one of those guys, right? Mm-hmm. So something's missing when you roll down that tunnel. It's your thought process. It's what's going on. Like, how are you executing practice? Like, that's where we're at with Brock. Like, what are we doing in practice? And why are we not doing this? Mm-hmm. Well, I, an example I'll use, look at Christian Craig right now. First one down there in the tunnel. He's the first one out to practice. He goes hard right from the beginning, right? Like his, his mentality from the gate drop. And Alessi used to always do that. Remember that? Mm-hmm. He'd be first one out on that line. So he had the right spot. And as soon as the track was open, he was out there full mm-hmm. throttle. Well, and people, people might think this is like excessive on my behalf. But when I was working with Anderson and I knew his anxiety issues and what he was dealing with, the goal was the whole shot practice. Mm. I need you to lead something. <laughs> lead right? anything. Lead, lead track Lead walk. something, right? Yeah, yeah. Lead something. After he left and he got on the 450, I was at all the races. He whole shotted 18 of the first 21 practices. Is that right? And he put himself in a good spot. Now, like he he's an established guy, like he knows what he's doing. You know, he's not killing it right now, but he's he knows where, champ. he knows where he's at in the in the class. Yeah. So he doesn't need to whole shot practice to feel good about himself. He's the last guy around the track now. Mm. He cruises around, he looks at stuff, and then when it's time to lay a lap down, he'll go from seventeenth to third on the board. Mm-hmm. And you're like, That guy doesn't need the whole shot practice. Eli doesn't need the whole shot practice. But when you're dealing with a confidence issue and you're having trouble believing in yourself and what your abilities are, you got to get there and, and try to pr- like get these little wins. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and start eliminating the negative thoughts, the rolling around, the just cruising. Yeah. Deal. Like, well, and I'll tell you another issue I had. And again, like I said, I want to get Lorraine on here to really dive into this, but like I would, there was always this little subtle voice in the back of my head worried about getting hurt. Maybe it was because I did get hurt so much. I mean, frick, I, you know, I think I only had one or two seasons where I wasn't hurt in my entire 10 years of supercross and motocross. So at at a point you start to go, well, I'm going to get hurt when and where, you know, and for sure that's one of the huge topics of sports psychology is dealing with injury. So how do you block that out? Or do you, you know, and, and again, I think that's going to be different for everybody. And I think that coming back from injury comes and, and believing in yourself comes from like consistent days at the track, mm-hmm. like having a plan, having a goal, executing that plan and goal, not just going out and riding and not really paying attention to what you're doing and swapping out the whoops and, and crashing and even not getting hurt. You're what you're trying to do is minimize mistakes. Mm-hmm. If you look at the way racing is now, and I'm sure we'll get into it, you have to be perfect or something's going to go sideways. Mm-hmm. The bikes are too fast. Everybody hits the lines right. Everybody's so good right now. The bikes are way, way too fast. The jumps are too small. There's tracks are way too fast. There's no respect yeah. for yeah. the track. Like, they need to make these tracks to where, like, you need to be tripping out if you're going to hit that triple. Like, mm. whew, I don't know if I want to hit it. Because then you're going to respect the triple. Mm. Like, you're not just going to swap out before it and then just... Burr and go for it. 
that's when guys get injured. They make a mistake and then they just, everything's so easy for them to do. They just do it. Yeah. And then they land on the side of the track and, you know, silly things happen. So, I mean, I think the tracks should earn respect. Yeah, I agree. Because when they're too easy, like any, any, like perfect example is like way, way back, you know, pretty much anybody that I've ever hung out or been friends with rode BMX at some point. And we had Emig riding BMX, going to dirt jumps. And he went to these little dirt jumps and stuck the side of his sunglasses through the side of his eye here because the jumps were small and he didn't respect them. Mm. He was just dink, 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 and watched the front end. And, you know, there's no respect when it's easy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like watch Houston one, dude, like the jumps were small. Yeah, it looked like a amateur it was a arena, cross, it was a arena yeah. cross track. Yeah. It really was. What do you think will be the next evolution in riding or training? You know, like we saw Ricky kind of usher back in this era of ultra fitness. You you have to be fully 100% in, in terms of that commitment to compete. We saw James take scrubbing and forward momentum and all that crap to another level. You see anything else? What's coming down the road? Mm, I don't know if I see anything new coming in. I think we're going to see a little bit of a change. Um, I've been working on the amateur side a lot the last few years. And coming from the pro side, like most people go from the amateur side to the pro side, and they're like, whoa, what the heck? I kind of came from the pro side to the amateur side. And when I have a, like a, a good, solid amateur rider, and they listen and believe in, in what we're doing in the program, they elevate to you know have good Loretta Lynn success. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think there's a disconnect now where there's so many trainers out there and there's so many kids that want to work on sections and do this and that. And they want to, okay, I'm going to do three laps with no rear brake and then I'm going to do three laps standing and then I'm going to do three laps with no clutch. I mean, you know, they do that. I'll do those drills, but I'm going to go to Hemet at a rough track and I'm going to take your rear brake off and you're going to do 35 minutes with no rear brake. Then you really, really learn how to ride with no rear brake. Mm-hmm. You don't learn how to ride a snowboard brake by doing it for three laps. And then you have it for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. And again, like go back just recent years with me. Um, I started working with Derek Drake as a B rider in the stock class at Loretta's. And when I started with him, he went home every other week back up to San Luis Obispo. And he was already at the kind of the top of that class. But we were getting ready to go to Loretta's. And he kept going home. He'd go home a week before Mammoth. And then he'd go do Mammoth. And then he'd go back home for a week. And I'm like, dude, you need to be down here, like, training. You haven't even really done motos. Like, it's going to be hot at Loretta. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. And luckily, like, he wasn't in the A class at the time. Because mm-hmm. he wouldn't have been ready for that. So, <clears throat> but he did. He listened. And he put everything aside. And he stayed. And he trained. And he won a title at Loretta's in the B class. And then he committed to the program and he worked really, really hard a year, became lifestyle, did what he needed to do. And every amateur race wasn't the best, but everybody knows the ultimate goal is Loretta's, right? But he won like Cal Classic stuff. You know, he would share titles with March Banks and Enzo Lopes and Mitchell Falk. And they kind of, all of them went back and forth. By the time we got to Loretta's, he was firing on all eight 
and he pretty much handled everybody. Mm. Like he didn't win every moto, but he was right there. He got good starts. He minimized his mistakes and he was focused on what he needed to do. He won both pro classes and the horizon award, which that's pretty good. That's, <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Well, that's kind of the goal as an amateur rider, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then he moves to the pro stuff and he dealt with some anxiety stuff. Like he was, he was kind of thrown into this, which I did everything I could knowing the pro side to help him. And he had good speed. Like he could ride through the whole team during the week, like during practices. And then we get to the race and before practice starts, he's at 140 heart rate. Oh, geez. So that by the time the gate drops and they're riding practice, he's at like 215, like literally. And you put him on some beta blockers. So (laughs) hypertension medication. So, um, So that was 2019 and he ended up doing like the 2020 season, you know, on the Troy Lee team, they refocused the whole team. Um, their deal was like, if we don't win, we're not going to have a team anymore. It, you know, KTM's all in under Alden's program. Husky's all in under Alden's program. So they decided they're bringing Troy Lee in under Alden's program. But they got rid of every rider that's won a race on that team and mm-hmm. hired all rookies to where... Derek was like the leader of the team yeah. who was struggling. And then they put them all under this banner. It's a lot of pressure for a rookie kid. And he would, and it wasn't fitness that he was struggling with. It was anxiety. Cause if you went to that sand track in Nuevo, like that you've seen, mm-hmm. he would run with Adam, mm. you know? So like, you got to kind of look at those things and, and there's something in our industry that they just, they, again, it's so old school and like, well, it worked over here. Let's just do that. But then again, like when does it ever work to fire everybody that's won races and hire rookies? And if you don't win, you're shutting that team down. You know, they didn't, you know, they opened up the gas cast team and, and there's yeah. great writers on there and, I think they'll be better this year, but Pierce Brown now has a season under his belt, mm-hmm. so he'll be better. Mosman came from the Husky side. He's solid, and obviously Barsh has done a fabulous job on the gas gas. So, mm-hmm. And with him kind of in the same truck as that mentor, that takes the pressure off the lights, guys. Mm-hmm. You know? so Yeah. Well, that's interesting. It's definitely changed for sure. Um, what's next for you? What do you, I mean, mm. obviously you're going to continue on with your training. Yeah. Um, I, I, like I said, I, I love it. Like I got a, a small group of kids right now and, you know, kids come in and out of my program. And, and that would stress me out for, if doing your job is because just people's things change, you know, on the amateur they're coming side, and they're going, mm. there's no consistency. I'd lose my mind. On the amateur I... side, it's, it's very, very challenging. And again, that's what I think we'll probably see a change on the amateur side because on the amateur side right now, there's no commitment to a program. Mm. It's whatever fits for that week. Mm-hmm. You know, I just started with a kid that writes for the orange brigade program. Then I was going to do his off bike training. Nathan Ramsey does his at the track stuff. Mm-hmm. So I set up a plan. This is what we're going to do this week. And then they want to change it every other day. Well, he wants to do this with his buddies today. He's still training. This is the parents or who is this? The parents. Yeah. It's 
he's still training. He's still doing the work. But it's not about exercising. It's about the balance and how what you're doing today is going to help you in three months. How mm-hmm. what you're doing today is going to be better for this next weekend. Doing like, it with a purpose. Doing it with a purpose. Yeah. And having that person there, like you have to have your circle. Mm-hmm. And it can't just be like, well, you have me scheduled to ride Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Usually if I do that, I have a reason why you're going to do those those motos and, and that kind of riding those days and what we're going to do off the bike mm-hmm. to work better for what we got coming up. Sometimes it's to bury you because we have six weeks before you got to race and we have to increase your strength and stamina and whatever, whatever's going on. But if you're questioned every single time you send a schedule out, it makes it tough. You know, it makes yeah. it tough. So I, I do think we're going to go back to more of like kind of the grind that Ricky developed. Like they have to do the work, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's got to be consistent. And you're spending a lot more time with your son, Ryder. He's getting into competitive. Yeah, yeah honestly, like bicycle racing now. Mm, yes. So, Ryder um, started very, 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 very young, like doing stuff. Um, he rode a full supercross track on a peewee at two years old. Yeah, if you've um, been to the monster, the supercross races, what do they call it? The monster BMX the monster triple challenge. Yeah the big jumps in the pits. Um, that's a, a pro contest. Those are the best riders in the world. And he's ridden, he's ridden that contest since he was nine. Yeah. He's not competing for wins with Pat Casey and Kyle Baldock and, and Lee Buckworth and Larry Edgar and like the notables. There's a lot of them. Well, just he's doing, there, just doing those jumps. Just doing, just being gnarly. there. Riding, but all those guys have been his friends. He's been riding with that whole group since he was like, five or six years old mm-hmm. that would be like a six or seven year old training and riding with the full 450 starting <laughs> yeah. line you know yeah, and those guys weird. don't even ride together but all the bmx guys ride together they go to yeah. each other's houses they go to you know we had riders 13th birthday party at pat casey's house like that's pretty cool mm-hmm. you know pat's a great dude like he's super super gnarly on a bike you know, monsters hundred percent buying him, built the monster dream yard for him, like all that stuff. So to be able to have that opportunity to be able to shoot a text out, Hey, <laughs> he wants to have his birthday here. So, so yeah, he's been really, really heavy on the freestyle side since literally like two or three years old, like Haro made him a custom balance bike that had platforms on it. So he could roll in the skate parks and stuff when he was two. <laughs> so, and then they made him a custom 16-inch bike with custom link cranks, you know, when he was six years old. It's the, he jumped the mega ramp on the bike when he was seven. Um, learned 360s when he was seven. Learned flips when he was eight. Like, he was, you know, he's on that path to be, like, a Nitro Circus because he's ridden Nitro Circus stuff and and X Games. Like, he's on track to be doing some of that stuff. Hmm. Um, he ended up starting to race a little bit when he was nine. And uh, he's good on a bike, so he got really good at that pretty quick. And we, at at the Grands this last Thanksgiving, finished his fourth season racing. And uh, he's improved every year. Um, he, we went to the Worlds in Belgium where he got a third in the cruiser class and a sixth in class. And in his class, there was 166 riders. Eight make it to the main. 
you got to be top eight to get a number. So he's done really well. He won 27 nationals last year. You know, my daughter races Riley. She goes to the nationals, some of them, and, you know, does some stuff like that. So she enjoys it too. Uh-huh. Um, but we're making a little bit of transition. Um, he's, we knew he was going to start doing some mountain bike stuff at some point. So kind of beginning of last year, we got some frames, um, built those up. He started riding a little bit and he don't suck on the downhill. Like (laughs) he's very, very, very new to it. And he's done four races and he's got two thirds and two firsts. Um, we didn't ride anything but expert when we started. Mm -hmm. Um, he still loves the skate parks and all that stuff. Um, pump tracks, like there's supposed to be a pump track series. He would love to do stuff like that. So, you know, again, he's 13. Um, he's good at a lot of different disciplines. Um, we're actually just sold our house. We're getting 20 acres so we could build more of like what, what I've been dreaming of having is a, like action sports facility, like Mm -hmm. a training facility for action sports, not just, not just moto, not just supercross, not, I mean, not just like dirt jumps, but like basically a Woodward and a South of the border, like all in one, you know? What if I, I want to do street luge, like biker Sherlock, well, can I come train? You can, cause we, we have a, <laughs> we have a hill next to it that we'll build a straight down for you. <laughs> no, that's cool. I can't um, wait to see you. No, that so place well, all I mean, I, I obviously were, it's off, it's down there near Temecula. So it's all the zoning stuff's not exactly what I want for the dream goal but it's somewhere for us to start and Mm -hmm. and i think it's going to be a lot of fun it's going to be a challenge um i'll still be able to do my training with my riders you know at maybe a little bit better level Mm -hmm. um like right now we're our gym stuff is is in the garage at the house which is fine like you don't need a ton of crazy stuff but we have the equipment we need and, and we get it done um we'll have a bigger gym area um hopefully like if the zoning and the neighbors and everything's good, you know, maybe we'll try to do a supercross track and, you know, those are pretty private anyways. So <clears throat> yeah, we'll just kind of see where it goes. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, what do you think our sport needs to do better? Tracks, racing, training, what, what we, what do we need to fix? You know, I mean, it's, it's always hindsight's twenty twenty. like, well, not twenty twenty suck, but <laughs> <laughs> But I, it's really hard to say. Like, we look at, like, what could have we changed in 08 to make 2012 better? Mm-hmm. Did whatever anybody do make it better or did it was it a step sideways or, or a step back? Um, I feel like you're just going to have the this evolution of um, resurgences of different training programs. You know, we always revisit things with the bikes. Um I mean, they've made crazy, crazy tons of horsepower on bikes, and now almost every 450 guy out there mellows the motor out mm-hmm. so they can ride it. Um, <clears throat> so I think there's always going to be that that balance. Like, I mean, I just grabbed one of the riders I work with. I grabbed his 450 the other day at the track and just to ride over and say hi to another friend. And I'm like, these guys, and that was a stock one. These oh, guys they're take, ridiculous. These guys take a mod 450 and they get on a grate and they drop the clutch and a hammer that throttle and they don't loop out. I don't know how. 
because I got the forks compressed all the way down. Well, yeah, the they do do that, but still, <laughs> dude, but still, like, yeah. I mean, what those guys are doing out there, it, it's it, it really is unbelievable. Yeah. From from the top guy to the to the guy that's down in the back, like, those bikes are way too much. And I mean, the testing, the training, the development, the amount of hours they spend on the bike, the laps that they put in, it's. And you, you can't crash. Yeah. Like, well, I, like you mentioned earlier, these we, the tracks have gotten too easy. I'd love to see them go back to the 2000s where early 2000s where stuff was steep. Whoops were big. Like good guys rolled whoops. Yeah. But you made them right out of a turn so that, you know, now they, you I always going, get, you weren't going 70 when you hit them. That's what I'm saying though. You land off a triple and then they'll have a set of whoops. You're grabbing like literally fifth gear and going into them at 45 miles an hour. I don't care how small they are. You catch one wrong, you're no, going down yeah. at speed. You're gonna. Mm-hmm. You're. I mean, that is just a guaranteed. And then injury. your season's over. Yes. Like I'd way rather see them right out of a turn and huge, huge. Like, what's the answer for you know, say, H two that the sand section, it got Marvin, it got Adam, it got Chase. It's like, but you have to put something there challenging on the track. Yeah. You know, it's just. Do they need to respect it a little bit more or send it? If you send it and pull it off, you win. Yeah. If you respect it and take it a little bit easy, you're 19th. Like well, that class is that close right now. Well, I think where we see better racing now is when the track gets so broken down that that's what makes it slower and more technical. The ruts like are. Like when Barsha won the rain in Anaheim two right. years ago. Right. Like stuff like that. Or even even this last race, you know, where those tight, tight sections were super rutted. Mm-hmm. Um, it made for good racing, you know, because it finally there was at least something slowing them down and making some mistakes yeah. out of it. My opinion. Anyway. Um, last question, buddy. We, we asked this of everybody. How do you want to be remembered in this sport? Mm. I don't. <laughs> you just don't want to be remembered? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I, I mean... One thing that I really like, like if I go to a race, after as long as I've been in this, BMX rider, mechanic, trainer, mountain bike guy, whatever I've done, I can go in any truck and I still know people in those trucks and I'm still welcomed in those trucks. I don't walk in and just start making sandwiches and stuff, but I'll walk in and I'll say hi to people and, and you know, and I even, I'm still interacting and friends with you know, even some of the younger mechanics mm-hmm. and, you know, talk to them at, at the track during the week and, and even some of the younger riders that do very well, like I can go up to them and I can sit on their tailgate and talk to them. And, and, uh, just that people would be like, he gave it everything he had. Like mm-hmm. he just loved the sport and would do anything for anyone to help them be better. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I, I, you've always put everything into it, but like one thing that stands out for me that I remember from our time working together and even just what you've kind of mentioned today is you, you always try to strike a balance between you're going to do your job a hundred percent, but you're also going to enjoy life a little bit and do the things you still love to do, mm-hmm. whether that's pack your BMX bike in the truck or yeah, uh, whatever it is. So I, I, I appreciate that. I'm glad you're still enjoying life, not just trying to grind it out for a check and, uh, Always putting your hundred percent into it, man. You always did. Yep. That's still like if I if I miss a day at the track with a rider I'm supposed to be there with it, it bums me out. Mm. Like I had to replace the roof on my patio yesterday. Like it had to be done by today. Yeah. 
So I had to text one of my riders and be like, hey, I can't come today. And he was like, okay, well, that's fine. Like, it was fine for him, but stuff that we were working on, I really wanted to see if mm -hmm. those things were going to be better or same or, or what we could, yeah. what kind of. You're invested in it. I'm invested yeah. in it. Yeah. And it's fun to do that and invest everything you have into it when it's kind of reciprocated. Yeah. And they appreciate it. Yeah. It's when you do that and sometimes there's some disrespect. Yeah. But How can people get a hold of you if they're interested in working with you? Mm, What's the best way? Probably just DM my Instagram. Which is? Randy Lawrence 4130. Okay. Which little BMX roots. Copy that. 4130 Chromoly. That's what they make frames with. <laughs> I never had put Nobody that together. Nobody really knew that. <laughs> <laughs> Not many people do. Well, hey, bud. I stoked you came on. Uh, still yeah, thanks, Ping. Always have considered you a good friend. It even though been. our paths don't cross as much as they probably no, should. I know. But. One quick one is uh, <laughs> I was at Unadilla, and you just had your second daughter. Okay. And you walked up, and you were like, anybody that tells you having a baby is a blessing, <laughs> they're lying to your face. <laughs> do you remember that probably yeah <laughs> well it is. our first couple of years were because our dude. my kids were only eight they were i know 15 months apart i almost had irish twins so that's a lot that's a lot of poopy diapers no it's and hard. one of them was tongue-tied she wasn't she was very fussy it's hard but knowing I, knowing you and how you are over the years for you to come up and say that it was perfect <laughs> Well, I tell all my buddies now, I'm like, listen, the first year is going to suck, dude. <laughs> it's really hard because no one tells you that. They're no like, does, oh, kids, what a, oh, man. What a blessing. It's a blessing. It's a gift They're just from so God. cute. I don't disagree with that, but no, I don't someone needs to prepare you for yes. what's coming. You're not going to get a lot of sleep. They don't care about you. It's going to cost you a lot of money. Your wife's going to be cranky. Her tits are going to be down to here. Her nipples going to be all torn up. <laughs> like, give me the goods, right? Like, tell me the truth, and then I can can deal with it mm -hmm. nobody told me the truth so well the good part is is when they come teenagers and they got an attitude <laughs> oh good so at least i'm looking forward <laughs> so at to least that you're looking forward uh, to that awesome all right buddy hey uh will you come back and co-host us when we got phil on yeah i wish he was here that would have been yeah fun but we'll we'll do it well it, i think this worked out better because we get to focus each on each of your stories a little bit better so and he's um, gonna forget everything anyways and we'll bring it up yes that's exactly what's gonna happen all right, guys. Uh, thank you. Thanks so much for coming in, Randy. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back to wrap the show up. All right. Welcome to our sponsor spotlight segment. It's going to look a little different today. We didn't have any of our partners that could make it in today just uh, due to the weather and whatever else. So uh, this is going to look a little different. We've got Rich Hurtado, Rich Hurtado here from Redlands Fire, a uh, fellow fireman. And uh, he is involved with the Over the Hill Gang Motocross Club. And so I wanted to chat with him a little bit about that, promote some of the events they have going on. Rich, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Good to have you on. So tell us what the, the Over the Hill Gang is. So uh, for people who don't know, Over the Hill Gang is a uh, vet motocross club. And uh, when I say vet, not necessarily military, uh, for individuals 30 years and above. And uh, this thing was formed on May 21st, 1974. And uh, it's been going strong ever since. So, Well, I love it. You know, one, one of the things that I think is intimidating for a lot of people or or off-putting for the older crowd it sucks to consider myself over the hill but i guess i am that now at 46 uh is just going and racing with young kids or or those folks who don't have a job to go to the next day or you know yeah i want to go still enjoy it but do it in a friendly kind of fun environment 
where there's um, less pressure to win and just just more embracing the environment of it and the competition. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as I mentioned, this thing started in 1974 and it's grown to five chapters. Um, And that's pretty much uh, when you go to one of our races, most guys know that they got to go to work on Monday morning. Mm -hmm. So there's a bunch of clean passes. No one's taking you out for a $10 trophy. Uh, in fact, we tell people, if you're just here for the trophy, give us 40 bucks. We'll give you a trophy. <laughs> Don't even unload your bike. Yeah, right. So it's, uh, it's super cool in the racing amongst all five chapters. Um, you know, we have five nationals a year and, uh, the racing is just, is awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, and another thing that I think is a misconception, uh, with whether it's the fire and police nationals or the over the hill gang series is that it's just for firemen and cops, but civilians can come race. Anyone can come race, right? Yeah, in um, our our series here, we have uh, support classes. So as I mentioned, the the youngest age is 30 years old. Um, If you're 29 and you're going to be 30 in that year, come on in. You can race with us, even if your birthday is on December 31st. As long as you're going to turn 30 within that year, you can be part of the club. Um, We have a lot of father and sons that come out and race with us, and the sons will ride uh, support. Okay. And, uh, we, you know, it's cool. We've seen some of these kids go from riding 85s. Uh, we have one kid now, Marcus Condon, actually works at um, BTO. Okay. And uh, I've seen him pull his dad over some big, big jumps. He's on a CRF 250. Okay. And his dad's on a KX 450. And uh, it's just super cool to see the kid grow up. And Sure. You know, yeah. He'll, he'll be a lifer with us. That's awesome. Uh, tell me what tracks you guys bounce around to out here. Uh, so, in Southern Cal. Yeah. So that's one of the, um, I always get this from people. Oh, you guys only ride vet tracks. That's not true with our club. Um, we go to places like, uh, LACR, um, our opening round this year is at state fair on the main track. We hit Paris, um, Glen Helen. And there are two vet tracks we ride, but they're legitimate tracks. And that's, uh, LACR vet track. And then, uh, the REM track there mm-hmm. at Glen Helen. Um, Actually, uh, we're going to go up to the new track this year, uh, American MX, which is uh, about 30 minutes south of Tulare. Uh, and that's like a, an outdoor, really no jumps, just lots of hills up mm, and down. Natural. Really? Yeah. I have to go check that out. Yeah, it's super cool. So there's, um, there's going to be a race there. And then, um, you know, we go uh, to DT1, uh, which, is a, which is a cool track, too. Yep. So uh, while we do hit, you know, one or two vet tracks, uh, the majority of our races are on main tracks, and that's always a question people ask. Awesome. And how do your series work? I mean, just explain it, kind of the overall. Yes. Um, so what we did this year is based on, uh, you know, looking back on, you know, what races brought out the big crowds and stuff like that. So um, this year we have uh, 27 races. Um, is that 27 races? 27 races oh, in man. the year. Um, 10 of those races are, are five nationals, uh, that we do, uh, each chapter hosts a national. So, um, we really only have 19 local races because we count our national as a local race. Um, so you'll have your number one plate at the end of the year. And then, uh, we also have skill level, uh, champions. So the highest finishing novice, intermediate and so forth. And uh, the top 25 in points at the end of the year at the banquet, they always get awarded jackets and then uh, your earned number. Yeah. So and then the top 10 get trophies. So we kind of make it a big deal, you know, and guys take it serious. It's cool to see, um, especially at the Nationals. Yeah. Yeah, it was. 
Very cool. And tell me about the, the California Firefighter Motocross Championship. Is that the series within that, or what? Do you, what is that? Yeah, so that's something I've wanted to do for the last couple of years, and um, I thought this year was the, the right time to start that thing. So that's going to be a 10-race series, and um, that's going to start uh, at our opening round here uh, February 21st at State Fair. And then we're basically going to have one of those races a month, and it'll be in conjunction with the OTHG race. So, and again, um, you know, a, a father, son, uh, they can come out, aunts, uncles, whoever. You don't have to be a firefighter. If one member in your family is, everybody's welcome to race if they want. We'll have a class and a skill level for them. Awesome. All right. And then the 9-11 Memorial Race is another event you're working on. Yeah, um, we've done that for the last uh, six years. And uh, that started just, um, you know, as you mentioned, obviously being a fireman, uh, you know, I didn't, uh, as a that's a day that, you know, we all obviously remember. And, sure. Um, so I wanted to do something um, within the motocross community, and um, it's a race we put on. We have a little opening ceremony, and um, it's good. It's well attended. This year there's actually going to be two of them, one of them um, September 19th, and then that, that'll be at Cal City, and then um, the other one will be uh, September 26th, and that one's going to be at our northern uh, one of our northern chapters is going to host that. I believe it's going to be uh, Sierra, and that'll be at Riverfront. Okay. So Neat. And what's your website? If people want to go in and find these races and the series and more details, where can they go? Yeah, um, OTHGMX.org. And uh, if you're watching this and you live uh, up in Northern California, as I mentioned, we have uh, our five chapters. Um, we have four in California and then one in Reno. Okay. And then uh, if you go to our website, just um, click under chapters and you can get information. Um, you can go to their chapter website and uh, join up. And those are obviously geographically placed throughout the state. Kind yeah, of. So, yeah. So we have ours in Southern California and then um, Sierra and Bay are kind of Northern California, uh, the Valley chapter, Central California, and then the Reno chapter. Awesome. So, yeah, so no matter where you live, you can find one close to you and get involved in some of those races. Um, and, and like I said, fun for firemen to go out because we can all kind of talk shop in between and, and kind of share that. But man, this is just a fun environment for people to come out. and. Yeah, it race. is. And you know, we always hear um, people, no matter what big event you go to, excuse me, there's always someone who, uh, who uh, seems like they're sandbagging, mm. you know, no matter what you go to. Uh, so we, we've addressed that a couple of years ago. Uh, the Sierra president, Dave Mazinga came up with a, with an idea and a plan and uh, now we have a promotional point system in place. So if you're dominating one class, you're going to point out. And then uh, what that does, it keeps the racing pretty even. Mm -hmm. And uh, you go to one of our nationals. And the nationals with all five chapters combined, we get you know, 260, 280 racers. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the skill level is pretty much on par with everybody you're riding against. Cool. And it's, it's legit. You know, guys, take it serious. And you said you mentioned to me you're going to start a 125 class. Tell me about that. Yeah, we're um, we're going to do a two-stroke uh, class, and um, we're looking at going more towards the 125 class. Okay. Um, is that just you know as we get older, as you mentioned, those 450s are so powerful. Uh, those 125s are like just you know pit bikes on steroids, yeah. if you would. Exactly. And so we're gonna uh, we're gonna incorporate that. I think we're gonna try and get that done for our national which is uh, March 19th through the 21st, and that's going down at Paris Raceway. Okay. Well, I'm going to try to make that because, like I said, I, 
I've got a YZ125 that's a lot of fun to ride, and just I'm looking for places to go race it. You know? Yeah, so, yeah, come on out. It's uh, it's going to be a great time, and um, you know, Paris is is been very uh, very welcoming of our national. They're going to do uh, we're going to incorporate uh, obviously not only the main track but a portion of the uh, of the vet track just to extend the lap times a little bit. Mm. And um, it's going to be awesome. We always have a big raffle on uh, Saturday night. Um, one of our main sponsors, Temecula Motorsports, always hooks us up with a TTR 110. Or this year, because 110s are so hot, it may be, uh, <laughs> maybe <something laughs> maybe another brand. But uh, we try and go with the Yamaha. Um, you know, and O'Neill, um, we give away a lot of O'Neill gear. Uh, they've just been very generous with their sponsorship and uh, but, you know, Troy wants to jump on board. We certainly uh, welcome him, too. Awesome. So. Well, I'll connect you guys. Hopefully they can put that together. Is there anything else you want to mention about the series that are uh, that are coming up? Yeah, you know what? Um, I just like to invite everybody to come out. And uh, like I said, guys know they got to go to work on Monday morning. Um, and, you know, we always tell people, hey, number one rule, have fun, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, just ride to race another day. Yeah. So super cool people. And it's a good good series and um you just come out to one or two of our events and you'll see what i'm saying and i and i really believe this is what's missing in our sport you know we've gotten to be such a culture where we go and just practice we just ride and and there's a place and time for that but back in the 70s and 80s and even early 90s you raced you know And, and there wasn't all these great tracks to ride during the week so it was out of necessity but there's a camaraderie there's a a certain component to that you don't get just going to the track and riding and so i would encourage everybody to to go check out a race and these are an awesome place to go start if you're looking for something low pressure low key just want to go have fun and, and yeah. do a gate drop with some guys well dave how, how about this too uh you just get back in the sport after a long layoff you don't know anybody and you're a little leery of going to the track and like ah you know what we have a group of guys that go out to the track all the time and uh it's always you always feel a little safer when you're at the track with someone you know sure and uh we have guys practice all the time and uh, everybody's always welcoming. So it's, yeah. yeah, come on out. Very good. Well, Rich, I appreciate you coming on. Um, it's, it's an awesome series and, and, uh, I want to promote the over the hill gang anytime we can. And also these, uh, these firefighter championships. Uh, and I want to mention a buddy of mine's company. If, if you are a fireman out there or if you're not, uh, a couple of buddies that I work with started a company called off duty company. Uh, it's just really cool hats and beanies, shirts, hoodies, stickers, all kinds of stuff, but it's firefighter owned. It's all local vendors. And, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of built around, we, we love our job, but we love adventure. We love getting outside and doing things. We love our family and friends and hanging out and having a drink or two. And, uh, that's sort of the vibe of this company. It's, it's really cool. The stuff that they've got. So go check them out offdutycompany.com or at offdutycompany at Instagram. Uh, a couple of good guys making some fun products. So check them out and uh, support your local fireman. We appreciate it. Rich, thank you so much. Hey, David, yeah. thank you for having me. We'll see you at the track. All right, buddy. All right. Hang Have tight. We'll, we'll be back to wrap up the show. Thank you, everybody. I wanna be bad with you, girl, like we're robbing a bank. I wanna be mad at the world, like it took you away. All right, welcome back, guys. Uh, we're, we're gonna jump into the SKDA Q&A segment. RL is gonna stick around for us uh, and help answer some of these questions. If you guys are looking for graphics, get over to SKDA and check out their website. Check out their Instagram. These are all designed in Australia, but they ship around the world. Uh, they have a, an amazing shipping program, and you're, you're kept up to speed with emails about where it's at, when it's coming, when it's delivered. And these guys' designs 
are just sick. These guys are doing such cool things, totally kind of outside the box and unique. You see one of their designs, you know it's them. These guys are really crushing it. So check them out. Stoked to have them uh, involved in the show. Mike, what do we got for questions today? Okay, Dave. First question is from Kevin430. I'm sorry. That's Kevin C430. David, awesome work. So often riders, when asked about goals, imply or say they don't really have any specific goals for the season. Is this true or is that just an easy out? I recall Brad Lackey said in 1982 that he had a goal of averaging X points per GP because historically that is what it took to win a championship. He hit his goal. Well, I would say that's a bunch of baloney to say you don't have any goals or if you if you don't have goals... Yeah, why get up in the morning? You're missing. Yeah, you're. What the hell are you doing? I, I mean, to have like what Lackey did, like say, okay, I need X number of points per race. I guess that would be, you know, you could put that together as sort of an outline or a roadmap. But I, I would say any successful person has short term and long term goals, mm-hmm. right? Agreed for sure. Um, whether your goal is all right, I'm just going to be. I want to be top ten all year. I want to get through the whole season. I mean, it could be that general, or you could be. Okay, we want to make the main at the first round. We want a top ten at the second round. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. You, you yeah. should have some goals. Um, yeah, I think there's always going to be an evolution of goals, but just to say you don't have any, that's kind of silly. I like anybody that's racing, and you don't have to be pro. Like, even you know, a decent C rider is going to be like, well, the goal is to move to the B class. What do I need to do to get to that B class? Right. Like, what am I doing at State Fair on Monday? that I can apply to Paula on Tuesday that is going to help me be better when I get to, you know, swap moto on Saturday. Right. Like you have to have somebody, whether you're really good at yourself or, you know, I feel like that's a big part of my position with any level rider is goal setting goal setting goal or maybe even goal setting management. Like, Mm -hmm. are we on track to reach those goals that we set, Mm -hmm. you know, and if not, why are we not like, what are we doing wrong? Yeah, because when you're in there and you're in that little circle, sometimes you just get lost. Yeah, you're too close to it, it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. you need to kind of step back and get a thirty thousand foot view of it. Yeah, I would say this: this doesn't even just apply to racing. This is day to day life. Mm -hmm. Uh, No matter what you're doing, you should have a one year goal, a five year goal, Mm -hmm. and a a ten, twenty. You know, and and I'm really good at helping other guys set goals, but for myself it's not so good you need to set some goals yes somebody help me set some goals please (laughs) i'll get you in touch with a trainer Uh, he's really good at helping set goals um yeah but anyway goals should i i I don't they vary from specifics but yeah everybody should be setting goals if you're not you're leaving a lot on the table all right our next question is from big 702 weird question i've always wondered who who do you think is the oldest guy who could come out of retirement and make an SX main. I'm sure RD5 could, but RV, RC, and so and so on. So I think there's a list of guys that for definitely still could. RC, especially leaned out the way he is now, no problem. Yeah, but he'd probably even be better when he wasn't leaned out. <laughs> That's how he wrote his lights career. You're probably right. Uh K-Dub, I bet you give Wyndham a month, he comes, makes a main, no problem. He never rode that big. <laughs> Not like Ricky did. Um, He'd need some bigger pants, but he could get it done. Um, Reedy. You said Reedy. Team 2-2, two, two, But sure. he's just retired, but 
but he is I retired. think he's probably the oldest guy of all them, right? Oh, for sure. Is he older than Wyndham? Uh, maybe not. Anyway. That one might be. Yeah, that one might. 2-2. Two, two. Who else? RV <laughs> could definitely. He could definitely yeah, RV, come back and do it. Dungy, like all those guys are not even a question. Chad's not even a question. Wyndham, that'd be a, a challenge. You don't think Wyndham could make a main? I'm not saying he couldn't. But think of who he's got to beat right now. It ain't easy. Alex Ray. Who, who's who's the guys right on the cusp? Entic Nap. He hasn't made one. Oh, he hasn't? Hartraff missed the main last weekend. He yeah, it's, it's and pretty. And he was on the podium last year. It's pretty thick right Outdoor now. and Supergrass. Yeah. It is pretty thick. It's pretty but thick. These guys are gnarly. I think. And not I one of you guys said James Stewart. What is wrong with you guys? What? No one's seen him ride. Does it matter? <sighs> I suppose not. He. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's put Stu on that list. Uh, what about like a Tink Dowdy? I haven't seen him ride. I, no. Probably not. No disrespect. He was Supercross was never his. But real jam. Who are we missing? There's someone I out there we're not yeah. thinking of. I mean, you got to still be riding and still be like in tune with where the wheels are, you know, on the bike. <laughs> well, you know how balance <laughs> is. Like when, is, yeah. when you go through a corner, like yeah. if your balance ain't on, like you ain't gonna be getting the jumps coming out. I <clears> mean, graph? what about Jeremy? Oh, you think he could? I mean, what about Hanny? Hanny's thirty-eight. Hanny could. Oh, Hanny is another guy. He could make it. He'd make a main. You Watch think him, Jeremy dude. could? You think Jeremy could right now? Give him a month. He gets 30 days. Let's do it, Jeremy. I got you, boy. I got you. <laughs> RL's going to mechanic. <laughs> we're going to get a 99, 99 YZ250. We're going to let it rip. Uh, I no, think, but Hanny, like, go watch Hanny at State Fair. Oh, my gosh. It's still track. so pretty to watch him ride. And he's joking around, and he's like, he looks like, dude, it's ridiculous. Yeah, man. I know. He, he looks like he's a title contender. He looks contender. like he's a current guy. Yeah, I know. Brownie? Ooh, oh, mm. eh, I don't know about Brownie. He's pretty good at Loretta's. He's also he's more of an outdoor guy too. Though, I don't know I about say. Indy. You, <laughs> if you're retired and you're not doing it every day, yeah, you have to be a natural guy. It's pretty tough, the timing and add the whoops. Yeah, I'm trying to think of anybody 40 plus that could do it. That's a tall order. It'd be Jeremy or K Dub. But then I was thinking, Tom Brady's 43. 43. Yeah, but he's not he's never retired. Good point. But still to be you know taking hits at 43. Yeah. Legend. All right. I think that's a pretty good list there. If anybody has anything else uh post it up on our messages or uh on Instagram, tell us who you think could do it. Um that's our show. So, thank you guys. If you got questions for them, get uh, for us, get on Twitter and shoot those over. Uh we do the SKDA Q&A every week. And uh, we're here to answer your weird questions, no matter what they may be. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors again quickly. Uh, big thank you to Yamaha. If you guys are in the market for a bike or a side-by-side or a boat, a stand-up ski, a sit-down ski, whatever it is, check Yamaha out first, please. Amazing stuff. Uh, quality, performance, just unmatched. We love those guys. We love that they're involved with our show. PowerDot, 20% off on a unit. If you guys use the code WhiskeyThrottle at checkout, these things will help keep you from getting injured they will help with arm pump they will help you recover from injuries uh you've used power dots before electronic muscle stimulators Mm -hmm. things are awesome right Mm -hmm. this is not it's not voodoo or uh, snake oil this is proven science they work 
And they've now got a smart feature where these things actually learn as you use it. So it'll recommend settings for you. Um, they're awesome. Check those guys out, Powered Out. We appreciate uh, their support as well. Method Race Wheels, 20% off using our code. Best Wheels in the Biz, Troy Lee Designs. Again, we uh, appreciate their support always. Um, SKDA, Dunlop Tires. If you guys are looking for a combo, I tell everybody the 33 rear with the 53 front is money. Check those guys out um, and support the one tire company that does not walk away from our sport. Pro Circuit. These guys uh, take their products and develop them on the racetrack, and they're winning, which leads to winning products for you. So if you guys are looking for anything aftermarket from suspension to exhaust, hard parts, engine work, check Pro Circuit out. Nihilo Concepts, great stuff over there. Uh, they're making some really, really cool carbon bits now. Um, billet, different throttle housings. If you own a KTM Gas Gas Husky, man, go look at the stuff they have. They really specialize in that. They have things for every every model, but they really dial those bikes in and they've got some incredible stuff seat concepts most comfortable seat you'll ever have they have weatherproof seats so if you're someone who rides in a lot of wet that's a must-have snowmobile seats uh super comfortable stuff there so they've got something for you and it's custom so check it out get over there and look at seatconcepts.com uh senna these headsets man i'm a big believer and uh, i'm stoked to get some footage here and show you guys just how cool these things are but from a coaching standpoint uh, man, being able to sit there with a headset on and talk to your rider while they're out there so they don't have to come in, shut the bike off, listen to you. Uh, if you're riding with your kid, uh, from a safety perspective, if they're coming up over to a jump and someone's down on the backside, you can let them know, you know, none of these practice tracks have flaggers. I think that this is a safety issue. I think it's a performance issue. There are so many things that this benefits you. So, so check out Senna systems and look into some helmet communications also makes riding really fun if you're riding with buddies. Pro X, a lot of amazing products. We're going to get these things uh, on some of our Vital MX project builds. So look for these chain sprocket filters. They make all kinds of internals for the engine, gaskets, seals, cables, anything you need to rebuild your bike. Pro X makes it and they're quality products. Motul, stoked to have these guys on board. Check out their full line of lubricants from two-stroke oil, engine oil, chain lubes, contact cleaners, uh, you name it. Motul is making great products. And Ogeo Power Sports, just the best bags in the biz. These things are versatile. They're incredibly durable. And they've got something for everything. Your helmet, your boots, your gear, uh, travel bags. Pretty much everybody uses these things because they're amazing. And specialized bicycles. Um, just the best bikes in the sport. I mean... They've always been synonymous with just like quality stuff, right? They do a good job. They do That's a good sure. job. Yeah. I mean, whatever whatever you're looking for, downhill, enduro, e-bikes, you name it, they've got it. Uh, amazing stuff. Check them out. Uh, they are starting to get some stock built back up. I know they've been sold out pretty hard for a while, uh, like a lot of bike companies, but they're kind of getting that stoked back up and uh, they've got some product to sell. So check them out. want to also mention uh, Paleo Ranch Foods. And that is our show, folks. Thank you for watching. RL, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, dude. And uh, we'll see you guys very soon. We've got uh, four shows lined up that'll be rolling out every couple of weeks. Some amazing guests coming up. Uh, really excited for So stay tuned for that. Follow us on Instagram. Uh, be sure to subscribe to this channel. Like it. Do all of those things. And we'll see you next week. Cheers. 
Thanks for watching the Whiskey Throttle Show. Don't forget to like and subscribe and click the bell to get alerts for all the latest content. Follow us on Twitter at W underscore throttle underscore show and on TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram at Whiskey Throttle Show. Oh, yeah. We won't stop. But